Come Go With Me by Expose for 1987. And welcome to Friday Night Live of Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friend show tonight featuring special guest star Brandon Drexel Gerson. And you might wonder, why is this on a Friday night? We don't usually have Friday night shows. The main reason for that is that I expect that the audience of this show has a very active social life. So I would think that if we have a Friday night episode, that most of you would not be able to make it. So I try to put it on a weeknight when you're likely to have less to do other than listen to me talk. But uh, this week did not have a choice. And uh, this week I also wanted to include Brandon again because people really enjoy his contributions to the show. And he played some World Series events this week. I also had certain days of the week I just simply couldn't make it. So Friday was the only day it could fall. So this week, we're doing it on Friday. We started late because when I plugged everything in here in this radio studio, I'm not in the Rio right now, by the way, my usual radio studio for this show, I plugged everything in, and I found out that the power was out. Yeah. Did not have power, and that meant I could not broadcast for very long without this computer dying because I can't plug it in. So it could start broadcasting, but it couldn't continue broadcasting. So I had to solve that unexpected problem, which is now solved. No, I didn't forget to pay the electric bill. If I forgot that, there wouldn't be a show tonight. But there was a power issue in this room. And then separately, of all things, my computer also stopped connecting to the Internet for reasons I couldn't figure out, but I I got it going. So we're all good here. We're starting late, and uh, since we're starting late, the free roll's already going. It started four minutes ago. It's at the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Near the top of the screen, you click on the radio, not the radio, the uh, No Fraud Online Poker Room button near the top. You need a separate account to play there, but it is completely free. You don't even need play chips to enter the free roll we have tonight that started four minutes ago. You might also say, why am I talking about a free roll that has already started? Well, because you can still get in. There are 25 minutes of late registration, meaning up till 8.35 Pacific time, you can still get into the free roll on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. The only thing that you need to keep in mind before you play is that you either need a forum account dated 2013 or earlier, that is your register date, or you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks by telling me things that are not in the official show description that you have heard on this show. If you convince me, I will give you a lifetime exception, provided you remain in good standing on this site, to win the free money. If you've already emailed me and gotten permission in the past, you don't have to email me again. And if you have a forum account dated 2013 or before in good standing, then you also don't have to email me. You're automatically in. I do this just to prevent people from showing up only to play the free roll with no interest in the site or the show. So, just wanted to get that out of the way. In case you're wondering what prizes you will be shooting for in the free roll, this week it is $70 that's up for grabs. These are real dollars. A real $70 that you can get in one of several ways. I can pay you in by PayPal. That's my favorite way to pay you. Easiest for me. I can also do it by check, by bank transfer, Cash, if you want to see me at the World Series, you want me to take a chance and send, to you, send it to you uh, by mail, I can do that. Or even Bitcoin. I have a few Bitcoin I could send over to you. 
The tournament prizes are as follows. First place gets $35. Second place gets $18. Third place gets $11. And fourth place gets $6. 35 18 11 and 6 This money, well, just about all didn't come from me. I contributed a whopping $0.35 cents this week just to round it up to $70 even. The rest of the money came from Mulva, who gave $5.50. Split This, who gave $6. Slow Roll, who's been very generous recently, who gave $50. And Shiz Money gave $8.15. So that's how we added up to $70. And... It's already going, so get in there if you want to play it. The free rolls on off nights, that is nights other than Tuesday when we normally broadcast. This show is typically on Tuesday nights at around 7 p.m. If it's on another night, the free roll tends to have a smaller group of people, meaning the chance of you winning is higher. And it's never that big of a group. It's never bigger than 100 people. So this isn't like playing a free roll of 3,000 people where your chance of winning is very small. Here, you have a reasonable chance of winning, and you can win free cash money every week. And I get nothing out of it other than just the enjoyment of the listeners of this show getting money for listening. So that's a fun thing to do in the background, too, when you're listening to this thing. If you're listening in the archives, oh, well, you know, just try to catch the show when it's live. We do jump around sometimes and have shows other than Tuesday night if that's a bad night for you, including this one. Uh, Brandon is currently out and about in Las Vegas, but he's going to call in very soon when he gets an opportunity. He had something come up, which I will let him explain when he comes on. It's a good reason. He has a, he has an excused absence here. Something came up at the last minute that was very important. And he'll, he'll tell you guys. It won't be a secret either. He will tell you honestly why he's not here right now, and he will be on the show at some point. If you want to call the show, there are two ways to do it. The main phone number is area code 775-FRAUD55. That's 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston and forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808-702. 430-1808. No matter which number you call, you have to show your caller ID or you will not get through. So you can also chat. Not so much with me. I don't really chat in a chat room during the show. It's just too much to do. Some of you don't know this. A lot of you do, but some of you don't know that I literally have to do everything as far as running the show. Whoa. Skype's trying to update itself. Can't let that happen. Not doing any updates during the show. I don't want any updates. Like I'm always happy with a current version. I never want an update. It's trying to force me to update. <laughs> but anyway, that's an example. I am doing everything here as far as the running of the show. When I have a co-host, the co-host helps me with the content of the show. And I appreciate that. And I'm always happy to have a co-host no matter who it is. But as far as actually running the technical portions of the show, taking phone calls, setting everything up... Uh, broadcasting it, fixing problems. All of that falls on my shoulders. I don't have an engineer or a screener in the background. I don't have a tech guy. I am the tech guy. So I'm doing everything here. And I'm the host, too, especially when there's no co-host. I'm the one who has to keep the conversation going for hours. And it's actually harder than you might think. Try some time to just sit down and talk nonstop for four hours. Try it. It's very hard. It's very hard to do. Even like a four-hour phone conversation where the other party is speaking half the time can be hard. But a, a, almost like a monologue 
is even harder. That's why I enjoy having a co-host because it takes some stress off of me from talking the entire time myself. Okay, you feel sorry for me enough yet? I hope so. Here is the agenda tonight. Here's what we're going to be doing on our show. Of course, the World Series of Poker is still going on. It's coming near the end. Main event is coming up very soon. It's coming up in two days on July 5th. And then that's it. Then the World Series of Poker is over, and we won't talk much about it until 2016. But it's still going on. Of course, the biggest event has yet to take place. I have played seven events so far myself. I had another cash. I had a second cash uh, since the one I talked about last show. I will tell you about that cash and how close I came to something really big. But I can't complain too much because I got very lucky and I got very unlucky. Got it both ways there. The winner of that event, by the way, that I'm about to talk about, is actually an old friend of Dustin Neverwin Wolf. A lot of you know him. And this guy was at my table on day one and almost busted to me. I'll tell you about that hand and how a crucial decision on his part that many wouldn't have made, which was the correct decision, saved him and allowed him to win a bracelet in that same event two days later. Well, as you know, sometimes I can't do this show because I have a cold. Sometimes I complain during World Series events that I have a cold. There are 99 strains of the rhinovirus, which is the main virus associated with the the common cold, meaning that uh, there's 99 different colds you can catch. And actually, there ends up being more than that because the virus mutates and new strains appear. So even if you caught all 99 versions of the rhinovirus, you probably will still catch more in the future from the mutated versions. But how does this mutate? How does it happen? And why are we talking about it on this show? Well, I'm going to tell you about how I may have created, yes, me, I may have created the dreaded 100th mutation of the rhinovirus. Yes. Yes. Germ warfare on my tight, on my part here. <laughs> I'm not even kidding about this. I'll have to tell you what happened at the World Series where I may have just transmitted and created the 100th strain of the rhinovirus. The main event is coming. I'll be playing. Brandon will be playing. We'll talk a bit about that, and I'll talk a bit about my failure last year. I had a very bad main event last year, and I'll tell you what I'm going to do differently than last year when I flamed out badly after several years of playing it pretty well. Jamie Gold, who played the main event very well in 2006... He hasn't played very well since. He's become more of a joke than anything. He developed a drug problem. He had tax issues. He blew all his money. He had drug issues. Jamie Gold was not the same happy-go-lucky, talkative, fun guy, what kind of fun guy, that you saw at the 2006 main event winning $12 million. But he's back. He was at a World Series final table, and a lot of people were rooting for him. We'll talk about that. I'm always happy when members of the Poker Fraud Alert Forum or listeners of this radio show do well at the World Series. So I was happy to see that 
Kevin McPhee, who introduced himself to me at the end of May, at the very beginning of the World Series, in the parking lot of all things, he came up to me in the parking lot. When someone comes up to me in the parking lot, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to say hello and be nice, or if they're going to pull a knife or a gun on me. I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, Kevin McPhee did not pull a knife or a gun. He introduced himself and said hello to me. And he's a listener to this show. Kevin McPhee won his first World Series bracelet. And he was very happy about that, obviously. He also dated Liv Bory at one point, but he wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> but Kevin had something happen after he won the bracelet that did not make him very happy, and I don't blame him. We'll talk about what the World Series of Poker did to recent bracelet winner Kevin McPhee. Brian Hastings, who has made people very unhappy, has been defiant. He hasn't slinked away and hidden from people after the multi-accounting on stars allegations and the angle shooting in a bracelet bet allegations that dogged him, mainly brought to light by David Bakes Baker. And by the way, that's not the same David Baker that I don't like. That's the younger David Baker. I have no problem with him. But David Bakes Baker brought up a lot of issues that about what Hastings has been doing. We talked about that on our last show. Hastings, he doesn't care. He's showing up. He's playing the uh, the. 111,000 one-drop event, cashing in it, and tweeting to people that they're cowards. So we'll talk about Brian Hastings and his defiant attitude. Anthony Zinno. Prior to 2015, nobody knew who he was. He was essentially a nobody in poker. He was in poker, but he wasn't a known player. Well, now most people who are following poker know Anthony Zinno. He won three World Poker Tour titles this year, three, and he won a bracelet, and he made four, count them, four World Series of Poker final tables this year. Oh, my goodness. I played with Anthony Zinno. I'm going to tell you about what I observed about him. Why is he doing so well? How, how can someone do this well in one year? Amazing. But I did play with him at the 10K Limit event. The super high roller cash game at the Aria with a 250000 minimum buy-in it had an interesting flop. It had a flop with an ace, a queen of clubs, and a queen of clubs. <laughs> I didn't say that wrong. An ace, a queen of clubs, and a queen of clubs. Two queens of clubs. We'll talk a bit about that hand and what they ended up doing about it. It was right on a broadcast for everyone to see. It wasn't something that happened behind closed doors. Well, Brian Mikon, who we've talked about on this show a lot and used to be a former co-host of mine on a different site, actually two different sites, he has dodged a bullet. He has avoided jail time. He is going to take probation, pay a moderate but not very high fine, and looks like he's pretty much getting off scot-free, or almost. And right after he came to that agreement... He played the World Series of Poker. We'll give you our thoughts about that. I definitely want Brandon on for that segment, since he was even closer to Micon than I was. Someone texted me, what's a good time to call in? I forgot about the text phone number. If you want to text me during the show, the phone number is 775-372-8355. Yeah, someone is saying they want to call in from the uh, 412 area. I think I think that's uh, this guy is what wants to call in. 
after I finish with this intro, I guess you can call in. Yeah, if you want to text me, 775-372-8355, same as the main number. I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. And you can also text me before or after the show, and I will respond to you. It's a good way to get a hold of me. In fact, it's the best way to get a hold of me during the show. Tom Dwan plays very, very high-limit games, plays in Macau. A lot of people are jealous of him and all his money and all his poker success, so maybe don't be too jealous. Haralabob Volgaris is claiming that Tom Dwan owes him a lot of money and is looking for him. And Tom Dwan, as far as I know, has been absent completely from the World Series of Poker. Where is Tom Dwan? And how much money does he owe? We need to know that. Downtown Las Vegas used to be the center of Las Vegas in the 70s, in the 80s, in the early 90s. If you went to Vegas, the place to be was downtown. If you stayed outside of downtown, you were considered on the outskirts. Today, the center of Vegas is the Strip. That's where you go. That's the main tourist area of Las Vegas. That's what everyone thinks of when they think of Las Vegas. They don't think of downtown anymore. Downtown is a has-been. They've tried to revitalize it. they try tried to put in this uh, Fremont Street experience. They've tried to adjust some things over there, but it's just never coming back. Downtown is never going to be the same as the Strip. It's kind of the Strip's uglier, younger sister. Or older sister, sorry. It's Strip's uglier, older sister. And it's going to stay that way. Uh, one thing about downtown that was an annoyance, a small annoyance to people up until now, was the parking situation. Where you had to either pay to park or get your parking validated somehow. It used to be easy, at least, to get the validation done. No longer. And what about drinks? Well, things are known to be cheaper downtown than they are in the Strip. And some people would go to bars, not just downtown, but all over Vegas, and they'd play 25-cent video poker. And they do what I call slow-playing bar video poker, where they play very, very slowly at the lowest denomination available and keep getting free drinks as a perk for playing. Well, downtown has decided they're going to crack down on the free parkers and the video poker bar slow players. These scoundrels who are doing this are no longer going to get away with this when they go downtown in Las Vegas. (laughs) And how can they be stopped? Well, the bartenders, among others, have been tasked to stop these scoundrels from their heinous acts of freeloading off of downtown Vegas, and the bartenders are very angry because they don't want to be strip police officers, and there's a lot of contention, and there's been union complaints. I'm going to tell you about what's going on downtown. I observed it firsthand. I actually went down there, believe it or not, (laughs) and I saw these things happen in front of my face and even talked to a bartender at the nicest hotel downtown who had a lot to say to me about it. So I'll tell you what's happening over there. Finally, the continued disagreement about the bad actor clause, that is the clause that would keep poker stars out of the market, has sunk California's chances for legalized online poker in the year 2015. It's done. It's not happening. Forget it for this year. And I don't just mean you won't play this year. I mean there will be no law passed this year. It means that any law we see legalizing online poker in California 
won't take place until 2016, meaning we probably won't play until a minimum of 2017. Isn't that lovely? So I'll tell you what has happened and why it has collapsed. So those are the things we will be talking about. Anonymous just wrote in the chat room, nicest hotel in downtown doesn't exactly hold the prestige it used to, that's for sure. Uh, T-Buck saying validation of your parking is a bitch now. It is. I'm going to tell you guys about that. Uh, J-Stat said it was easy downtown. It was easy downtown, J-Stat. Not anymore. That's what I thought. I wouldn't have gone had I known how tough this would be. So, let's uh, get started with this, and when Brandon calls in, he will call in. He'll be doing the show over the phone, at least for the beginning of the time he's on here, but we're happy to have him in whatever way he manages to do it. By the way, I'd like to give a a birthday shout-out for Hot Like Sauce. He once actually co-hosted the show here. He appeared on the Dr. Phil show. We played a clip of that as well. So happy birthday to him. Don't know how old he is. I think 32, 33, somewhere around there, which puts him in the younger part of our demographic. The demographic for this show is mostly age 35 to 55. There are some older, there's some younger, but the main demographic here is 35 to 55, which I'm right in the middle of. I'm 43, so... I feel right at home with this audience. I feel like I can relate to all of you. You're not a bunch of not a bunch of young kids. Most of you are not a bunch of people in my parent my parents' age. Most of you are right around where I am. But hey, if you're older or younger, that's fine too. I'm happy to have any listener, any listener. Okay, so let me tell you about the World Series. I'll tell you first about the most important thing in the World Series, and that is my World Series. That's the most important to me. So of course, it's going to be the most important to you. I entered seven events so far. I'm going to play an eighth event, the main event, coming up on Sunday. Or sorry, on Monday, not uh, Sunday. It starts Sunday, but I'm going to play Monday. And the summary of those seven events was that I cashed twice for four figures each. I did not cash in the 10K limit, which I played since the last broadcast. And... Breaking that one obviously disproportionately affected my overall World Series results of 2015, since that buy-in was much bigger than all the other buy-ins that I did. In fact, it was more than half my total buy-ins. The buy-ins of the other six events combined was actually uh, less than, or I think about equivalent to the 10K limit. But the the 10K limit I'm not going to talk much about. I, I went up and down. I was never doing really well, but I kept recovering whenever I got short. And then uh, towards the end of day one, I just uh, – well, actually, I will tell you about one thing about that. It was an interesting hand with Antonio Esfandiari and David Benjamin, who are two very big names in poker, especially Antonio. They were both at my table. David, to my right, was uh, not really paying all that much attention to what was going on around him because he was chomping on McDonald's. <laughs> no, he, no, he wasn't. He was sorry, David. No, David was not actually chomping on McDonald's. David was watching some French soap opera on his iPad. I'm not even kidding. He was watching a French soap opera, soap opera on his iPad. Antonio was very, very talkative at the table, and was doing. They were doing a version of that uh, "What Is Laden Think" game, 
except uh, there was no lot in around. It was uh, they were doing it with Brian Rast, who was at another table. I, I won't bother to get into that, but Antonio was was having fun with himself at the table. Antonio is very respected for his poker play, and I, I think he's a great no limit tournament player. But boy, he really butchered this hand that I played with him and Benjamin. He missed something so obvious, and it just ended up costing me more chips in a bad beat. So this is what happened. Antonio, who was starting to get short, raised. I think it was in uh, in early position. David Benjamin called on uh, on the button. He flatted. I three-bit Benjamin and Esfandiari with kings from the small blind. The big blind folded. The two of them both called. So, so far, very standard hand. The flop was a very dreamy king, queen, little card, two diamonds. So I had z-nuts. Could not beat my kings here. So I wanted to get a lot of money in. I think it was king, queen, seven. Whatever, it doesn't really matter. Two diamonds. So I bet. Antonio raised. Benjamin cold called. Back to me. I three bet. Ben, uh, Antonio four bet. So now we're building this big pot, and I have the nuts. And I'm just waiting to just stack this monster pot. Benjamin cold calls again. I could have five bet. You can do a maximum of five bets, but I didn't want to because I knew that Antonio is going to bet the turn if there's a blank. He's either got a lower set or maybe an overpair. Probably not. He probably doesn't have aces. Maybe he has ace-king. Whatever it is, I don't want to give away I'm five betting here when I know he's going to fire the turn and I can check raise them. So I had it all ready. I had the check raise all ready to go. I thought he probably flopped uh, bottom set. That's what I thought. So I just called. And we had a lot in already. This is at the end of day one. So the blinds were already higher. and yeah, it, was, it was a big pot already. Very big pot. We're going into the turn. Now, before we continue... Two diamonds. King, queen, little card, two diamonds. Benjamin cold calls, and then cold calls again to all the raises. What do you think he has? Do, do you think he might have diamonds? Do you, do you think diamonds for Benjamin might be a very, very, very likely possibility? Obviously. Obvi- you don't have to be a poker genius. You don't need to be Antonio the Magician to see that Benjamin... Very likely has diamonds. Yeah, he might have Jack-10, but I think he has diamonds. He's either got Jack-10 or diamonds there, for sure. Diamonds more likely. So, what's the turn? A diamond. A non-pairing diamond. So now my desire to check-raise has gone away. Now I want to get away cheap until the board pairs, and if it does not board pair, then I have to just check-call down. So I check and Antonio, who's getting very short, by the way, but not so short that he has to, you know, he, he doesn't have to bet because uh, he has enough to check call down the rest of the hand. He bets anyway. He bets into the obvious flush draw of Benjamin here. Benjamin predictably raises. Now I've got to call too cold, knowing for sure that Benjamin's caught the flush. Antonio calls. The river is a fourth diamond. Doesn't pair the board. So I know I've, I'm, I know I've lost. In fact, I knew on the turn I lost. But I had to wait to see if I can catch the river. I checked. Antonio checked. Benjamin bet. I laid it down. I, I knew it was no good. And 
Antonio thought and thought and thought. He was getting pretty short. Thought and thought, thought, and called. Benjamin turned over Jack 10 of diamonds. So he did have a very, very huge draw there, and he hit it. He had the straight and flush draw. And Antonio mucked it. So Antonio's sitting here going, oh, man, that's so sick. Oh, boy, I could have won such a big one here. Man, that's so sick. Man, so I, I couldn't help. I finally said, Antonio, you weren't ahead. He says, oh, no, believe me, I was. I said, you weren't. You were not ahead. He says, no, I know th- you think you were ahead, but believe me, I was ahead, he says to me. I go, look, I had kings. I had the nuts and the flop. He says, you did? I said, yeah. He said, you really? You, you didn't have I said, I had. That's what I had. He said, you, you fold? I said, yeah. So I, I wanted to say, Antonio, why are you betting into the obvious flush draw when the flush hits? Why? So that was a, a monster pot. It would have taken me to be one of the chip leaders of the day. Instead, it left me short stacked. And then I lost a few more hands after that, and I went with the tiniest stack into day two, and I busted 13 hands later into day two. I had a 5,000 stack, or 5,300 stack going into day two. <laughs> so, and keep in mind, the starting stack of this event was 30K. So that, that was kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm sure that Antonio had bottom set. Maybe Queens, but I'm sure he had bottom set. But come on, Antonio. You, you won $18 million at the, the million-dollar one-drop. You, you still bet into a flush? Come on, Antonio. Anyway. Uh, so I went out in that one. So in the last iteration of events I played, I told you last week that I cashed in the extended play no limit. That was my first cash of 2015. I played the 10K limit. The final one I played before the main event was the 50-50 no limit. That was my seventh event. The 50-50 was a weird format event, and Brandon played it too, by the way, where 50% of the field cashes. Now, it's a little misleading because 50% of the field does not make money. Just 50% cashes something. So instead of the usual format where 0 through 90% of the field, that is you know, how much you make it through you know, the field, gets nothing, and then starting from those who are in the 90th percentile and up start getting paid. That's the standard tournament format. This, after 50% of the field is out, they pay them two-thirds of their buy-in, which is uh, $1,000 since the buy-in is 1500 If you then make it past three-quarters of the field, you get your buy-in back. You get your $1,500 back and you break even. Then, if you make it to that 90% mark where you would have cashed anyway, you start to make money, but of course you're making less money because they've already given out a lot of the price pool money to the people who were in the 50 through 10% uh, of, of the field that was left. So 40% of the field got paid. That usually doesn't, so obviously that money comes from somewhere. And I calculated that over 36% of the prize pool was used up doing that. So obviously everything gets smaller from there. The winner gets 200 k and laughably... Uh, like 13th place, there were uh, 1,123 people. 1,123 people in the event. 13th place in a $1,500 buy-in event gets a whopping 9,000 something. <laughs> and I, I don't even mean like like 9,900. I mean like nine zero something was their payout. So if you made it all the way to the final 10%, you were actually kind of 
going, crap, I, I wish this event wasn't this way because the flatter pay scale screwed me here. So, of course, you know my luck. Of course, the event I run deepest in is the one that pays 50% of the field. So people got a kick out of looking at the WSOP.com chip counts. Because at one point in the middle of the first day, listed as the chip leader was one Brandon Gerson. And listed as the number two chip leader was one Todd Witellis. Yes. I don't know if you'll ever see that again in a tournament on the World Series of Poker's official website showing number one, Brandon Gerson, number two, Todd Wittellas. If anyone who doesn't like us or doesn't like this show must have been hating that chip count report. Now, it stayed that way for a while, but it was partially because they weren't keeping very close track and uh, there were people who had bigger stacks than both of us that were not being reported. But I think at one point... We may really have been one and two. So we both got off to a very good start in day one. I was constantly chasing Brandon. He, I, I was never passing him. I eventually did, which I'll tell you shortly. But every time I thought I was chipping way up and I'm like, oh, Brandon, look what I just did. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I have more now. Yeah, I just have more. I'm like, oh, Brandon, I have, I have 50K. Oh, yeah, I'm up to 75. Hey, Brandon, I'm up to 75. Oh, yeah, I got 102. Like, <laughs> I was happy for him. This wasn't a competition. It was just funny. Like, people at my table were going, man, you're, you know, you're kicking ass here. You're really getting a lot of chips. And I, and I was like, the funny thing is the – my radio co-host is the only guy I know in this whole event that has more chips than me. So I, I wasn't even one, number one on Poker Fraud Alert Radio in this event. So in the second – in the final uh, two hours of day one, I spun my wheels – and, of course, the blinds are higher. And, of course, a lot of people have busted and they're already into the money. So, like, they, they're already into the point where they were paying people the equivalent to their buy-in. So I spun my wheels. I went from, like, 71K at the break to 67K to finish off the day. This is from a starting stack of 7,500. Brandon kept rocketing up. And Brandon actually had an incident, which I'll let him tell the people about when he's on here. But he had an incident with someone at the table where the floor was called over. And Brandon was in the right, by the way, but uh, it was kind of a funny incident. And then Brandon busted the guy who he had the incident with. So Brandon finished the day number three in chips. This is a real number three. This isn't a number three, like, of their who they're counting. This is a, So I think he finished with 147K. I finished with 67. Brandon obviously feeling very optimistic going into day two, but also realized that in these no-limit events, you never know what will happen. So we went into day two and uh, still only guaranteed even money, basically. I got off to a bad start and Brandon got off to a terrible start. Brandon flopped top set versus a flush that flopped. Brandon had kings all in against ace jack with one of the other people at the table saying immediately they folded an ace. So the ace jack had two outs. The ace jack hit its ace. Brandon lost several just ugly hands like that. And within a short time, he was low on chips. And two and a half hours into the day, his chips were all gone. And he just barely made it into the regular money of uh, you know the past 10% point. Finished in 108th place, got a whopping $1,880 for a $380 profit. And went home very, very, very frustrated and disappointed. I don't blame him. 
He didn't do anything wrong. In fact, Brandon actually laid down the top set against the flush when the guy went all in. And he was correct to have done so. So Brandon just ran into coolers and beats. And that was the end of Brandon's possible epic run. But wait, what about me? Well, I was kind of hanging around short stacked after my bad start. Wasn't getting chips back, wasn't uh, really taking care of the table very well. And I got a tough table, tough day two draw. Got tougher as the day went on, as you might imagine. And it looked like that I was uh, done for a little bit further into it. I I don't know exactly what place it was, but it was a little bit further in after Brandon busted. I had pocket fours against this uh, European guy. I think he was Italian. He finished finished at the final table, actually, this guy. But he had a mountain of chips. He liked to float a lot of hands. He liked to bluff. Uh, I had fours on an eight-high board. The board was like a eight-five-two, or not eight-five. It was eight-four. No, that would give me a set. It was eight-six-two. Uh, that's what it was. And the turn was a seven. So he check-called the flop, and on the turn where I didn't have very many chips left, it's a seven. I'm sorry, he didn't even check-call. He just called my bet into him. He was on the button. But I, I said, "All right, well." I've got to do something here. I'm very low on chips. I think there's a good chance he's just calling me with overcards or something like that. If he's not, he's going to bet anyway if I check to him. I don't want to let him check behind and catch one of a million cards that could beat my pocket fours. And I probably have six outs. I probably have the four outs you know, to the straight, and I probably have the two outs to my fours. Maybe not. Maybe he has uh, flopped a set. Maybe he even made a straight with 9-10, but I don't think so. And if he did, so be it. But I, I I was too low to give up on the hand at this point. If I had a lot of chips, I'm giving up check folding. but uh, Or maybe bet folding. But uh, here I felt my option was to go all in. So I went all in. Snap calls me. I know that's not a good sign. Turns over pocket eights for top set that he flopped. No wonder he just called the flop. So I actually said the words, well, I'm done, stood up, and before I could grab my stuff, a five hits the river. And I double up. Good. So I'm feeling better. Have some more chips again. I'm not big stacked, but I'm, I'm comfortable again. Playing my game. Then I get a very tough position. A short stack goes all in in late position. I'm in the small blind. The button. Sorry, the that big stack I talked about before, he opens, which he was opening a lot of hands. A short stack goes in over him from late position. The button then min-raises that. And I look down in the small blind, I have pocket jacks. Boy, is that a hard spot. So we have a loose opening big stack. We have a very short stack who's going over him. Must have something, but doesn't necessarily have to have a great hand, especially because of who opened ahead of him. We have a guy on the button who is min-raising him, who to me 
it clearly looked like to me that he wanted to isolate the short stack. He didn't just want to call because he was afraid that uh, the big stack who opened would call too because there wasn't that much more of a raise. So he wanted to raise it a little bit more without committing too much to get the original opener out and just run it out with the short stack. That's what it looked like to me. So I thought, okay, what does he got? He probably has uh, pocket nines, pocket tens, pocket eights, ace-jack, ace-queen, something like that. Something where you don't want to say, I'm all in. And then it turns out the, uh, the the big stack had woken up with a huge hand and snap calls you and you're crushed. It looked like he just wanted to eliminate the big stack out of the hand if he didn't have anything really good. That's what it looked like to me. At the same time, I said, well, what if this is something odd? What, what if he's trying to entice action here? Which you think he would just flat, but what if he's doing something funny? Do, do I want to risk all my chips here? So I decided no. So what I did was I... Re-raised him. I think he went. At, he made it 21k. I think I made it 42k. Went back to the big stack. He folded. All in was already all in. But in thinks about it, he goes all in. Now I got to decide what I'm going to do. Well, I thought about it, and he had to know that if I am basically five betting all five betting him, that I, I must have something real and he wants to run it out with me all in, I had a feeling jacks were not in very good shape. So I laid him down. And I was correct. Turned over pocket queens. And the short stack had king 10. The pocket queens won. I would have busted. And I continued to live on. But from that hit and from one other hand I lost after that, I was again short stacked. But a stack even shorter than me opened under the gun. I look down and see ace-jack offsuit. I say, okay, well, this guy, he's under the gun. He's running out of chips, paying blinds and annies. He's, you know, he's got it pretty much ship or fold at this point. He could have a lot of different hands. I think ace-jack is good, and even if I lose to him, I'll still have chips. So I go all in. Matt Matros in the small blind goes all in with a lot of chips. And I know I'm in trouble. Other guy calls. Or other guy's already all in. I, you know, I, there's no, nothing to call. Everyone's in. My ace-jack was against the ace-king suited of the under-the-gun short stack and the kings of Matt Matros. Ace-jack against kings against ace-king suited. Not a very good spot to be in. If I get my ace, I lose to the ace-king. If I get my jack, I'm still behind the kings. What the hell can I get to win? Pretty much two jacks are a straight. Flop comes jack high, turn is a jack. <laughs> Matt Matros was pissed. He, he was trying to hold it in, but he was pissed. So I, I didn't quite triple up because the short stack was shorter than I was. I was a semi-short stack, he was a short stack, but I, I much more than doubled up, and I was for once in good shape that day. So you might think, wow, I, I was getting incredible luck here. First, I, I went all in against top set and hit a gut shot straight on the river. Then I get ace-jack in against ace-king suited in kings and win the freaking hand to, to come close to tripling up. Well, you know what was going to happen next. Was I going to go on and win the tournament? Of course not. Maybe if my name was Anthony Zinno, I would, but not me. I can run well, but I can only run well for 
short spurts of time. I knew it was just a, a matter of time. I, I tried to convince myself otherwise. I wasn't engaging in negative thinking. I was actually going, wow, maybe these are signs I'm going to win the whole thing. Maybe I'll tell everyone for years about this ace jack that beat the kings and the ace king and that, and that gut shot I got on the river, and I was all proud of myself. But I knew kind of deep down that something was going to happen. The poker gods were going to punish me for this, and they did. They punished me very, very severely. I got moved to a new table after, again, losing a number of chips. The new table was easier than the previous one. In fact, several people from the previous one made the final table. These were very good players I was up against. With, with, I looked them up later. Some of these guys really had a lot of uh, great success in tough live tournaments. So I was against some really tough players there. So the new table I was put at, I, I wouldn't say it was easy, but it was much easier than the previous one. I felt a lot more comfortable there. Uh, I doubled up with a hand I played very well where I made uh, a one-card flush with the ace of spades and basically tricked the guy into calling my river shove because he thought I was bluffing. I was very proud of myself. I was back to 150K, which was uh, a little bit below average at that point. 40 people left in the tournament. A guy opens... A young guy goes all in over him for 132K. Comes back to me with ace-king suited. Well, obviously, got to do it. At that stage of the tournament, you've got ace-king suited. Uh, You can't lay that down pre. Do an open and an all-in over him. And by the way, the guy who had gone all-in over him, this young guy, he had just done it like two hands before with the same two players. So... Thought about it for a second. Said, "I got to do this. I got to." And by the way, the since the payout structure was so flat in this, you really had to make the top few spots to really make serious money. So that's another thing. I needed chips. I couldn't just sit here, you know, folding, 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 waiting for the nuts. So Ace King suited. I thought looked pretty damn good here. I went all in. Folded around. Original razor folded. The all in kid looked very unhappy as he turned over his king queen suited. Against my ace-king, different suit, of course. But I knew, I just had a feeling this was not going to go the right way for me. I just had a feeling that the beats were going to catch up with me. Flop came king-deuce three, neither of our suits. So we were, I think it was like black king-deuce three. So we were, uh, the suited was now out of it. King was meaningless. All I needed to do was avoid that queen. The turn was a four. Meaningless. The river, a queen of clubs. I wasn't busted, but I was down to 17K. Or 18K, something like that. And eventually got it in, or eventually very quickly got it in with king, queen nine suited against Matt Affleck's pocket fours. And he flopped a set of fours, and I was done. Three outer on the river, a 6.5% chance to hit at that point. I have over 93% chance to win that hand and double up to 300K and be about 50% above average at that point. Instead, I was out in 40th place, feeling kind of weird. Now, I said right when it happened, I didn't get mad. I didn't talk about how sick it was. I said, well, 
This is this is going to happen at some point. I knew it. I I got so lucky with two other all-ins. I knew it had to get me at some point. That's, that's pretty much what I said, and I was right. You know, I wasn't. Uh, I I meant it. Like I I understood. Like I know it doesn't have to be that way. I know previous hands have nothing to do with future hands. I just I just had a feeling it was going to come back and get me. When I saw the ace king against king queen, my thought was I should be thrilled about this, but. I think I'm going to get screwed. <laughs> the power of negative thinking came through. I did get screwed on the river. But I, you know, I couldn't be too pissed because I thought, all right, I shouldn't even be here. I got lucky twice. Got very lucky twice. I didn't get lucky to cash. That I did without any kind of bad beats putting down. But uh, getting as far as I did, I had to get really lucky to win those two all-ins. So I lost that one where I was way ahead. Oh, well. That's part of poker, just like me winning those were out of part of poker. You get lucky, you get really unlucky, same tournament, you can't complain too much. People are asking in the chat, how many queens of clubs were in the deck? Because uh, apparently that's been a problem in Vegas with uh, more than one queen of clubs that were in the deck. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I, Obviously, I am not suspecting that there were more than one, but uh, yeah, it was so weird that of all cards to duplicate, a few days later, it was the Queen of Clubs. I'm like, hmm, the Queen of Clubs of all things. Well, what if there were two of them? I knew there weren't, but just of all cards. So yeah, it was heartbreaking. And yeah, I mean, it, it, obviously, I would have had a long way to go, but I, 300K would have put me in good shape to have a reasonable shot at the final table. I'm not saying I was clinched to the final table. There's 40 people left. But when you've got one and a half times average stack with 40 left, and you've got to make it to the final nine, I, I, I thought my chances were, were fairly good. And I haven't been to a final table of a No Limit World Series event since 2006, where I finished fourth. And that was the only time I ever did it. So I really wanted to make a No Limit final table. And I, to have a No Limit bracelet would have been really nice. Because everyone knows me as a limit player. And then you know, if I want a no-limit bracelet, I say, hey, look, I got a no-limit bracelet. You guys can stop saying, oh, what's this limit player doing here? Like, I, I have a no-limit bracelet, and I was really getting and striking distance of doing it. And that three-hour three hour took it from me. But, I, you know, I talked myself into not being too upset about it. I said I got luckier than I did unlucky. The unlucky happened later when it was more important, but I couldn't have gotten there had I not gotten lucky. But it would have been nice. It was it was disappointing for sure. And for Brandon, it was also very disappointing. And I, I asked Brandon afterwards. I said, Brandon, you came in with a third chip stack, and you just got coolered and beat all over the place, and you were gone very fast. I came in with a average-ish type of stack, a little bit above average, but not way above average, and made it down to 40th, but then took a three-outer to go out, but also had to get lucky to get there. Between the two of us, who do you think should be more frustrated? He said, oh, no, you should be because you you know, you know got within 40 people, and if you won that, you could have been in good shape to maybe win a bracelet. I said, yeah, I know. I know. Sucks, but, yeah, it's poker. That's the way it is. So I have an interesting pattern going on here, which I hope continues. I played four no-limit events this summer at the World Series. First one was the Colossus. I went out fast, didn't ever have any kind of real chips. Second, I played the Millionaire Maker. I got 75% of the field through, but uh, then I went out. 
At best, I had about three and a half times starting stack. Extended play, at best, I had about 12 times starting stack, and I made it through 92.5% of the field and cashed. Fourth, the 50-50 no limit, I had a peak of about 23 times starting stack and made it through 96.5% of the field. So every time I've improved, both in peak stack and in the place I finished. So the last one I'm playing is the main event. So wouldn't that be nice if that follows that pattern? I really hope it does. Of course, it's a much nicer feeling going in that way than the opposite, where you started off doing well and then it went down. Unfortunately, I didn't get very much money for this. So this 40th place out of 1,123 people, I only got $4,275 for a profit of $2,775 on a $1,500 buy-in. So that's kind of pathetic, and it would have been a lot higher had they not given away 36% of the prize pool to the people who usually don't get money. So, yeah, T-Buck is saying, maybe Negreanu would have faded the queen by choice. <laughs> maybe Negreanu could have influenced the cards. Maybe, maybe I should have got to choice center. This queen would not have fallen and beaten me. So, All right. Main event's coming up. And, oh, one more thing about this event. It's interesting. There was a guy named Brandon, not Brandon Drexel Gerson, but his name is Brandon Whitmire. I met him nine years ago through Dustin Neverwin Wolf at a dinner. And Brandon was was a nice guy. In fact, one weird thing he did was he had some kind of fail poker skin on this really small network that I'd never heard of before. I don't remember the name of it, but it's a really small poker network. And he's like, hey, Druff, you know, I'd love for you to play on my network. I'm like, uh, you know, my skin. I was like, you know, I, I, I kind of don't want to join some tiny network. I, I don't know anything about it. No offense. And I kept telling him I didn't want to do it. And he said, how about this? How about I just put some money on there for you? I'm like, no, no, no. I really, I, I don't want this. You know, I don't want to, even if I'm sending you the money, you know, I, I don't even, I just met you. And, you know, I said, no offense. I just don't want to do it. He says, no, you don't understand. I will put the money on there for you, and you don't have to pay me unless you withdraw. So I'm not giving you this money as a gift, but the money, the seed money you're going to play with on there, you're not going to have to pay me it unless you lose it. But uh, it, I'll just put it there for you. And uh, you know, if you lose it, then you can pay me later. And if you win, uh, you know, you can just leave it on there until you're either done with a site or you busted, and then you can pay me back. So he was basically fronting me 5K on there. I was like, oh, okay, fine. So I, I figured if, if the thing was really shady and went down and my and it was just my 5,000 trapped on there, obviously I wouldn't owe that back to him. In fact, I made it clear to him if the, you know, the site goes down or something that, and the network goes down, whatever, if something shady happens, I'm not going to owe him that money. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. So I looked at the site, and it, the games weren't running very often, and I, I just didn't really have an interest to play there. So I just never played there. I had 5K on there that I never deposited. That was his money. And then eventually, I just one day, I found the account gone. <laughs> he never came asking for the money. He must have gotten it back in some way. I never cashed it out, of course. It just the account disappeared. And that was that. I never heard from him again. Uh, I don't know if I've seen him since, but... He was at my day one table, and this is when I was running it up and had the most chips at the table by far. And I had pocket fours, a, a good player to my right, a Dutch guy raised. I flatted, hoping to you know set mine here. Uh, Brandon Whitmire there, he 
made a fairly big raise to where I could tell he must have had an overpair or ace-king. And he was a solid player, Brandon. He wasn't a hyper-aggro guy. Dutch guy folded. I called his raise. I had enough chips to do so, to take shots at these type of hands and see if I could flop a set of fours. So what did I do? I flopped a set of fours. Jack 7-4 was the flop with two clubs. He didn't have that many chips. I mean, he wasn't super short stack, but he didn't have that many. I figured if he bet it, I could probably get him to call off an overpair, thinking that I may have a jack or a flush draw. So I was waiting for him to bet, and I was going to check-raise them all in, and I was figuring he's probably calling, unless he missed it with ace-king or something. I check, he checks. I'm thinking, ah, crap, he's got ace-king. He doesn't want to waste anymore. So the turn was uh, some kind of blank, lower than the jack. So I bet into him, didn't go all in. I bet into him, and he called. And I thought, okay, he's probably chasing, yeah, who knows what now. Yeah, maybe he uh, he has pocket tens and wants to see what I'm going to do. River was the eight of clubs, which I wasn't thrilled about, you know, in case he had clubs or a pocket eights. But I would have thought he would have bet the flop if he had clubs. And pocket eights, if he has it, he has it. So I went all in. He didn't snap call me. Obviously, that means I'm ahead. So now it's a matter of does he call me and bust? I had way more chips than he did. So does he call with what is clearly a worse hand than my set of fours and bust? He thinks and thinks and thinks and thinks. Finally, he reveals that he has pocket kings. He says it out loud. Doesn't matter because I've already gone all in. He says, Todd, it's been years since I've played with you. I think maybe I confused you with my check behind on the flop when I had kings, which he did. I mean, I didn't put him on kings there for sure. And he says, I'm, a, I'm afraid that you are going all in with worse than this, something like ace-jack, or maybe you're just bluffing me, but I don't know. Unless you've gone off the deep end, Todd, in the last few years since I've, in the last years since I've known you, I don't think you're going all in with worse than kings here. And he folded the king's face up. Well, just in case you're giving him credit for an amazing soul read, afterwards he was very upset about it and thought he made the wrong decision. In fact, the Dutch guy to my right was needling him that he thought he made the wrong decision. He's like, ah, yeah, I, you know, I, I think I did the wrong, I, I think I was right with those kings. The Dutch guy's like, oh, no, no, you got played there, man. No, no, he didn't have it. He, like, so the, <laughs> and I think the Dutch guy really meant that. I don't think he was screwing with him. So uh, Brandon was so upset for the rest of the day. I, it was, he was constantly talking about it, constantly asking me to tell him what I had, and not so much to read my strategy, but because he, he couldn't live with himself for laying down those kings. I finally shut him up by telling him at the end of the day, I'll let you know what I had. Either if you bust, or if I bust, or we both make it to the end of the day, I'll tell you. So we get to the end of the day, I told him, and he was relieved. He was truly relieved. So this wasn't one of these things where he was confident that he made the right move and had read my soul. Now he was he, he made a move that he wasn't sure about and then was regretting it. Well, how do you think he feels about that move now? Brandon Whitmire ended up winning event number fifty-five. I'll give him credit. Most players with the stack he had would have busted against my fours there. I mean, very few would not have busted on that hand. 
He did a good job not busting there. Now, depending upon what I had, he also could have let me get there cheaply. I happened to have flopped a set, and he got out cheaply, but he also could have let me get there cheaply with a flush draw or pocket eights or something like that. But So on one hand, he didn't really protect much, but I guess he thought the jack 7-4-2 clubs board wasn't that scary for his Red Kings. I, I wouldn't have played it the way he did, but it saved him, and he ended up winning the whole thing. It's amazing how poker goes sometimes. This wasn't a matter of like, oh man, if he hadn't bad beat me, he wouldn't have won the tournament. This is, if he hadn't made a very tough and good decision to not call an all-in that would have busted him, he would not have won the tournament. So I was pretty amazed by that. I, if I see him around, I'll ask him what he thinks now. <laughs> He's, uh, he won his only bracelet when he could have busted day one very easily with a tough decision. I, I don't begrudge him for winning, though. I, I think he's a nice guy. I enjoyed having him at the table. Never had a problem with the guy. He's from Chicago. I think he lives in Vegas now. So good, you know. There were some people I didn't like very much in that tournament at my tables. Just were kind of obnoxious and arrogant. I even had some kind of needling me. One of these Indian guys I played with needled me after I folded twice to his all-ins in a short time. And he has the nerve to needle me about it, asking why I'm taking so long to decide. Like, just just shut up and collect your chips. But but Brandon Whitmire was always very nice at the table, and uh, even though I don't think he won a single hand against me when we played on day one and day two, he ended up winning the event, so very good. Got some text here at 775-372-8355, then we'll move on to my... Non-Todd World Series of Poker News. Actually, I have one more thing, but maybe I'll skip past that and talk about that after. From the 410 area, from uh, Scott from the East Coast. Hey, Todd, I posted on the site about a problem in Vegas. Can I call in? I just got written up at work over it. Wow. He, he works at uh, a Caesars property, by the way. Yeah, sure, call in. And By the way, I, I already gave the birthday shout-out for Hot Like Sauce. He said, Sauce, keep us posted next time you're on your on Dr. Phil from SMI, Florida. So, yeah, I, I gave this shout-out at the beginning of the show. Got a text about that again. And uh, th- this is from this guy is what? I'm calling in tonight. I have a lot to say. I just read the forum for the first time since the last show. I see these clowns have slandered my name all over the fourth fl- my fourth-place finish in the free roll. I didn't even know I won five until now. I never sought to claim this money. I'm not a free roll whore. This much is clear. I want this cleared up on the radio show. I also hope to speak to Hockey Guy and see just how tough he really is. I sense he's really a pussy. When's a good time for me to call and make a statement? You can call, but I think you just made your statement. I don't believe you're a free roll whore. People like to say that just to irritate the new users here, but I don't think so. I, I know you're really participating in the site, and I know that you weren't playing the free roll just to make the money. You, you've been around not too long, but you've been around. You seem to have interest in the site, and that's all I care about. I only care that people are not just showing up for the free roll and nothing else. And it is true he hasn't made an attempt to collect his whopping $5. So that was from this guy as what from the 412 area. I don't think that hockey guy is a pussy, like he says, but 
I also don't think this guy is what is a free roll whore. Hmm. We actually have pretty good ratings tonight. I just look at the ratings tonight. They're actually pretty good. Not as good as last week, but uh, pretty good, especially considering Brandon hasn't called in yet. He's going to call in soon, by the way. I got a text from him. So, now what the hell? I'll talk about my last story, my last personal story. As you heard last week, I had a cold that popped up during the dinner break of day one of the extended play no limit event. Despite that, I managed to power through it and cash there in that event. That cold stayed with me as I played the 10K limit event a few days later. And it uh, it stayed with me as I was starting the 50-50 event, the one I just described where I finished 40th. However, during the early portions of the 50-50 event, something weird happened. Uh, I started noticing new cold symptoms I didn't have before. Or ones that should have shown up at the beginning, not at the end, not after I had the cold for a week. It felt like the cold was starting all over again. I was getting body aches. I was getting a, a weird kind of cough that wasn't like an after-effect cough. It was kind of like a new cough that was unrelated to what I had going on before. Uh, I, I got new fatigue I didn't have before. It was weird. It was like the whole thing reset itself and was restarting. And that, the cold can't do that. Then I realized what was happening. I actually had a second cold on top of the first cold. The first cold didn't even come from the World Series. It came from home. I think I caught it from Benjamin the previous week. I still had it. It wasn't gone yet. It was still very much present. But uh, the early symptoms of it had faded and gone away. And a second cold showed up on top of the first cold, which clearly had not gone away. Because the day before, I I still very much had uh, symptoms of the previous cold that were not even close to being gone. And I'd never had that before. I've had it where one cold goes away and immediately another one comes. That's called back-to-back colds. I've never had two colds, one on top of the other. Actually, two colds at once. So I looked it up on the internet, and I learned something interesting that I did not know. That prior to 2009, it was believed that you cannot catch two colds at once. That's just not possible. Well, it turns out not only is it possible, according to studies that were done, but you can actually catch two colds at once, and the two colds will combine together and create a new strain of cold. (laughs) There are 99 strains of the rhinovirus, which is the main virus responsible for the common cold. Only 99. Two colds at once is very unusual. It happens, but it's very uncommon. That's why I've never had it before in my life until this World Series. When it does happen... Your body will combine the two colds in a process called recombination. You can Google that, recombination. And it will mutate that way by basically both of those strains combining to be a different strain. And the cold that you transmit to others will be a new strain that has never been seen before. Now, you might wonder, how come we only have 99 strains if that's true? In fact, by the way, this is what's believed to mutate the cold. This is this is how the colds keep mutating. You might wonder, why is there only 99? Why are there not many thousands of them when others in the world get two colds at once, even if it's uncommon? Well, the problem is the cold has to propagate. For example, 
even if I've created a new cold virus in my body, which I, I probably did, uh, if I don't transmit it to anyone, let's say I stayed away from everyone after this happened, then that would be gone. It would be it. It would be gone, and, and the cold virus can only live outside the body for a very short time. So once I stopped being contagious, then it would be gone. It could, it could not become the 100th strain because it wouldn't go anywhere. And most people who catch colds just don't transmit it enough to propagate repeatedly around the world or even in an area. It just can't because the cold virus dies quickly when outside the body and you're only contagious for a few days. So unless you give it to a whole lot of people, eventually it will die out and it will stop transmitting. So for a 100th strain of the rhinovirus to occur, someone has to have two colds at once, which I did. They have to then transmit it to a very large group of people of which that group of people then returns to other places in the country and world where they live and then transmit it in those areas. That's really the only way that this could happen. But I can't think of a place where there's many thousands of people at once all touching the same things and then going back home to their respective places of origin and taking the colds with them that they have caught. I cannot think of any place like that where I have been this summer. Can you? No. I can't think of anywhere that I could have been that would have, this would have happened. So I am confident that I have not created the hundredth strain of rhinovirus. I am confident that I have not given this to hundreds or thousands of people touching my chips at the World Series I'm confident that they are not taking it back home to where they came from. I'm confident that they are not transmitting it to the people that they come into contact with where they live and on the way back home. I'm confident we will not find out about a hundredth strain of rhinovirus that has been discovered. I'm confident I will not be to blame for this. Hmm. Okay, maybe not that confident. Kind of a perfect storm. A new strain of rhinovirus created in my body at the World Series. So if you you read about 100 strains next year instead of 99, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I was already in the event. I couldn't couldn't unregister or quit. I couldn't just stand up and let myself blind off. I'm sorry. I'm I'm trying to win money here. I've got investors to worry about. I, I can't leave. I've got to infect everyone. I'm sorry. It's too late. You'll be glad to know I didn't play anything since then. And at this point, while I still have symptoms of the double cold, it's uh, it's on its way out, and I doubt I'm contagious anymore. So I think for the main event, it'll be fine, but... <laughs> of all things, creating a new rhinovirus. I'm not exaggerating here, by the way. Go Go read about it. This is really how they mutate. This is really what happens when you get two colds at once. All right, so the main event is coming. Where the hell is Brandon? Where is Brandon? Let's see if he texted me. He said, call in a bit. I don't know if he meant that he's going to call me in a bit. Or if he wants me to call him in a bit. I am going to take this as me calling him in a bit. And if he gets angry, so be it. 
I got to put him on at this point. Just got to do it. So, Brandon, I'm going to call you up and see if you answer your phone. Uh, why isn't this working? This is not good. Skype. <laughs> this is weird. It's like calling him is crashing. Here we go. Skype like froze up on me. You gotta be ready to snap hang up on him here. So if, if it, uh, it's gonna announce his phone number. Brandon. Yep. We lost him. Let's try back. He just like picked up and hung up. I hope he's not trying to say, stop bothering me. We're calling back anyway. We're not giving up on this. Go for Brandon. Brandon, hello. Hey, how you doing, buddy? So when you said call in a bit, did you mean you're going to call in a bit or I should call you in a bit? Oh, no, I said I was going to call you. I'm at the, the lovely Rio Casino and Hotel right now as we speak. I'm actually just about to walk to my car. My uh, friend... Took a couple bad beats, and it happens in any form of limit poker. I got you in any poker, but uh, you had a ton of chips. Uh oh, you're cutting out, Brandon. Now we lost him. Huh, well, that was nice. I, I guess I can tell the story here about uh, what Brandon was doing there. Brandon staked someone, which he doesn't usually do, but he staked a very good player in the stud tournament who is very good at poker but very bad with money. And the guy had a whole lot of chips. I'm not going to say who it is, and Brandon doesn't want me to reveal the guy's name, and I won't. But the guy had a ton of chips, and Brandon had a large piece of him, a very large piece of him. So, in fact, Brandon, if he had not staked this guy, this guy could not play. This guy chunked off the money he brought to the World Series to play the tournaments with degenerate gambling. And then he went to Brandon, duh, Brandon, can you help me out? I, I kind of blew all the money I brought to play the World Series events, and I really want to play that stud event. So Brandon, knowing him to be a great stud player, said, all righty, and, uh, and put him in. And uh, Brandon did end up making money. The guy cashed. But the guy was pretty high in chips at the time he cashed, but then took some beats and... Uh, I think he's probably out. I'm not sure if he's out or if he'll be out very soon, but it's no longer looking nearly as promising as it did at one point. But when it was looking very promising, Brandon hightailed it down there because he didn't want this degenerate, who's never cheated him before or anything, but just he didn't want the guy to have the temptation to get a large sum of money that was mostly belonging to Brandon and then shoot it off in some way. So Brandon had to be there to collect from him. So that's why he's down there. That was the, uh, the poker emergency, so to speak. And I, I don't blame him. I mean, I would have done the same thing, you know, radio or no radio. If someone you've put in is, uh, is, is you know, so deep and looks like they may really hit something big, then you've got to be there to collect the money. You can't just trust them to go bring it to you when they have a bad gambling problem. So that's, that's why Brandon is down at the Rio right now birding that event. Again, I can't say who it is, 
Can't reveal that uh, secret information. But that's why Brandon's not on the show tonight, but will be in a little bit. We'll try to call him back. Uh, and what the hell, I'll try one more time. Yeah, Jay Staff saying Drexel pulling a Malmuth trying to collect his winnings from his staked player. Not quite the same thing because Malmuth's collecting a court judgment, but yeah, kind of. Uh oh. Oh, that's the wrong number. I, was, I thought I was calling Brandon. I was calling some guy who called into the show accidentally. Sorry about that. Whoever you are in the 734 area code, I didn't mean to call you. I woke you up. I'm sorry. Hey there. Hey, hey. So, yeah, There's I still kind of fail. Yeah, well, I know, kind of, I thought it was on your end, but I, I told the uh, the people in the meantime why you were down there. I didn't name the individual involved, but I told them why you were down there. Okay. Yeah. I, listen, I'm about to, I'm in, I'm in the rear right now. I just stopped at Starbucks. Sit for a second. Go into my car. I will call you from the car in about 15, 20 minutes. All right. I'm very good. Okay? Talk to you later. Okay. All, All right. right. So Brandon coming in about 15 or 20 minutes to the show. Let's uh, move on to a num- another uh, topic here. Let's see what we got here. Let's see what we got. By the way, it's not... Uh, Someone in the chat room is saying his name is T.J. Cloutier. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's not T.J. Cloutier. Okay, so uh, Poker Fraud Alert listener Kevin McPhee won his first bracelet. I think it was in the 2500 No Limit event. Uh, congratulations to him. I met him at the end of May here at the World Series. He came up to me, said hello in the parking lot. Fortunately, he did not stab me or shoot me. And... Uh, he was very happy. He was from Idaho. This is his first bracelet. He's been a poker pro for a while. He's, I think, 34 years old. Dated Liv Bori and called her out on Twitter after Liv dumped him and I think moved on to another guy. But I, I felt bad for him there. It wasn't like Matt Marafiati who was doing it to be mean to Lauren Kling. This is, it looked like Kevin had a legitimate gripe that Liv was kind of just using him. But we won't even cover that. That's a few years old. But what's current is that Kevin McPhee won a bracelet. I think it was on Saturday he won. And I think they told him, you know, they do a bracelet ceremony the next day. Now, let me tell you about these bracelet ceremonies. They didn't do one for me when I won 10 years ago, but I'm not sorry about that because they're very stupid and awkward. Uh, What it used to be, they used to be really torturous. What they would do is at 2 o'clock, they would hold up whatever events were going on. And everyone had to stop and watch this ceremony. It was usually right after the first break of the 12 o'clock event. So they started at 2.20. And they would give the details of the person that won, give them the bracelet. They wouldn't make any kind of speech. And then they would play the national anthem of whatever country they were from. Now, at first, this was so stupid, they were, they were playing the national anthem over and over and over for the same country. So, like, if, if there were three bracelet ceremonies and each person was from the U.S., you'd hear the American national anthem three times. Well, eventually they realized how stupid that was, and they would combine the national anthems. 
Then what they would do is, uh, I, I believe they were only playing the national anthem if it was a if it was won by someone from a country that hasn't won yet. So you didn't have to hear the American national anthem every single day. And it, it was so stupid too because, like, okay, I'm from the U.S. I like to think of myself as uh, a fairly patriotic guy, but I don't feel patriotic when I'm in a poker room and they play a recorded version of the national anthem. It's not like when I'm in Dodger Stadium and a singer is there belting out the national anthem while we're all standing with our hats off at the beginning of the game. We just want to get back to playing poker, and we don't want to hear a recording of the national anthem just because someone from America, which is most of the field, won a bracelet. It's not exciting when the vast majority of the field are Americans and an American wins a bracelet. I don't go, oh, wow, USA, 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 just because an American won a bracelet in a field full of mostly Americans. So when they do have a new country that wins, they still play the national anthem of that country, which I I still think is dumb. You're not representing your country. You're an individual. So there's no, why are they doing that? So I, I think the bracelet events are, are kind of foolish, but nevertheless, if they're going to have one and you're invited to be the honoree there as the bracelet winner, you expect it to take place. So Kevin McPhee, they usually do this the day after the person wins. So they told Kevin, sorry, we can't do it tomorrow, Sunday, because there's going to be two bracelet ceremonies already from other events that finish before yours. So we kind of have a backlog. So uh, would you mind if we move it to the next day, Monday? And Kevin's like, oh, okay, I, I guess, yeah, sure. So they told Kevin, okay, well, we will move your ceremony to Monday, so let your friends and family know if they want to be there, it's Monday, not Sunday. So he said, okay. So he didn't show up for the bracelet event on su- the bracelet uh, ceremony on Sunday because he wasn't part of it. On Monday at 2.20, Kevin McPhee was standing there in the audience waiting for them to call him up. His friends who were in that event that day sat out and blinded out of their tournaments so they could watch him receive his bracelet. Kevin almost called his parents from Idaho to fly down and watch him in the bracelet ceremony, but he just decided it would be too much trouble to have them come all that way just to see him in a bracelet ceremony. So he didn't tell them. And it's a good thing. Why? Because they did the first bracelet ceremony of Monday and then when it came time to do the second one for Kevin, Jack Effel said, Thank you very much, everybody. Good luck and shuffle up and deal. <laughs> yeah, they forgot Kevin McPhee's bracelet ceremony. They asked him to wait a day, one extra day for it. He says, no problem. I'll be there on Monday. Then on Monday, he shows up for it, and they forget to do it. And his friends are like, what the hell? Why? What did we just blind out for? <laughs> what What were we waiting for here? Why did we do that? Like, they, they couldn't understand it. I, I guess they weren't in that tournament. I guess they were in day two of some other tournaments that didn't stop for this. They, they only stopped the, the tournament of, the, of that same day. But he said his friends were blinding out of it, of whatever they were in, and came over to watch him. And that he almost had his family come down to watch a bracelet ceremony that didn't take place. He's waiting for them to call him up there to receive his bracelet, and he does not. Not only that, they're still holding his bracelet, because what happens is uh, when you win the bracelet, they give it to you temporarily, and then they take it back so they can re-award it to you at the ceremony. So they're, they're still holding his bracelet. So he feels so weird. He won his bracelet two days ago. He doesn't have it, and they don't do the ceremony when they tell him they're going to do it. He's just standing there holding his dick. 
So he was really pissed. He went to Twitter about this, and uh, apparently someone at the World Series came to him and said, oh, uh, yeah, sorry about that. We, uh, we forgot about you. But, uh, you know, we can do it another day if you'd like. <laughs> so I don't know if he ever did it, but uh, sorry about that, Kevin. Not sorry for me. I didn't do anything, but sorry this happened to you. Uh, it pissed me off, too. Like, I don't even care about the bracelet ceremony. If they told me we're just not going to have one, I'd say no big deal. I'd say fine. Even if they told me, hey, Todd, we can't fit in your bracelet ceremony. You know, it's just too many. We're just going to skip yours. I, I think that's a little bit weird, but I'd, I'd accept it because I, I'm not attached to the bracelet ceremony. I, I just think it's really crappy to, <laughs> to forget the bracelet ceremony, to, to, to ask someone to wait another day and then forget to do it. That's pretty obnoxious. It's pretty bad. So the main event's coming up. Last year at the main event, not only did I have two tough tables, my starting table and my next table, I got two very tough tables for day one standards, but boy, every hand was a tough spot. I flopped top two pair. I've got someone who's very tight going all in on me. What do you do? What do you do? do you, know, you know you're probably against bottom set. Do you call it? I have top pair with ace-queen, like queen-deuce-deuce board, someone goes all in when he was showing strength pre-flop. So you have kings. I had so many tough spots, one tough spot after another. I had more tough spots in the first day last year than I had in all six days when I made it to 88th. I'm not even exaggerating. I had one tough spot after another, and eventually it graded down on me. It, 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 It eroded away my decision-making, my good decision-making, and eventually I made a bad fold to what should have been, to me, an obvious all-in that was a bluff that I would have called with a set, with a flush on the board, any other time, because it played like it was a bluff. From a loose player, by the way. But I laid it down, and he showed me a bluff. Then I ended up busting with top two against bottom set. For the second time in like an hour. First time I folded to top two, what I thought was against bottom set, and then I busted against top two, which against something that was bottom set. So I had a very hard time in that tournament, but uh, I posted some hands last year when it happened. Some of them were just coolers that were unfortunate that I couldn't do anything about, but other ones... I was playing the wrong way. I was playing them too much like a limit player. And I realized that I had degraded my no limit skill last year from previous main events where I was playing them much better. It was kind of a weird combination of playing too scared and also of putting my chips in uh, too freely when I was behind or very very possibly behind and not creating a situation enough where I can build big pots when I have a monster. So I did a lot of things wrong. I mangled a lot of hands. I, I kind of embarrassed myself when I posted all the hands. I, I should have just kept quiet, but I was kind of just so tilted about it. I wanted to hear people's opinions, and then you know, a lot of them criticized the play I did. So, uh, And then I looked back and said, yeah, I, I, I messed up some of these. And I also realized I messed up some of them because I just had so many hands in the short time that were so tough. 
But uh, what I'm going to do differently this year is, first of all, I'm not going to I'm going to review those hands. I'm not going to make the same mistakes I did. I know the same hands are not going to come up, obviously, but I'm not going to make the same mistakes. I, I thought that uh, for the most part, the no limit events I played this time around, I made much better decisions for the most part. And um, I was also a lot better at extracting chips out of people when I flopped a big hand or when I hit a big hand on the Turner River than in last year's main event where I had a hard time doing that too. So I, I've thought about it more. I've come up with, with better strategies into making it look like I'm weak when I'm actually strong um, and how to, you know, when it's appropriate just to look strong from the start if I believe my opponent is too and just get all the chips in so they don't have the opportunity to make a big laydown. Uh, and, and also, just to stop, even no matter what I'm going through, to stop and carefully evaluate the situation before I act. So like last year where I made the bad lay down with a set to what I thought was a flush and wasn't. That to stop and look realistically, what do you think the guy has? And if my gut feeling says that I'm ahead, don't fold. And if, if I've been stressed with a lot of beats or a lot of tough hands, then, then just take a moment, take a breath, and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to think about this just rationally. I'm going to put this aside and say, if I'm watching this from the outside, what would it look like to me? In 2011, 2012, and 2013, I thought I played the, played the, event, I played the main event pretty well. In 2012, I made a bad call with aces on a bad board and busted that way. But up, up till that point, I played well. 2013, I played the whole thing well, and I ran into a very bad cooler with Ace-King against Aces when I had uh, really done a great job kind of seeing the ball, seeing where my opponents were at all times and just losing the minimum every time. It was amazing how many times I ran into big hands and with decent hands myself and got out of it. Uh, 2011, stretched it very far considering the cards I got. 2010, made it to 88th with... Pretty much a short stack the whole way. I just didn't play well last year. But, uh, you know, I've, I've run... The good thing this year is that because I've run deep a number of times already in no-limit events, I've played a long time, two, two long day twos, one very long day one. I, I've already got the whole, like... I mean, the extended play no-limit, that was a slow-moving event, much like the main event is. Not quite the same, but I, I've already gotten used to these slower-moving events, playing multiple days. I've just done it. I've managed to get pretty deep. So I think I'm ready for it now. And hopefully this time I get a better table draw. The other years I got good table draws. This Last year I did not. I got two bad ones last year. Last year also broke broke my streak of four years of making day three or later. It broke my streak of four years of making it past eighty percent of the field. I think I think eighty two percent or more of the field I made all four years. I only cashed once of those four though. This year, of course, there are more people cashing. One thousand are cashing out of what will probably be like sixty five hundred or so entrants. 
So that will help me, I think, because I've noticed between the 20% mark and 10% mark of the field left, it gets so much harder. The players are just so much better in the main event. So I think now having a min cash starting at place number 1,000 will help me, provided it's anything like years 11, 12, and 13. Uh, I would have cashed two of those three years with 1,000 people paying in 11, 12, and 13. But I didn't cash any of them because they were not paying 1,000 people. So 1,000 people being paid this year, I'm happy to see that. Of course, knowing my luck, I will probably make it deep and then be mad that I'm getting a lesser payout for 1,000 places paying. But if that happens, so be it. I'll just be happy to make it deep in the World Series main event. So ready to cash again, ready to see it happen. Five years ago, finished 88th place. Brandon Drexel-Gerson playing as well, looking to avenge his uh, series of coolers and beats that robbed him of a big stack in the 50-50 event number 55. I don't know when Brandon's playing, but I am playing on Monday at noon. Day 1B, I've already bought in. Let's take a look at the chat room. Is the main event MinCash at least 10K, or is it like the 50-50 where after, at the beginning you're getting less? I don't know, but I have to imagine you're at least getting your money back plus some. That would suck if the the cash is not really making money. But I don't know. What's with the knocking and door slams? I, I don't know. I don't hear any knocking or door slams. Is it this you're talking about? Is that what you're talking about? I mean, it's not very loud. I have this thing on like plastic that have been kind of popping a little bit, but I, I didn't think you guys could even hear that. Or is it this? And that's my knee banging against the desk the computer's on. JSTAT saying California and U.S. income tax will wipe out over 50% of your main events winnings over 250K. Yeah, that's kind of uh, depressing. Uh, Willie McFML posting an interesting article from Poker News I hadn't seen yet. Uh, or actually, no, it's, it's not just an article about what they're doing. I thought it was a strategy article about what you should do with a different payout scale. But he is posting the way it's going to work for the first thousand. And yeah, I guess the they're going to pay 15,000. So you're going to make 50% of your buy-in above your getting your buy-in back. If you finish, uh, in the spots where you're like a thousand down to around 10% of the field. Someone texting me, there's no door slams in the background. I think it's in Lou father's house. I think Lou father's getting door slammed in his house and he's blaming it on me. So it's an interesting article on poker news about how they're going to change the payouts. So they were taking the identical field that occurred in 2014 and said if they had the exact same field in 2015, how it would differ. So like first place would go from 10 million to 8 million. Second place would go from 5.1 million to 4.6 million. 10th through 12th place, 550,000 instead of 565, pretty similar. And uh, they're showing that uh, like 478th place through 549th place would go from 22.6 to 20,800. So it's not that much of a difference. It's a decline 
for the other spots, but not a huge one, except for the first place going from ten million to eight million if we get the exact same field. So I actually like it better. And I think it's better for the rec players because the recreational players do care about min caching. Yeah, they're excited about a $10 million prize, but they're also excited about an $8 million prize. And a recreational player to come home and say, I cashed in the main event and I'm $5,000 richer, that's, that's a big thing to them. It's not like cashing in one of these smaller events where they've made a few hundred bucks or they've made a thousand bucks. Here they're making 5,000 bucks and they've cashed in the main event. I can tell you on the main event bubble, everyone is terrified. At least the rec players are. So the rec players are not shoving in on the bubble saying, oh man, I got to win this thing. I got to win the 8 million. No, they're, they're trying to survive and min cash. So more people min cashing is better for poker, leaves rec players happier, and the rec players are more likely to then go play other things, including within the casino, and also the poker cash games, of course, and lose it back. Top Top in the chat asking, do seven-star members get comped at Nobu Hotel and Caesars? No, we do not. You can get comp based on your play, but no, you don't get auto-comped to that hotel. And that's because it's technically considered a tower in Caesars. It's like a luxury room at Caesars the way they see it, so they don't automatically give it to you. Uh... I don't qualify, by the way. I do not qualify for... I couldn't stay in the Nobu Hotel for free. I never have. I probably never will, because I'm not going to pay for it. Let's take a call from Brandon Drexel Gerson. Hello. Hey, I've been trying to call for like 20 minutes, but no one answers. I don't know what happened. I didn't see it till now. What is it? It's 702 LOL Buck, right? <laughs> I'm just leaving the Rio. You know, apparently you've left your mark here, my friend. Uh oh, is there a hundredth <laughs> is there a hundredth strain of cold now over there? A bunch of Asians and uh they all had those little masks on. I said, Asian bird flu and they say no, uh shoe cold and I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean it, 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 Yeah. Well it's it's happened. The the hundredth strain of the rhinovirus has unleashed itself at the Rio, and it's it's going to spread around the world. It's going to get to Asia. It, it's not going to be ninety nine anymore. Well, you know, rumor has it though you may uh, you may get banned for having the common cold in the Rio. I mean, of course, you can run an unlicensed gaming corporation against another failed site, and, and you know <laughs> play there. But you get two strains of a cold drop, no main event for you, buddy. No, I mean, it's, it's serious business there it's, uh, to create a new strain of cold when there's only 99 in the world. Uh, to create a new strain at the Rio, that makes the World Series look pretty bad. So I understand that. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, someone's saying I should wear masks in the future. I think it would just scare people more. So, okay, so, Brandon, I'm glad to have you on the show here. Uh, when, your friend, uh, I guess he cashed, but not too big? No, I mean, uh, he, I'm not, I don't want to give away just, you know, names or anything. Yeah, yeah. He's not a, a known poker player. Uh, finished in the low 40s, he had uh, a, maybe half over average, and then as you know in these limit tournaments, all it takes is two two pots to showdown. Yep. And you can go from a huge stack to you know being crippled. That's exactly what happened. And especially the event that uh, we're talking about, it was stud eight or better. So there's obviously an extra street versus you know hold'em. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, he gave it a hell of a run. I mean, I had, I played the event yesterday. I lasted four levels. Uh, I came there with actually a, a, a group of friends. A genie played in it. Um, Karina Jet was in it. Uh, a, a friend of mine, I think he posts on PFN or Matos. Or oh, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I know him, yeah. Yeah, he played in it, and nobody made it past, like, level four or five. Jeez. Um, then there were a couple other friends, yeah. But, I mean, it, it you know, it, it just, it start with 7,500 chips. By level three, the betting was 200, 400. Um, you know, it's in high street, so, it, you know, you don't have a lot of a lot of wiggle room if you start running a lucky, you know, right off the bat. But, uh, fortunately, enough, the one person I actually staked the entire summer is, First person, uh, I don't, I'm like you. I don't really think uh, staking is profitable. But this person, literally, this friend of mine, this is literally the only game that he knows how to play. Which is really weird. Like he's not a holding player. He's not a Portland Omaha player. He's a stud eight or better uh, expert. And uh, he finished in the low 40s out of 500, and uh, I don't know 580, I think 590. So. You know, he made the second the second pay jump. Hmm. Paid fifty eight spots or something. So anyway, I went down to the Rio. Um, because I don't want to get Chino reamed. He's I mean, he's a good friend of mine. Uh actually he knows who you are. He said, Oh, you're doing a radio with Todd Whittles tonight. <laughs> and, you know. That's that's the most common way people say your name. I'm yeah, sure I know. you know that. I know. And then of course I corrected him and uh you know, he knows who you are and you know, he didn't know the whole story. He's like, Oh, how's Neverwind? Is he still on the show? I'm like, No, that's uh <laughs> Five doing whippets with uh, Asian Jen, um, but uh, so anyhow, I'm in the car now. I just left the Rio. They got uh, 2,200 or 2,300 people for the last official racial event, Flight One, the 777, and then uh, that was at 10 a.m. this morning, and that flight's already over. Then the 7 p.m. flight um, this evening had 1,200 and change in it. And there were still like two, three hours left of registration. So they had somewhere around 3,500 people. Um, and the Suicide King's mom, or, or, or step, or not, uh, what is she, uh, the mother-in-law, uh, she's top 10 in chips. Um, <laughs> 5,000 in chips. And by level four, she already had 150,000. Um, she just gets that, you know, stats and, and aces and, you know, flops, flushes and stuff. But, uh, and then other than that, Update from the Rio, the uh, $10,000 dealer's choice started at 4 p.m. today. And then the last official uh, starting of a bracelet event was at 777 at 7. Then tomorrow at, uh, I'm not sure which day. It's really going to be weird. It's the first day off, more or less, that any event isn't going to start since the World Series. Uh, the only event that's going to take place besides events that are finishing up um, is the online championship, the $1,000 event that, uh, I don't know, I was actually going to ask you if you thought that was a fail in terms of the amount of people they got, but the final six are going to meet tomorrow at 2 o'clock. And as of this morning, I haven't checked, they haven't announced the names. So I, didn't, I don't know if they have yet or not. So we don't really know if anyone's a known flow or, you know, known online grinder. Um there's none of the names are actually the, the person's real names. So how many people? Ha, was, ha, hang on. So how many uh, got uh, entered the event, the online bracelet event? A little over a thousand. Yeah, that's a fail. 
Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought you'd say. I kind of thought so too. You know, I thought it would. Uh, I thought it would be. And the other thing that was amazing to me, and I don't know if they did this purposely or if it was a real fail, but the event started at noon. Late registration was for, uh, until three o'clock yesterday, and by eight o'clock at night, they already had the, the final six. What? I mean, the Sunday Million is longer than that. It took them. It took them less than eight hours. Wow! Get, I mean, it was a basically a turbo. Wow! I can't I mean, believe that. What, that. That's shocking to me. It was done yesterday. I, I mean, it could have been earlier. When I busted, uh, or actually right before I busted the uh, stunt eight, it was like maybe seven forty-five or so. When I looked at the updates, and they already had their the final six. Uh, they already had the final table; had already been completed. So is that really possible? That, is that really possible that they took? Uh, so, so uh, T Buck is saying they only had tw- ten to twenty minute blind levels. That's crazy. How can they go eight was, hours was, to make the final minute, table? It was, it was twenty minute blind levels. What a fail. Okay, and and this is a thousand dollar tournament. It wasn't even announced as a, as a turbo. Um, thousand thousand dollar buy-in, twenty minute blind levels. And when I checked yesterday around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, um, which was two hours in, it was already 200, 400 with a 50 ante. And you started, now in all fairness, uh, I don't even know if this is in all fairness, but you started with 10,000 chips. It wasn't a normal World Series, you know, if it's less than 10K, multiply it by five. You started with 10,000 chi- 10, chips, but it didn't matter because the blinds just went up so fast. They were going up. I don't remember. Sunday millions. How often did they go up? Was it twenty minutes or thirty? Um, I, what on this? Uh, I don't know the online event. I, I don't know the structure. But uh, I'm saying Sunday million. Oh, Sunday million. Sunday I don't million. know. I, I hear. I hardly played that, so I don't know. But uh, but I can't believe okay. that that uh, that they would. Oh yeah, they did. Uh, T Buck is mentioning too that they they sent an email. That said, the event started at three, and then they sent an emergency email saying, "Whoops, we messed up." It actually starts at noon. I remember that. I got I got that email too. But I don't know why on the actual structure sheet it says noon. The yeah. sheet that I've had the whole summer it said noon. So it, I don't know what. It, but it did start at noon. They just they screwed up in the first email about it. But it, it's crazy okay. that in in why would they make it go so fast when it's they don't even need to employ dealers an online event. Uh, they they can have it go slower and well, it really just runs itself. It could have it could have easily, and of course, just as cost effective in a three day event where people actually are like the stars high roller like five k and ten k tournaments used to be on stars where they were you know two day events, but you know they were they were long lasting actually sometimes three day events. But like I said, at least seven and a half hours in maybe earlier because that's what I saw. They already were at the final six from over a thousand people, which was amazing to me. That is to me. I mean, their tournaments—they have—they have twenty. This is just to put in perspective. They have on the WSOP. I, I don't know. I think three or four times a day. They have what stars used to have. They have these twenty-five dollar free rolls every day, and I think first place usually gets like four dollars or something like that. And then there's four of them a day. The ones that. Uh, and I've never played in one, but you know, there are people that, you know, just kind of like a net 15 or I don't know. Who are the other famous people that claim they built their money up when they were underage just by free rolling? I know a net 15 was one I, of them. I don't know who did that, <laughs> uh, but besides a net, I know uh, Tommy Boy, he wasn't underage, but he ran up 
fifty dollar a fifty dollar uh, deposit yeah. up to something huge. Yeah. So, but anyhow, the point I'm making is those tournaments, because uh, I, you know, I have friends that have actually played in them that just didn't want to deposit, and they play like real tournaments. Once you get kind of semi deep, you know, it's not like everyone's just shoving with you know people are trying to win three four dollars. I mean, it's, it's it's a little bit amazing to me. But anyhow, those tournaments last about five hours. And they, you know, they get about four or five hundred people. They last five hours. I think the structures, and I, you know, and I, I have to go on the look at this. Is the same basic structure they use for a thousand dollar fucking bracelet event. That's Which crazy. Is, it's, it's per- yeah, I mean, the stupid thing here is it's not like they don't have experience running online tournaments. They run them every day, as you said. And you think that they could take a look at how long those take with a similar number of people, and then. Adjust it to be slower, and I don't understand why they wouldn't want it to be slower because there's no employees involved in in running these tournaments. It's not like they don't want to pay dealers for three days. It's a, it's a computer that runs right. it automatically. Other, yeah, of course. And the other thing, you know, I mean, it's basically what you're mentioning now. The fact that they're giving them a day off today, which didn't really make any sense. Like, what are you going to do on that day off? They, I mean, if they were going to give them a day off, they could have definitely made it deeper. And let them play till two, three, four in the morning, like you know the Sunday Millions used to go. If they knew anyhow that the, that you know today Friday was going to be a day off for them, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Well, I, I know it, why. It, it, I, I know why there's a day off because you're allowed to have played this from somewhere like Reno or Elko, somewhere far off in Nevada, and then you, you have to you have to travel. But uh, yeah, it's sense. Yeah, someone saying so, someone saying in chat they don't even they don't even have the ability to freeze the software, so they they can't have a day two. That's amazing. What a fail! So, so when I saw that, I thought it was unbelievable. And when I originally made uh, my list of events to plan, that was on it. And then I just decided because I thought it'd be a fail, and I was gonna, you know, I preferred playing the Studiator better, uh, you know, tournament that, that I didn't play. And I'm glad I didn't play it. I mean, that's just. Ridiculous. That's totally ridiculous. Um, yeah. So, anyhow, I'm curious to know uh, if anyone that's either a known live pro or, or, you know, online player made it. I know, again, as of this morning, there were no names that were released. Um, I don't know why. Cause they, you know, they're going to have this big name release, uh, <laughs> press release from the W. That's what they said. They were waiting for the, It's going to be a big press release. You know, like the first six people to make... You know, the first ever online bracelet, blah, 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 blah. And, and, you know, I don't know what, I mean, I don't know what the big deal is. I mean, I, chances are, uh, you know, it's not going to be anybody. Uh, I mean, have you noticed, it seems to me, I was thinking about this yesterday. It seems to me more so this year than in, in any other year that a lot of these $1,000 and $1,500 no-limit documents, and there's been a lot of them. I mean, every weekend there's at least one or two of these you know, not to count, you know, all the other little gimmicky tournaments. There doesn't seem to be a lot of big names making even the final table or going deep in these things. No, I, I even know, know, I even noticed that in the fifty in fifty when they they listed who were the um, notable people who were made the top one hundred, and I actually got mentioned, and there were there were like hardly any. I'm like, oh wow, that's that's interesting. Like there's like there were not very many but big I, names at all. Every night, you know, either before I go to sleep or when I wake up, I start, you know, I go online, I start just looking at it, and I can't even remember, I mean, there's some of these events that are down to 100 people out of two, three, four thousand. you know, the fields are big, but I don't know a single name. 
I don't know one person. And it just seemed like every year, like, you know, there's always at least, you know, you know what I mean, just somebody that did something or someone no, somewhat notable that you'd see making a deep run or a final table. But other than the big events, you know, like the 10Ks and the 5Ks, I don't I don't know. Well, we had, no notable one. Well, well we had I, Jamie Gold. We had Jamie Gold. Don't forget about oh, him. Yeah, he finished fifth. And I think the only other real notable person that I can think of that won a small buy-in event, Robert Mizraki won, uh, I think it was event number two, the 1,500 Omaha 8 or better, which had like 900 or 1,000 players in it. And, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a deep field for a non-Holdem event. And uh, he won that. But besides that, I don't think this year there's really been a lot of big-name you know, either online or, you know, another thing that's amazing to me, uh, I, I saw the Maven. Yeah, uh, I'm not making fun of anybody, but I saw the Maven. He was in one tournament, and then, I don't know, he finished like 200 or 300. It was actually his first cash this entire summer. But I looked at his results, and, uh, he hasn't done much ever in the World Series for the amount of events. No, no, no he hasn't. The, the Maven is a great self promoter. The Maven, uh, he had. It reminds me of somebody else. Yeah, the the Maven is very good at uh, pushing his his poker systems and his poker instructions, and he he hooked up with Tom McAvoy, another great self promoter who who lives off of something from over thirty years ago. Uh, you know, and you know, it's funny you mentioned Tom McAvoy. I was showing a friend of mine uh, a little while ago at the Rio that the You Stake Me site. It was really really sad because he was a featured. Uh, state or staking on there with Greg Raymer, uh, Mike Lay, uh, who else was on there? A couple of, a couple of the big name pros. And Tom McAvoy had, was selling his main event. And for those that aren't familiar with this, you stake me site. I guess Jamie Gold has some, I don't know if it's ownership or sponsorship and, you know, in it. And, uh, Lizzie Harrison, my Lizzie, uh, also was on there selling her main event and she was sold out. What percent do you think Tom McAvoy had sold? Well, what was he trying to sell? So the whole 10K. That's what that's what you do on the site, and you play for forty percent of yourself. Okay. Uh, would he sell like ten uh, percent? Yeah, twenty-seven percent. Oh, twenty-seven. Okay, better than I thought. <laughs> Everyone else was either sold out or very close to, like in the night in the low nineties, and it just it was really really sad because you know with the main event starting in two days. He's not going to get there. Yeah, I mean, he's. I don't. I mean, I don't know. You can go check. I don't think he's probably cashed in the main event since the poker boom. Yeah, I don't think he I has. Don't he used to write articles. Tom McAvoy. He used to write articles in Card Player, admitting that he has a hard time handling the the young aggressive players of today, and today meaning like ten years ago. Yeah, and the ones <laughs> the one the one the ones now are much tougher than the ones ten years ago. So. You know, true story. This was, uh, oh, geez, maybe 2007. Uh, I only played, to the best of my recollection, only one time ever with him. It was a final table at the Venetian. It was a $560 buying horse. And it started, um, it was a two-day event. It started, I think, at 4 o'clock, and then you know, we went back the next day, and it was like 2, 3 in the morning. And we're down to, like, I think, 7 or 8, I don't know. And he kept nodding off at the final table, and they had to keep waking him up. 
<laughs> and then never even heard this you know this before where actually it got that bad that a foreman came up to him and told him that if he didn't you know if this continued to happen he's basically given a warning that he was going to have a one round penalty for falling asleep at the table <laughs> if they had to wake up he, Tom McAvoy receiving the very first ever sleeping penalty <laughs> Just in all fairness to the Florida staff and the nation, as I tell the story, they weren't being hard on him. They weren't being disrespectful. I mean, it, it just kept happening so much. And, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, the final table, it's a limit tournament. You know, it, it's, a, you know, it's horse. So every hand is taking a couple minutes. And, you know, you can't, you know, people want to play. People don't have a lot of chips and they want to see, you know, hands and get dealt in. And so, you know, nobody was bullying him or picking on him. It's just, it was that late and maybe, Seven or eight times they kept waking him up, and he started snoring. I mean, it, 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 well, no, yeah, uh, it's, it's very distracting yeah. in the tournament, also because you have to keep waking the person up, and it slows down the game. So I can understand why they say, "Look, you've got to either uh, wake up and play, or that's it." Yeah. Now, of course, I know you've seen this, you know, many times. Cause I've seen it in limit hold'em games late at night when people are either stuck or whatever the reason is, and they're literally falling asleep. Yes, yes. And, you know, the viewers are picking them up, and you see that a lot. Yes. I don't know the people who realize you see. I mean, that, in fact, one of the first things I ever saw, and this just blew my mind at the time, was in 2006. I played the LAPC with Netherlands, and I was there uh, staying at Commerce for, I don't know, maybe like a week, 10 days, and Netherlands was playing 800, 1600, limit hold and he was falling asleep at the table. <laughs> and finally... Putting 800, 1600. And to me at the time, like even now that's nuts. But now, you know, you see, you know, these half million dollar, million dollar pots, so it kind of puts things in perspective. But for me at that time, you know, that was some of the biggest live poker, you know, that probably was the biggest live limit, of, you know, of any sort I've ever personally watched. And to see somebody falling asleep, like 800, 1600 isn't enough to get the adrenaline running. So finally what Commerce did is they, Whacked him up while he was asleep, and they had, uh, their, I guess, commerce, I don't know if they still do, but they had a limo service or their own limo or whatever, and I guess they had done this before since they knew where he lived, and they got him into a limo and they drove him home. He left his car there. But uh, I just always remember just thinking, Jesus Christ, 800, 1600. I mean, that's, that's I insane. mean, I could I I be up for two days. Yeah, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't fall asleep during that. There's no way. Of course, of course. And this was 2006, too. You know, when we're, you know, that was fucking huge. Yes. Not like today where, you know, like I said, you know, I mean, I'm watching, I was watching a little bit of uh, that uh, Aria big game. Uh, not too much of it, because I don't, I, they don't show the hands. And, I mean, you know, I, I guess it's interesting, but I, I can maybe watch 10, 20 minutes at most. And, I mean, I saw, like, you know, two, three hundred dollars, two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar pots, and nobody's even blinking an eye. You know, it's just like ho hum. And that's how far we've come. You know that that that. You know, I remember when I used to watch high stakes poker on the game show network when they had like I think it was uh, I think it was a Barry Greenstein pot with Durr, but I could be wrong. It could be another one, and it was over half a million. And it was the biggest pot ever on TV, the biggest televised you know cash, but everyone made such a big deal about it. And now, you know, it's nothing. But, uh, so anyhow, uh, 
I'm on my way home. I uh, don't know what you've discussed so far, but uh, I, I'm done playing. I did not play the 777 today. And, by, uh, by the way, I think I, am, I think the seven 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 was kind of a fail too. Thirty five hundred people normally would sound like a, a lot of people, but keep in mind this is kind of another version of the Colossus. This is only a little more expensive. Colossus was five sixty five. This is seven seventy seven, so only two hundred and twenty two dollars more, or two hundred or twelve dollars more uh, than than the Colossus yeah. event to enter. And yet Colossus got uh, twenty two thousand entries. This got thirty five hundred. I mean, that's that's. Uh, I think they were expecting more. Well, you know, one of, one of the things that I was thinking that could have caused that is because it's the 4th of July. And even though it's the 4th of July, you think, well, more people are here. But I've looked online for other friends that want to come to town. And unless you have some sort of connection, the rates for the rooms this weekend are absolutely fucking nuts. The Rio's back up at 300 a night. But that's what it was for the Colossus. Weekend. The Colossus was that, too. Well, right, exactly, but I don't think people want to pay that again. I mean, it just, you know, I, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. I mean, you know, they're pricing people out. Oh, so you, th- you, think people I mean, did it, you think people did it once and they don't want to come back a second time and pay those type of rates? Exactly. I mean, you know, it's like, fool me, what did, uh, what did that idiot president of ours, uh, George W. Bush, say? That fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, and then, like, he's like, fool me three times, and then you couldn't finish it? You remember that uh, soundbite? Yeah, yeah. One so, of his, uh, so, so yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you're saying, fool, fool me once, shame on, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Is what you're saying? Yeah, right. Like, who wants to stay at the link tonight for two hundred and change? I mean, people that have done that before and saw what a fail it was, they're not going to come back. I mean, the whole point of a of a seven hundred seventy seven dollar tournament is to get people that are budget conscious that want to play a WSOP event. To come out here. When your hotel stay, not even counting airfare, overpriced food or any of that, when your hotel stay equates higher than the buy-in for this, you know, for a low-level tournament, it, it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, does that kind of, you know, okay, if I didn't live here and I wanted to come to Vegas and I want to play in, in a, you know, I have a family, I don't have a lot of extra money because of kids, college, you know, just like most of society. And I want to play in a Colossus or the 777, I don't want to spend, I can't afford to spend $1,000 for, you know, and that's not even counting, you know, these $200 or $300 night rooms. That's not counting the fail uh, resort tax and, 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 you know, then the Las Vegas tourism tax. So, I mean, if I come out here for a weekend, do I want to spend $1,000, which is more than the buy-in for the tournament, plus knowing that I'm not even getting value, like in terms of, like, these rooms are, you know, just shitholes. Yeah. I mean, you talked to I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to be honest and, and speak freely. But, you know, I remember, you know, I've been here for, it's going to be 16 years. And I was here when most of these properties were built. I wasn't here when the Rio was built. I wasn't here, obviously, when Caesars was built. But I was here when there was a lot of expansion at Caesars. But I was here. You know, when I first moved here, the Aladdin, the old Aladdin was still here. And I was here when they knocked it down. And they built the new Aladdin. And then that was a fail, you know, because of, believe it or not, and this is, I, I know I've talked about this in years past, but one of the main reasons why the Aladdin was such a fail, it was, it was built right after 9-11. And it was at the height of Americans' hatred towards 
Islam, the Middle East, just, just that whole theme. And people actually equated, because that's what, you know, the Aladdin was. It was the theme of the Aladdin was, was Middle East, you know, Middle Eastern, whatever you want to call it. And people actually equated that to, you know, to, to being non-American, not patriotic. And literally people, and of course there were other problems too, but, you know, the moral design, you know, which you know about this. We've gone down there together, I think. Remember when we, uh, went and, and we did something down there, Planet Hollywood now. We have the, the tickets to see, um, what's his name, from the Eagles. Uh, Jesus. The lead singer of the Eagles, Ruff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his name? That's killing me now. It's not wrong with me. <laughs> no, it's on Henley. Don, yeah. So we went, remember, we went down to see Don Henley, and we walked in. You have to go through the mall. And, and Do you remember what a fail it was, just the, the, the design of Planet Hollywood? Yeah. So, yeah, that was the old Aladdin. And that was literally why it went into bankruptcy. Nothing's changed. You know, I mean, it, the theme is different now. It's, you know, it, it's kind of Hollywood. It's movie stars, but the mall is the same. The parking structure is the same. Most of the restaurants are the same. But they changed the name of it, you know, to, to Planet Hollywood because of the, you know. And the same, the same thing happened when uh, about four or five years ago, uh, we had a strife with, with uh, France. And France was not supportive. I think it was when we invade. Was it when we invaded Iraq? I think yes, that's it, what it, it was. It was about Iraq, yeah. And so people started boycotting the the, 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 the Paris in Las Vegas, and there were literally online campaigns, and then people, you know, just spewing. And it's an American company. Like it, it made no sense. Like people are not going to go to the Paris because there's an Eiffel Tower. It looks like it's France. I mean, that's just. It's ridiculous. Well, maybe they, feel the like they're, maybe they feel like they're really outside. You know, you have that sky above you. They think they're really in France, and they uh, they get into the moment the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. I'm just flagging at my destination. Hold on. One okay. second. By the way, I think I got tricked about this whole thing with Haralal Bob and Durr. I think it, I think it didn't really happen. I think I'm, I'm recording. Sorry? I was going to cover a story tonight about uh, Haralabob saying that Durr owes him a lot of money, like in a tweet. But I, okay. I, I think someone tricked me on Poker Fraud Alert by reposting a tweet that wasn't real. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's funny because I saw that. I, I mean, I saw that in the uh, discussion forum for tonight, and I, I didn't. I never saw anything. Yeah, so I'm not going to cover it because I, I think I think I got rolled here. But, I think I got tricked. But anyhow, the, the the point the point I'm making is. When I lived here, when I first moved here, I saw all these properties come up. I saw the Aladdin. I saw Planet Hollywood, or now turning to Planet Hollywood. I saw the Paris built, and they were all nice properties. I mean, they weren't like five-star resorts, but I would have said when they were first built, you know, with the way they were furnished, you know, the interior of the of the resort, they were four-star resorts. I mean, they, they weren't like Excaliburs. They weren't Circus Circus. I mean, you know, they were four-star resorts, and they've done nothing. I mean, it just amazes me. You know, that, uh, I mean, you look at a property like the Blasio, people don't realize the Blasio uh, just turned 20 years old. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it's amazing to think about that. You know, 20 years old. And you still go in the rooms, they're not dated. They've done a bunch of remodeling. They constantly install new carpet. And, you know, you'd walk in there and you wouldn't think that this property is almost, you know, a quarter, you know, a quarter century old. But these other Caesars properties, especially even Caesars, um, they're just so dated. And, you know, like I said, you know, you and I kind of take it for granted. We make jokes because, you know, we stay at these places for free. But, you know, 
if I had a wife and, and a child and I had to come here and spend that kind of money and I'd come into the real, I'd be pissed. No, I would too. You I know, thought about even, that during the – even Paris – Right, I thought about this during Colossus when I when I was staying there. Now, yes, if you booked early, you, you're not paying three hundred dollars. But if you didn't book super early and you didn't get it comped, you come into the Rio, you're paying three hundred bucks, and you see all the fail and all the problems and all the maintenance issues, and you go, "Crap, where you know, I'm not getting any value here. I'm just I'm getting a shithole for uh, uh, for so much money. I should be spending it for three hundred bucks tonight. I should have a nice place." And, and you get angry. Yeah, and you know, it. it I, I think. I am going to do what uh, – I don't think it was Nolan Dow. I'm trying to think uh, – I'm sorry, it was Mike Sexton. He wrote that open letter to the to the WSOP, and, uh, you know, I'm not a big-name person. You know, I, I, I mean, they know who I am for other reasons, Ty Stewart, Jack Ethel. But, you know, I, I, I think that when the World Series is over, I, I'd like to really write them an open letter just to even see if they'd respond because there's so many things, you know, just – I only played in, I'm not saying, 10 events this year, and main events going to be 11, that I noticed. And when they, you know, when they write these tweets and these long letters and they care about the poker players and you, know, you guys are a first priority, and there's so many things that piss me off about how it's so blatantly obvious that they don't. And, you know, granted, I understand that it's a business, you know, that, that, that you know, they need to make money. Um, which obviously they're not doing a very good job of in other aspects of the company, hence why they're $9 billion in debt. But still, you know, the whole people that are WSOP uh, historians, you know, they'll always talk about how great, you know, Benny Binion took care of them. How, you know, you know, the poker players, they didn't just make him, he didn't make them feel like they were secondary gamblers and, you know, just in terms of like, food cops or you're reasonable, you know, I left the Rio 30, 40 minutes ago. I stopped and got a, a drink with my friend. I friend like, let me buy you a drink. So when I put in, you know, the, the tournament, we got, literally we got a Pepsi and I got some uh, pure leaf uh, iced tea and it was $12 and 50 cents. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, you know, the first thing that they can do, and I, and, I, and there's no, nothing that they can tell me about this that's, that's indefensible is that they can stop raping the players for food and beverage. Right, I, I, I've said this no for other, years. Have, That's what I've said for years. They know they have no other, yeah, they know they have no other place to go on breaks, okay? You know what? Even if you goddamn break even and sell a Gatorade at, at whatever your wholesale value is, with just the amount of goodwill that you'll get, oh, my God, it's only $1.50, it's only 2 bucks. Same thing for the food. I mean, it's just... It's beyond preposterous how they nickel and dime. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've said, said that for years. I said run it like a 7-Eleven. You don't make bargain prices, but make it like what it would be to stop in a convenience store where it's not cheap but it's not outrageous. And and sell it for that, and, and don't use that as a way you're making a lot of money. You Use it as something just to uh, exist there and not lose money, but don't make much money on it. Know you're making money elsewhere and because these little things just get everyone angry. I've said I've said this before many times. Yeah, I mean, even I mean, I, I know logistically it would be crazy, and you really couldn't do it like based on buying events because that would just cater to you know the, the pros with deep pockets of people. But even doing some sort of free roll, maybe based on some sort of incentive of of you know just caches or whatever it may be, just doing small things that that in terms of their own press. Like if I was, you know, I really thought about it. like if they were smart and I cared enough, you know, hire me as as your PR guy or as your marketing guy, and I'll give you some great advice 
you know, just to do little things that, that aren't going to really affect the bottom line, but are, that are going to leave people with a smile on their face and are going to make them think, oh, wow, you know, they didn't need to do this. That was awfully kind of them. You know, just like good goodwill, you know, just like I mentioned with the drinks and the food and, and, and you know, things like that. Because I'll tell you something, you know, uh, I played in 10 events this year, as I mentioned, um, which is more than me, more than I normally play in. And, you know, the reason why this year is I just kind of got excited again about tournament poker. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I, I, I actually, even though I've come close in two events, uh, you know, like you, um, to actually having some serious money and I, I really, you know, I got pennies, um, you know, I have enjoyed it, you know, just, you know, playing in tournaments. And it's kind of made me, you know, think that, you know what, I, I'm going to start playing more tournaments. I actually just kind of enjoy it. I mean, I'm never going to be a tournament grinder and, you know, travel all over and play, but, uh, you know, I, I've actually enjoyed it a lot. But from talking with a lot of people, and I've heard this a lot, you know, from friends and just just in general. This is the first year that I've really noticed, and I've heard that the World Series has really started to lose its luster. Yeah, I've, I've heard, heard that. I've heard, I've heard that from a lot of people too. I've heard this too. This is her last word, but but it's well, Shaniac's been really big on Twitter, at least yeah. social media, about it, saying that he's done. This will be the last World Series he ever plays in. And there's a lot of other people, and I'm not just talking people that play one or two events. I'm talking. You know, the World Series bread and butter, people that play 25, 30 events every year. They're just saying that they're done with it. Um, you know, even the fact that Phil Ivey this year, you know, didn't, you know, he played in one event. And I'm assuming he'll play in the, the main event. Um, you know, it, it just, it, it, it's starting to lose its luster. And a lot of, you know, there are a lot of reasons why. And I don't blame it on poker being a dying sport. I blame it on the way Caesars has handled the World Series. Um but it's losing its luster. The numbers are down from last year. And I think the numbers are going to be even further down next year. You know what I wonder? Um, I, and they, I, I, I agree with you. And you know what? I, I, I wonder, you know, Caesars has always had a big problem with it, it operates like uh, 50 different companies. Every little department a- operates like its own company. It's never in sync. And it's always a disaster. And that, it causes all kinds a Gatorade of Gatorade company. Yeah. There's someone that just deals with Gatorade. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and there's like, somebody that deals with my Pure Leaf uh, iced tea. Like, like the, the fact that between iced tea and Gatorade, then they have to call the department. <laughs> the fact that everybody is so angry re- about the room service situation, how could they have this tournament at – which runs so late every night, and you know you finish two a.m., three a.m. You go, oh, what can I eat? And there's absolutely nothing open in the entire place except this fail sports deli with bad food that's well, understaffed, and you can't get room service. How can they? How I could they have something. let this happen? How could they not said people are going to want room service? We may not run room service twenty four seven during the off season, but during the World Series when we're constantly sold out, yeah, we're going to have twenty four seven room service. How could they not think of that? It was about a year ago that Caesars properties other than Caesars eliminated 24-hour room service from all their properties except on the weekend. Paris, uh, Flamingo, Paris, Planet Hollywood all used to have 24-hour room service. And uh, as of, like I said, about a year ago, other than Caesars, everything else went to 11 o'clock. And then there's even a break, like in the afternoon from breakfast to dinner where they're closed. And the only the only CET property that has room service twenty four hours a day, seven days a week is Caesars. And even Caesars, because you know I've I, I got the food poisoning and I've had you know folio credits to uh, <laughs> you know get room service on. Even they've cut back their menu. It used to be a pretty decent menu in terms of selectivity. And this was again like you know four or five years ago. Now it's it's, but uh, you know 
even if that's a rule, even if, if you know, they determined some guy right out of UNLV that it's cost effective and it'll save them this amount of money, which I don't, I don't see how, you know, by employing, you know, minimum amount of people. But you know what? Then during the World Series, bring it back. You know, how just like, you know, you set up everything for six weeks and you know what? Set up 24-hour room service for six weeks. You know, I mean, because the only option after, what is it, 11 o'clock when All-American Cafe closes, that goddamn fail, uh, they call it a deli, but it really is. Yeah, I know it's not a deli. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, that's it. That's all you can eat. I mean, when I stayed there, uh, you know, that time with you, I ended up walking across the street to, to the Gold Coast. Yeah, you know what? Okay, Someone told Gold me Coast. they saw they saw Kessler walking across the street all the time for that reason. They like well, they always ran to Kessler why. crossing the street. I walk I walk over to the Gold Coast at three in the morning. There's three fucking restaurants open. There's a full service Asian restaurant. Um, uh, what what is it called? We've eaten the one the one that we ate at before. Ping uh, Pang Pong. Yeah, Ping Pang Pong. They have a TGI Fridays that's open 24 hours, and they have a Subway. This is the Gold Coast. This is a place that has 600 rooms, and they have three restaurants that are open seven days a week, 24 hours. Or, I'm sorry, Ping Ping Pong closes at 5, 4 a.m., but they have a 24-hour subway and a 24-hour TGF Fridays. It's the Gold Coast. Yeah, and the you Rio know, has, has I, I a just, failed place where six chicken wings cost 15 bucks. And it's a huge line. I took a picture of a gigantic line with one cashier working one night. It was it, Well, I tried to meet you down there, and we couldn't even see each other. Yeah. Find each other. <laughs> so fast. Yeah. So, uh, how do they not think of these things? How, like, they they actually send out a letter to anyone who is playing the World Series that is staying at the Rio. And not everybody's given it for whatever reason, but I got it when I was there one of the times. Is welcome to the World Series. Here's the different things you need to know. And they give you the hours. Everything's open and not open. So they 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 think about this. They're writing it out of where you can go for food it. and when. So why would they make the decision? Oh, you know what? This little sports deli with fail food that's going to have a huge line and two registers and usually only one open. I'm sure that'll be fine to service the entire World Series uh, after 11 o'clock. It's crazy. So it, it's, it's amazing to me that they don't think of these things and they don't logistically make things easier on the poker players that are coming there. And it seems like the opposite. It seems like they just uh, go with whatever it is, and, and if there's a problem, there's a problem. So think of the cards thing that happened too. How do they not test those you know, in every way, shape, and form before introducing new cards? They just do so many things without thinking. A lot of this isn't even done maliciously. A lot of it's just being done it's without not thinking. Even like, this is, it's not even like this is the first time. I mean, they, no. The, 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 the 2007 World Series, people couldn't tell between sixes and nines. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all in with nine. Sorry, sir, you have nine six. I mean, I'm all in with six. Sorry, sir, you have you know, it, it, you couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. I, I don't. Joss, like I said, if they they paid me seventy five thousand dollars a year, I could I could do so much goodwill, and and you know just help them. You know, I mean, I, it just doesn't make sense. Who's running this fucking thing that they don't think of these things that you and I can sit here and and you know what? Like I said, they're losing it because. The, the lust there, you know, the, the people looking forward to it, the, the, the whole, you know, all the six weeks of poker terms of fun, it's not like that anymore. You know what I Becoming think, a drag. You know what I yeah. think we're going to see here? If, if the main event has down numbers this year, they're really going to look silly. Of because course it will. And because so will. far they've been bragging about, oh, look how successful the Colossus was. Well, okay, the Colossus got a lot of people, but since then... Uh, everything's been disappointing except for the Monster Stack and, and Millionaire Maker, which did fairly well. Um, the later events have all been disappointing. The fifty-fifty the got a very low field of, of eleven hundred something. The uh, 
the extended play got 1,900 on a Saturday. Also very disappointing since it's kind of like the monster stack. Uh, if the main event at the 777 getting the feel it did, it, uh, it should have gotten way more. And if the main event is down, hopefully they'll take a look and say maybe trying to extract every penny out of people and maybe not thinking about things, all the details like we should, is hurting us. I, I once said that... I actually said it this year. What the World Series of Poker needs is to hire a professional logistician or hire someone who's just very good at these things. They don't have someone there who's good at logistics, and it shows. They, do, they try to do it themselves, and they're not good at it. It's like um, it, it's kind of like going to someone's home who thinks they're a good do-it-yourselfer with, with home maintenance, and they, they actually are not good at it, and their whole home looks amateurish because they uh, – they did things themselves. They should have hired a professional. That's what the World Series looks like. A lot of the logistical and, things they do themselves in-house, and they think they know how to do it, and they don't. And you know what's amazing? Uh, you know, a lot of people that are listening aren't going to know this because you're not out of here, but you know what? Guess whose numbers are up? Tremendously. The Golden Nugget. This year they broke all their records in the past You know, for their tournaments. Uh, Binion's. I mean, Binion's had daily tournaments where first place was fifteen, twenty, twenty-five thousand dollars for daily tournaments. I mean, that's huge considering where they just were, you know, a few years ago. And a lot of people's money this year, instead of you know playing these thousand-dollar events, you know, they're playing the thousand dollars of the Golden Nugget or you know, fifteen hundred-dollar tournament of the Golden Nugget. I mean, their numbers were staggering. I mean, you could go to the Golden Nugget any given day and win a tournament and walk out of there with twenty five, thirty thousand dollars in one day. Well, I hate to tell you, um, but I'm going to criticize the Golden Nugget shortly for something else. I have, oh, no, I, I, have an, I, don't care. I'm I have an issue with the Golden Nugget, them. but uh, not a yeah. huge issue, but an issue that I think is something stupid they're doing, uh, and it's actually causing some controversy with the employees there. But okay, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Jamie Gold a bit. Were you surprised at how much? Uh, Support he got from the public when he made it to the final table. The people, a lot of people, were really rooting for him. Um, you know what? I, I mean, I wasn't surprised that he garnered a lot of attention because you know, nigger, 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 nigger. That was one step. That was one step back. Okay. Welcome back. Okay, go on. That's inappropriate. <laughs> Remember, we're trying to get a show like Mar- or Brady. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're trying. Um, we're trying to blow up here. You, yeah. you can't have this on here. Okay, yeah, go we on. Can't do that. Um, I mean, he's a polarizing figure. You know, he's almost kind of like a train wreck. You know, that, that he just, he's made mistakes. He's done a lot of crazy things. So people, you know, just are fascinated by it. Um, you, you look at the last five or six main event champions and they all kind of just blur together. I mean, yeah. the only thing you can even think of is, you know, Jonathan Duhamel and that, you know, he got some press because of the robbery. Yeah, that's, you know, that's really what you think of. You think of Jonathan Duhamel being set up by his girlfriend and that's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, or ex-girlfriend, and then Greg Raymer with the prostitution thing. But you know, you, you can't even really. They all just kind of meld together. You know, what? if you paid me right now a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, I couldn't even name for you in order the last five main event winners. I couldn't. I'm being honest, here. I couldn't. I don't know. I don't even know who won last year. Martin something. That's all I know. Is Martin something? <laughs> Hans Hans Gruber, the guy from <laughs> Hans Gruber. Uh, remember Hans Gruber, one of the best villains of all time. But uh, so anyhow, to answer your question though. Um, so, no, I wasn't surprised because it was, you know, nine years. It was his uh, first cash um, at the WSOP as well as, you know, his first final table um, since then. Um, I didn't really see it. And, you know, I wasn't really reading the forums much about it. I didn't really see the support, like people just rooting him on. I mean, I saw, like, on our forums, you know, people calling him God and, you know, that sort of thing. But I didn't really notice on Twitter 
um, you know, just an overwhelming amount of support, of course, fascination, but, uh, and you know, I, I, I saw it, I think he finished, what was it? Fifth. Yeah. And I didn't, yeah, I didn't see, but I noticed he was doing his little same tactics with, you know, trying to talk people. Yeah, he was. He was doing a lot of talking. Or or... Yeah, and, and he and he showed a, a three high bluff as well, where he flapped a gunshot yeah. with with a wheel yeah, draw. I saw. And yeah, then, he and then, used three. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then I turned it over. Him, yeah. So he was uh, uh, Jamie stack. Jamie Gold, if he has a big stack, uh, he can be very good with it between the talking and and you know, kind of getting into the people's heads and. Uh, uh, you know, kind of realizing where he is in the hands, and also just bullying people off uh, inferior hands or bluffing them. He's he's a a good big stack player, and that's what people noticed when they watched him play in 2006. The reason he hasn't cashed in so long is what he's not good at is when he hasn't accumulated a big stack, uh, or he hasn't accumulated, or if he's accumulated a big stack, but it's still early, where a lot of people are still deep, and if their stack's not big. Uh, people can just wait and pick him off, and then Wait, you know, so he ends up shooting so up his chips. You're saying he hasn't accumulated a stack in nine years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen him with one. I'm, I'm not kidding. Yeah. I, I don't mean he, I don't mean oh. he gets I don't mean he doubles up at the beginning or triples up at the beginning. I'm talking about late in the event when a lot of people are shitting bricks because they just want to make it really deep, especially something like the main event, and they don't want to throw all their chips away against a wild player who may have it, may not have it. Yeah. So they well, choose to fold if they don't have it. There, he can be a lot scarier than uh, than where he is if, if he doesn't have chips and, and you're at the beginning of the event and you're like, oh, yeah, fuck it. I got top pair. I'm calling him. Actually, right. I'm just getting I'm getting some information off the uh, PSA uh, wire. Someone's saying that on, on his uh, boat he once got a big stack of chips in one of the tournaments. <laughs> That really was the. Does he still the, even have that? I, I don't know if he boat? has the fail boat anymore. It wasn't even his boat, but yeah, his his the Jamie Gold poker room on this really, really, really sad boat out of Florida. There was like a, a a really sad looking casino on a boat that even in their promo video looked sad. They couldn't even make it look good in a promo video. You know, think about how many opportunities he's had. He originally, uh, you know, he was very lucky because after he won the main event, and by the way. Uh, I don't know if I ever told the story, but he actually called me once. I actually had him call me <laughs> at five in the morning and threatened to kill me. Really? If he ever saw me, yeah. And it, it, it dated back to us always calling him on the show. Yeah, we call him on the show and you say, if, "JMG, can yes, I get to the phone right now?" If you remember, I played uh, with uh, cousin Dave uh, in a uh, deep stack, like a late night deep stack tournament. He was at my table. And I kept calling him, okay, from, like, I was, like, in the three seat. He was in the eight seat. And I kept calling him every time he was playing a hand and hanging up from the same table. And he was going, he's like, just, you know, I keep getting these calls from these crazy people. I tweeted it. And then it got tweeted back at him. He saw and he knew it was me. And I don't know to this day how he got my number. But uh, he ended up calling me at four or five in the morning, and he sounded like he was high as fuck. And he just made some, he made some threats. He told me if he ever saw me, he would kill me. I just, you know, start thinking about it. I'm like, oh, you know, that, that's another thing to cross off my bucket list. Main event winner threatened to kill me. Okay, check. Uh, Coolio from uh, uh, <laughs> from uh, Dangerous Minds threatened to kill me. Check. You know, I mean, just who would have thought? You know, I'm in college and, you know, watching this movie, Dangerous Mind, Michelle Pfeiffer, fine-looking, you know, older woman. And then, you know, decades later, I have a uh, guy that wrote the theme song calling. Gotcha, texting me. I saw those texts, too. Remember, remember the whole. Oh yeah, he was going to put me and all of us in the desert and. <laughs> Shaka Zulu man. Shaka Zulu man, yeah. So, but uh, you know, he's very lucky because in terms of opportunities given to him, because 
he had that huge scandal, you know, obviously after he won the main event where all the evidence pointed that he was just an absolute scumbag. You know, there were answering machine messages that were played, and, uh, you know, it was just plain as day that he just didn't want to honor his agreement. He didn't think that, you know, he had, he'd go that far. And once he realized he had serious life-changing money, you know, he just said, well, you know what, fuck you. I'm not going to honor this agreement. So do you remember who he got signed with? None of the big, the real big places or big name sites would touch him. Well, I know the answer. I just want to know if you do. You, you, well, Remember who signed him? Well, okay, he was already playing for Bodog, and then they anti-signed him. Yes. After after he won the main event, they had him for free under contract for the rest of the year, and they actually chose to drop the biggest poker tournament winner in history. Yes. Uh, because he yeah he made them look so bad you know he looked so bad they didn't want to be associated yes. with him. While while Poker Stars was paying things like a million bucks a year to MoneyMaker, here Jamie Gold they could have had him for zero and they didn't keep him. Then they built a poker room. Now, they were going to probably build one anyhow. It's since been uh, eliminated, but they built a poker room at the $150-plus refurbished Tropicana on Tropicana Boulevard, or Tropicana and Las Vegas Boulevard. Actually, it's the second busiest intersection in terms of cars traveled in the United States on a daily basis. I don't know if you knew that or not, Jeff, but it is. And uh, they gave him, you know, who knows, but you have to imagine it was a pretty sweet deal. And then they opened up the poker room, you know, that gave him the name. And, uh, you know, he never showed up. Uh, he'd go days, weeks at a time. You know, when you'd show up there, it's actually funny. Because I, I did. I went down there with, with friends a couple times. And you'd ask, hey, when is Jamie Gold playing? You know, foreman, shift bosses, they were embarrassed because they couldn't even tell you. Like, <laughs> well, we don't know when he's coming back. I mean, you know, so you couldn't even, you know, honor – you say, that. You say, I mean, uh, I you say where, where's Jamie Gold right now? And they say, well, uh, just uh, follow the powdery white line. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a massive fail. And that was mainly a massive fail because of the fact he didn't show up. And, you know, believe me, even though, you know, after watching him, you know, people realize he, he you know, was going to be like a Jerry Yang. I mean, he never was going to amount to, you know, a successful career, even like Joe Hashem who's uh, still deep, by the way, in the 10K horse that he's at the final table. Or even Greg Raymer, to a certain extent, who's, you know, made other final tables and won the Heartland Poker Tour, like three of them in one year or four of them, something crazy like that. Um, you know, it's you know you have to think that's a pretty good gig. You know, play, you know, a couple times a month at the Tropicana. They're probably giving him, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 a month. And this is someone that had to sell her bracelet. Because they were so broke. Yep. This is someone that's on the site right now, on that Stakey site, selling you know a twelve thousand dollar name or twelve thousand dollar package for the World Series because he can't afford it. I mean, why? You know, it's it's amazing. I was showing someone that they're like Jesus. That's how far he's fallen. That he sold twelve thousand dollars worth of events on the website this summer. Uh, you know, getting forty percent of his act. He had forty yep. percent of you know that event he played in. You know. Sure, he's back. Maybe that's a lot of the reason why he got a lot of public attention because you know the people that backed him were thrilled. You know, they got sixty percent of you know whatever it was. Yeah, but it's, know, it's also the people find it interesting. I think in a way, even though he he was a scumbag, I think he almost looks like an underdog story at this point because this is someone who had this tremendous flame out from from being at the very very pinnacle of poker to to win this twelve million dollar tournament, uh, the biggest uh, main event field ever, and then just to Everybody knew that he was broke and taking all these pathetic jobs and then not even doing those jobs right. Yeah. That this was really, really and someone who's fallen from grace. You, 
in extreme fashion. Have, you also have to remember everyone that preceded him since the poker boom and winning the May event, they were all considered great ambassadors for poker. When, you know, Greg Raymer won it, you know, he said all the right things, did all the right things, same thing, obviously, with Moneymaker, the interviews, Joe Hatcham, you know, and then this guy came along, and everyone, you know, was expecting the same thing. He, you know, he was the first person that you know, won the main event, you know, in the poker boom that really kind of gave poker a black eye, so to speak. Yeah, and, and um, not only that, yeah. I, I could tell there was something wrong with him already before the whole scandal came out about him trying to stiff his partner out of half of it, but something was wrong already when he was leading the event for a few days straight, and they interviewed him, and he said something really weird that he'd prefer to come in second. He doesn't want to win it, and that just struck people as really odd. First of all, nobody believed him, and second, it was just such a weird thing to say. Instead of like, oh, I'm all pumped. Wow, you know, I don't know how far I'll go, but you know, I'm really enjoying it. Statements like that, like, I don't want to win. I don't want to, I want to finish second. I don't, I just don't want to win it. I don't yeah. want to win it. And then in the meantime, he's the big chip leader. Like it just looks weird. It almost looks like ungrateful for your position too. You've been running so well. You've got the chip lead the whole time. And now you're, you're telling the press, you don't want to win it, which I'm sure wasn't true either. So this, uh, I, I, that was the first sign I saw that something's not right with this guy. And, and so, yeah, it was the first main event winner in the poker boom that, didn't look like a good person and look like poker has some scumbags in it that we already knew, but this was to, you know, to the general public. It, it, that, that was, as you said, the first black eye. But I think you know, because it's been – time heals a lot of wounds. I think because it's been nine years and, and he's been seen as such a pathetic figure for so long, uh, almost like a bad guy in a movie that's really, really evil, but then he survives and you see him in the sequel. And in the sequel, he's uh, he's – Fallen to such uh, depths and uh, and is so pathetic looking, you actually feel sorry for the bad guy sometimes who doesn't seem that powerful anymore. And uh, and as long as he's not acting bad, you know, you can forget what he did in the previous installment of the movie. I, I think that's kind of similar here that uh, people just kind of see him as pathetic and almost want to see him make a comeback. And also just they're entertained by him and they maybe they're bored with the the young tournament grinders that are successful these days that are uh, every time betting two and a half times or, or 2.2 times uh, the big blind preflop. And, uh, you know, maybe they're tired of seeing this uh, style of poker and they, they like seeing a Jamie gold type making it far. It's interesting. So, yeah. So, so Brandon, I, I have a, a real question for you. What would you do in this spot? By, by the way, are you back in your, uh, are you back? Yeah, I'm, home? I'm just getting settled now, and I'm going to turn the computer on a minute. Okay, okay. So that, just let, let me know when that happens, minutes, and, I, and I'll connect you on that. But in the meantime, yeah. Um, uh, tell me what you would do in this spot. You are in the Rio, and you were given a room that has an adjoining door, meaning there's another room that if you, yeah. you know, if you were staying together, you could open the door between them and almost have like a suite. So there's a room with an adjoining door. You don't know the people next door. And you come to realize that the adjoining door does not block sound very well at all. That while the walls are pretty good at blocking sound, the adjoining door is terrible. So any room with that, you hear everything from the other room. Now, okay. you may say switch rooms, but assume here that the you can't switch rooms. That it's full, you can't do it. Unless you want to get a completely failed room with other problems. Sounds like the Colossus. 
8,000 people just checked out. We don't have a room available, sir. <laughs> yeah. So so you're in this situation, really? and, and it's 3 in the morning, and you've got to wake up for a tournament the next day. And the people next door are very loud. They are uh, laughing very loud. Uh, they're probably drunk. They're, uh, they're talking very loud. They're, they're acting like they're out in public in the middle of the day, uh, sitting at a bar, talking really not, – not in a room next door to someone who's trying to sleep at 3 in the morning. And, and so you, you wait initially to see if this stops, if it's just temporary, but it goes on forever. And you realize they're just going to be this way all night. And you can't sleep. It's really, really loud. You cannot sleep through it. You even tr- try to turn the AC on. There's another answer. Higher. What, what do you do at this point? Physically, call, what, what do you do now? I would call security. I've done that. That's actually happened to me before. Okay, so. Well, I've been on like, you know, I mean, listen, I'm not like some old fart where, you know, it's a little loud and someone's having some fun. But, no, I mean, I've been in situations where people are just banging the walls it's outrageously to the point where you know i can't sleep well and and just keep in mind in this situation they're not banging walls or being crazy but they're talking very loud laughing very loud and it's going right through the door and it's three in the morning and you just cannot sleep so you you call security yeah absolutely okay so here's what i chose to do because i was in this situation twice would you believe so and this is in the last one the last room i had the first room i had in the first part of the world series was one that did not have that door so i was fine this is the first time i've ever had this door. So uh, the first night, it was mainly, it was like a, either a guy and two girls or two girls and a guy. I heard a lot of, just a lot of laughter, you know, males and females talking back and forth. Really, really loud talking. Really, really loud laughter. It was going on all night. So I decided instead of being, you know, calling security and getting them in any kind of trouble or putting them in that uncomfortable situation, I would just call them myself. I, I directly called up their room. <laughs> Okay, and I told I people about this. They're like there. surprised. They're like, "Oh wow, I can't believe you did that!" But I, I called their room, and I said, "Hey, I'm trying to sleep for an event tomorrow. Can you keep it down, please?" So, the guy says, "Oh yeah, sure. Sorry about that." So I'm like, "Okay, well, that's nice. I did the right thing here. Instead of sending security on them, I you know man to man spoke to the guy and told him just please be quiet." So the problem is, he went quiet for about five minutes, and then it all started again. And it, it was like I never called. So at that point, I called security. So I called security. And I, I actually got to listen in on the security call because uh, the security visit because you know you can hear everything so clearly. So I hear after about ten minutes, security gets up there, knock, 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 answer. Hey, uh, you, know, you know we've got some complaints that you guys are being loud there. Can you make sure to be quieter? Can you make sure to talk quieter? Yeah, 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 sure. So I'm thinking, okay, it's done. Get back in bed. About ten minutes later, <laughs> like, uh, the same thing all over again. Same thing like it had never security had never been there. So, so I, I called up security again, and I called up actually the front desk and complained. And I said, "This, you know, security is up there already." And they, I, I've also called the guest myself. They're just not getting quiet. So, they, I, I was really, I said, "Look, what am I supposed to do here? I'm trying to sleep for an event tomorrow. This is actually for the 10K event too that was coming up for the 10K limit." I said, "What can I do here? I, I feel like I'm trapped. I can't sleep. And, and you know, how many times do they get to do this?" So they said, "We're going to send security up a second time." And, uh, and I said, so what happens if they do this again? Well, if, we, if it happens a third time, then they're out. So you, have, you get three strikes at the Rio, apparently. Then they, and the third one, they'll come and take them out of the room and, and remove them. So security came up a second time, talked to them. Uh, they, they seemed surprised. They, they, couldn't ima- they, they thought they weren't making a lot of noise, but they were. Uh, believe me, if I could have slept through it, I would have. But it was very loud. Anyway, these people went – are you there, Brandon? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. These people agreed to, you know, they said, okay, sorry, we'll, we'll be quiet. And they were. And the next night, everything was fine. I thought the crisis was over. 
Well, a few days later, I hear again a lot of noise, and again it's really late at night, and again they're just like really loud talking and laughing, except this time there's no girls, it's dudes. So I'm like, oh my God, not again. So I called security, and I said, okay, I think the third time has happened. Well, it turned out it wasn't the third time. It was the first time because this was a whole different group of guests. <laughs> so after the first ones were, were forced to be quiet, now they have new guests in there that also want to stay up all night and talk. And I realize the problem here is that all these people who are taking roommates at the Rio, probably because it's expensive sometimes and probably just uh, because they're cheap. I don't know why, but uh, this is more this more induces this type of talking, whereas if people stay by themselves, they're much less likely to make noise. So I think, okay, well, so... Uh, and again, by the way, before I had called security, I called them and said, hey, can you keep it down? They said yes, and were polite about it. But again, lasted about five minutes. I was sure it was the same people, but it wasn't. Security said this is actually a different guest, so this is not the third strike. It's the first strike. So they, they sent someone up there. Absolutely nothing changed. Same thing, like, like right after security left, they just went right back to everything, like, like, like they weren't visited. So, wow. I, I, so I, I, was, uh, I was just about to call again. And then it got a little quieter, and I fell asleep. So I, I never had to call again. So then, so then, mm-hmm. two nights later, it's even louder, and with a new voice I hadn't heard before. Before it was all all male voices, but I didn't know how to describe this. It was kind of just like uh, regular young sounding guys. There was a new voice in there now, but it was the same guests. I don't know who this new guy was, but this new the new voice in there sounded like this really really like wannabe tough guy East Coaster. With a very loud voice, too. And I, as soon as I heard this guy, I go, crap, this is going to be a problem. Because this doesn't sound like the type of guy who's going to be sensitive about the guy next door sleeping. This sounds like a guy who's going to go, what? You're talking to me? You want me to fucking be quiet? Fuck you, man. I'll be as fucking loud as I want. I, I, I pictured that happening if I, if I tried to call up there and ask them to be quiet. So I did. I called up there again to the room. And I said, uh, but, but he didn't answer. The other guy answered. The more soft-spoken guy answered. And I said, you know, can you keep it down? I'm trying to sleep. It was probably like, you know, four or five in the morning. He said, oh, sorry about that. Sure, sure, sure. So I go to, they go to quiet. I go back to sleep. I fell asleep. I'm woken up at seven in the morning by, again, that guy with a loud voice yelling, you know, speaking really loudly. I go, oh, my God, not again. And keep in mind, this wasn't them waking up at seven and, and being loud. This is them being loud the entire night that just happened to reach seven. So... I called up again, and I got the, the, the loud guy on the phone. And I, I said, I don't know why I didn't just call security, but I, so he answers, and I, I said, yeah, can you be quiet? He's like, hey. And so he decides to get hostile with me. All the other ones were just passive-aggressively telling me, okay, I'll be quiet, and then weren't. This guy says to me, we just went through this fucking shit the other night. No, I'm not going to fucking quiet as Vegas, bro. And I said... I said, but it's, I'm trying to sleep here. People have to sleep here. He says, no, you don't. He said, it's 7 in the fucking morning. I can speak in my fucking room. You're not going to tell me I can't talk in my fucking room, Wait, you fucking faggot. I think so. He tells me, I'm, he says, you're not going to tell me I can't talk in my fucking room at 7 in the morning, you fucking faggot, and hangs up on me. So I called up. You fucking faggot. Yeah, I fucking faggot, and he hung up on me. So I called, So then I called up security and, and told them what happened. They say, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't have called the room. That's what makes it worse. You should call us. I said, well, well, every time I call you guys, it seems to take multiple calls to get it done. I was just hoping the guy would you know, not do it himself without security. They said, well, no, well, no, no, no. They probably would have told you to run three to four hours behind on. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so they so they told me, well, you got to get up here. This has been going on all the, night. They have a guy that fixes uh, the ice <laughs> refrigerator also on uh, disturbance calls. So. Yeah. <laughs> so this guy, so the security comes up, and I listen to now. Now I want to hear what's really going to happen because we've got this 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 uh, East Coast tough guy in the room who calls me a fucking faggot for for just saying I want to sleep because stop making so much noise, and. I'm wondering how he's going to react when security tells him he has to be quiet. Because I know this is not going to sit well, well which, with him. Which trip, just out of curiosity, did this occur? This is just now. This is like a few days ago. Oh, this was your most recent. Yeah, wow. yeah. So, so, so security comes up, and I'm like waiting to see what happens. And this shows you how like passive security is. This guy starts, you know, the security they tells them they have to be quiet. They've got a complaint. This guy starts yelling at at security. What? I can't fucking talk in my room at seven in the morning. You know what? This guy fucking calls me. He's called, called me fucking twice tonight. You tell this guy, if he calls me again, I'm going to knock someone the fuck out. He tells this to security. So instead of security saying, no, you're not going to do that. If you're going to behave this way, we're going to take you. No. They're like, okay, sir. Okay. Yeah, you tell him. He ain't going to call me no more. I'm going to knock his ass the fuck out. He's t- I can't believe this. This is security he's talking to. He's not saying he's going to knock them the fuck out. I'm going to get knocked the fuck out for reporting it to them. So... I, I can't believe this. And uh, and so security, I'm waiting for them to say, well, look, you know, I don't care how you feel about this. You've got to be quiet. He, he just went off on security. And they're like, okay, okay, okay. Well, all right. You, know, you just need to be quiet. Bye. And they leave. So I was sure this guy was just going to just continue going off there. And then I was going to have to call up security and really lay it on them and tell them, you know, this, or call the front desk and say, look, you can't have your own security being bullied by this guy. You've got to, you know, you can't have him say I'm going to keep being noisy and knock the fuck out and knock the guy the fuck out for complaining. You can't you know, can you imagine, you know, I, I I would think if I were to do that, if some if someone were to complain about me making noise and I tell security that the guy who complained if he calls me again about my noise, I'm going to knock him the fuck out. I would expect him to throw me out of the hotel. If I don't have any response but okay, I'm sorry, I'll be quiet. But anyway, uh, uh, miraculously, these guys went quiet after this. But the last thing I heard from him before he went quiet was, oh, so it looks like we got both a tough guy and a snitch next door. And that was it. So I don't know if he meant that I was both a tough guy and a snitch or if that he thought maybe there were two people, a tough guy and a, like the, the, the guy he called a faggot was the tough guy and the, call, the guy who called the security was a snitch. But whatever it was. Um, I, I never saw these. Actually, I saw them once. But I didn't really like look at them too carefully. But after this happened, I didn't see them, and I happened to be checking out the next day, so I, I didn't get to run into them again. So I didn't get knocked the fuck out. But uh, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that the, this is going. So, so when I checked out, when I checked the fuck out, I, I told them I can't have this next time. I, I said this is this was terrible, and I've got I can't have a room with an adjoining door. So people who, if you're going to come back to the Rio this summer or ever. Do, if, do not take a room with an adjoining door. Ask him, is there an adjoining door? And if there is, don't take it because you, you will not be able to sleep. It, went, it was like there was no door there. It was, it was that loud. So uh, – and I wasn't even being extreme. It's not like at 11 o'clock I was demanding they went quiet. This is like 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning. And, and it's not like they made noise for five minutes. It was just nonstop noise all night. But I, I couldn't believe they're telling security they're going to knock me the fuck out and they're fine with that. Brandon, what's going on there? I hear wow. noise. Uh, I hear no, I, you know what? I, I'm just embarrassed. I'm, I have to. Uh, I'm, re, I'm reinstalling Skype. 
Okay, I was out here like. Yeah, history is going Skype. I apologize. No, no problem. So yeah, so that that happened there, and when I told people this story, they're like, "Oh wow, I can't believe you called the room next door." I I guess it kind of harkens back to the days that I guess I'm so used to making like confrontational or prank phone calls. That like this just seems natural to me. Like when something's going on, just call the people who are doing it rather than calling security. But uh, to me, it just seemed natural to call them first. And I actually I was trying to avoid being a snitch. Like I I didn't want to be the dick who calls security, especially if they weren't realizing they were being noisy. But I I've realized I probably should just start with security because these people just they go quiet for five minutes and start again. But uh, I, I just wanted to sleep. I I I couldn't just say oh let them f- have fun, let them party. Well then I'm not going to sleep and I'll go to the event super tired. I can't have it. So. So that happened. That was that was a big downer there, and uh, I I had never experienced noise like that before at the Rio. I'd never had one of those adjoining door rooms, so I actually I actually used to think, oh, the Rio's actually pretty quiet, but it wasn't. So anyway, let's let's see what else we got here. Uh, All right, I'm gonna drop. Uh, hold on. Skype, Skype, Skype. Okay, I'm gonna call you back right now. Actually, give me like a minute or two, okay? Okay. I'll call you from Skype. All Bye. right. Brandon's going to call back from Skype. Yeah. So I, I, whoever wanted to see me get knocked the fuck out, it didn't happen. People in the chat room like wondering why. So I trying to avoid eye contact. Uh, I wasn't trying to avoid anything. Uh, when I saw these guys, it was before all this was happening. And then I didn't see them again. It just happened and I ran into them after these things started occurring. And then I checked out at the time I was going to check out anyway. So I didn't I didn't run away from them. I wasn't leaving the room to avoid them. I just was uh, scheduled to check out. Willie McFML saying the pet floor must be fucking awful. Yeah, Anonymous ended up on the pet floor. I couldn't believe that. They he didn't want to. They they messed his reservation up and put him on the pet floor. I don't know if he ever got anything back for that. I would have been furious. I would have forced them to give either give me a suite or whatever they had available if they couldn't get me in a regular room or give me a lot of money back for the pet floor. That's going to be pretty terrible. So, uh, he says it wasn't terrible, but it definitely was affecting me. Well, come on, Anonymous. That means it, it was terrible. If, if it was affecting you, your hotel room shouldn't be affecting you, especially when they made a mistake to put you on the pet floor. Yeah, Anonymous, you got you got to come at them hard. He's saying I've I've only gotten apologies. You got to call up and say I want some kind of refund here. I didn't get what I paid for. Dr- Real talk saying Druff, I can't believe you didn't Jew them out of a room upgrade or comps for the bullshit response from security. Um, you know it wasn't uh, security was responding. The, the only security visit I didn't like. I mean, security was just going with what their policy is about you know noise and the three chances they get they weren't even that slow to get up there the problem was the last one where the guy's telling the security that he's gonna knock me the fuck out and security's like eh, okay please be quiet then all right okay bye-bye bye-bye so yeah i, I was uh and i i was leaving very soon anyway there wasn't anything to do with them out of i had free rooms and i didn't need free food because i was leaving pretty shortly so up. Oh. I think Brandon was trying to reach me here. Let me try to reach him. There we are. Whoa. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, you're actually pretty loud. I think I'm going to have to turn you down a bit. Let's okay, see. I think I'm on the new headset. I'm talking through the speaker. This is a different laptop, but uh, 
Okay, I, th- I think you're. Uh, I think it's better now. Okay. So, anyway, uh, so that have. Let's see what else we have. That's what I'm looking here. Let's see what we have. Let's see what we have. I lost that while I was talking about getting knocked the fuck out. Uh, Who's the only player in Major League Baseball history? And I'll give you a hint. He played in his entire career, I think it was 11 or 12 years, one year only with the Dodgers, and he did it with the Dodgers. Then he did it again the next year. He was part of a back-to-back-to-back-to-back home run. And funny enough, or ironically enough, both times he was the second home run hitter. And what, what, he's, he's what, the only person to be a part of it twice. Was it Steve Finley? No. Was this it? was it's, it's closer. This was uh, around 2006 or seven. No, I think Finley was one of them who did it. But uh, was it uh, Nomar? No. Played one year with played one year with the Dodgers. The Dodgers thought that he loved playing there. He was going to stay there for, forever. And then he ditched him after one year and signed a huge contract. Oh, was it? Was it? Uh, was it JD Drew? Yes, it is. Very okay. good, sir. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, he kind of went into a fail mode after that. He, he never became what they thought he would. No. So no. let's let's talk a bit about uh, Brian Hastings. Have you watched how defiant he's been? Yes. That's, and I saw I've him. Read, I've I, read a great part of that uh, thread on, on the other site, the, the uh, PMs to uh, David Baker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and other people's, you know, responses. So I'm very familiar, actually, believe it or not. Much as I don't really like poker news these days, uh, that I've actually read a lot about. Yeah, I saw him and his girlfriend outside shooting hoops with Helmuth during the uh, the one of the breaks of that 111K one drop event because the the 50-50 event that I was deep in was going at the same time. So when I went out to go to the bathroom during one of the breaks, uh, he was out there shooting hoops. And uh, and his girlfriend was standing back there watching him. His, uh, this is the, the black girlfriend he has who some people on our site has said that, you know, she's a gold digger. She was, uh, some people were saying she looks like a man. I, I don't think she was once a man, by the way. She does have a little bit of a manly face, but uh, her body definitely, you know, was never – she was definitely never a man looking at her body. But uh, it, it is kind of an odd couple. And she, I, I do believe that she's with him for money. But, but that, that's not – yeah, that's not the main story about him. The, the main thing is that I expected after this multi-accounting stuff came out and people were so – so many were angry and David Baker posted that PM that Hastings had said essentially admitting to what he did and, and telling Baker that he, he shouldn't make this public because it will make poker look bad. I, I thought that after he was caught red-handed doing what he did – and after there was such a negative response to him on two plus two that he and and because there were so many people who were angry at him about the bracelet bets, that they felt that they were duped, that he was going to really lay low. But he's done anything but that. Not only has he proudly shown up at these events, but he was tweeting back at people like David Baker and calling them out and saying that they were cowards. So. I was surprised to see this. I thought he was actually going to slink away kind of like Stocks Trader did when he was caught with his multi-accounting scandal and just disappear. And and he, he, he seemed to be implying it because uh, when he wrote his post on 2 Plus 2, he claimed that he's probably going to you know, just move to Pennsylvania. So he's not going to play on Stars anymore. It kind of sounded like he's going to be backing away. 
but but he's not. So I was surprised to see how tough he's acting here, but maybe he feels that the people who are coming after him, he's not afraid of them at, at all. So he's just being very defiant and very obnoxious with them. But I, I was still surprised. I'm trying to find this tweet he sent calling everyone cowards. Let's see if I can find this here. Um, I thought it was on this thread on Poker Fraud Alert. No, I'm not, for some reason I can't find it. Um, let's see if I can find it here on the internet. Maybe it's on our World Series thread. Uh, hey, when I I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still trying to get this mic to work. For people that aren't aware, did you give a backstory on what what this is? We're well, talking yeah, about? We, t- so we talked about this on a previous show, but we should oh. for the for those that didn't listen to the previous shows, we should give a, a quick backstory. Uh, Brian Hastings had a lot of bracelet bets for a lot of money this year, and and part of the people part of the reason so many people bet with him was that he claimed that he was rusty at mixed games and that uh, he basically hasn't been playing them. So people thought, oh well, if, you know, if he's not good at mixed games, that takes away a lot of his ability to play well in these oh, small. Actually, let me just slightly, slightly correct you. What he said is that it wasn't as much as he was rusty on mixed games, but he had only been playing mixed games sporadically live. Yeah, which many considered to be a lot softer than the games that they were playing. Okay, which indeed they are. Uh, you know, the two hundred, four hundred, three hundred, six hundred mixed games on stars are basically regarded as the toughest mixed games that they are online or even in the world. I mean, these are some insanely hard, uh, it's just, you know, it's the cream of the creme. I mean, it's just a, a, all world-class players. So he, you know, so basically, you know, like, I don't know, even like the 300, 600 mixed game that's at the Aria or, or you know, the 100, 200 at the Bellagio, those are considered much softer spots than the Stars game. So go ahead. Yeah, so... So what happened was uh, people made these bracelet events and uh, bracelet bets with him, believing this. That uh, and then it turned out he had been playing. Headset works. Score. Oh, good. Sorry. He, he he had been playing in these tough online games under the name of someone else, uh, under an account someone else had been using that that actually had been Noel a, Hayes. Noel Hayes, a fish on stars. So a guy people, from Ireland that has a lot, a lot of money. Um, kind of like a poor man's gi. A lot, a lot of money, but uh, games built around him. Yeah. I mean, they'd be waiting lists 10, 15, 20 deep when he would be playing in a game because he was a fish. Right, right. So so what happened was that um, he was playing under this Noel Hayes account. He thought to have bought – people thought he bought him. He probably bought the account. And he had been playing – People thought they were playing this fish. They were really playing Brian. The account obviously did very well. People played the account differently, believing it was Noel Hayes when it wasn't. And But not only that, they didn't realize that he had been playing these online games on Stars and had been doing very well in crushing them and that he was all ready to play against the very tough competition at the World Series in these mixed games. And, and lo and behold, he won two bracelets. So the two complaints here were, number one, that people made bracelet events based upon a lie that he told them, that he had only been playing live. And number two, that he was multi-accounting on stars and beating people out of a lot of money when they thought they were playing a known fish on there, when in fact it was Brian multi-accounting. So that's the background. Stars hasn't even done anything about this, strangely enough. I don't know why. 
But uh, Stars has not done anything about this. And Well, we don't know that Stars hasn't done anything about it. Their policy is never to announce publicly um, any, you know, what, what, if any disciplinary action will be taken. So for all we know, any money that's in there now could have already been confiscated, um, which I, I'm going to kind of take a leap just based on things that I know that that account's been closed. You'll never see anyone play on again. Well, I hope so. But, but you know, in the past, like with the stock trader thing, they did come up. They didn't come as hard against them as they should have, but they did give the resolution to people on that one. They told the public what they did. So, yeah, I think well, Star I, I just very... know their terms of service, and also Lee Jones was speaking of speaking about this um, on a podcast, and this subject came up, and he stated because of their license, uh, there's certain things they have to follow, and part of it is uh, at times they really can't publicly state what they're doing. I don't know if that's bullshit or if I, know, I think I, it's bullshit. I think what they're doing is they're they're hiding behind things to have to not deal. They they love to passive aggressively deal with these situations or or cover things up and or or sweep things sweeping things under the rug is really the best description of what they do. They they sweep big controversies and problems under the rug that are hard for them to solve publicly and that they don't really want to deal with, and then they just they hide behind things like, well, we we can't say what's been done. I mean, even AP tried that about the cheaters there. We've done things. We just can't tell you what we've done. So I, I never liked that answer for online poker. There needs to be transparency. It's not. It's not fair. It's one thing that uh, I think they should have privacy in that people shouldn't be able to find out. You know, hey, did Todd win yesterday? Did Todd lose yesterday? How much has Todd won on this site? People should not have access to that information through Stars. But they, if I'm accused of cheating, and they ban me for cheating, they should out the person. I mean, that should. That's uh, that. That privacy, no one should deserve. There should be uh, it should be open when uh, someone is disqualified. And think of the World Series if someone is disqualified and uh, uh, that that's made public if if it affects things. So a- anyway, uh, here are the tweets I found. This is uh, this was on June 29th, very recently. He tweeted at Dylan Lind, James Obst, and DM Bakes. That's you know David Baker, the young yeah. David Baker. Talk to me privately if you have a problem with me. Oh, wait, you're all cowards, so that won't happen. Wow. Then he went on to say, I love poker. It's been very good to me over the years, but I can't see myself staying in an industry in which people like them are heroes. The amount of sheer hypocrisy displayed by people like James Obst and and David Baker is nauseating. No wonder poker is not a respected industry. Wow. So he does this stuff. He's, he's saying it's their fault that people don't respect poker. He goes, hate on me all you want, but the hate on Daniel Negreanu for promoting the game while never trying to have a real convo with him? What a joke. I'm not sure what that part's referring to. but uh, uh, So he's just he's calling them cowards, and he's saying it's their fault that the game is getting a bad image. It's not a respected industry. And he doesn't like how they're heroes. That's pretty ballsy to say after what he did. So I, I guess he's not afraid of these guys at all. I guess he just feels like these are they're punk kids who aren't going to do anything to him. So he's definitely not running away from this. I mean, he's not uh, he's not giving good explanations here as to what he did. He's saying a lot of crappy things like uh, that if he does wrong, that this shouldn't be brought out in public because it'll make poker look bad. That if, if you care about poker, you won't call him out for what you think are his wrongdoings, which is ridiculous. But uh, 
He's definitely not running away from these people. So I don't know if anything's happened since then. Maybe the chat room could tell me this is on uh, June 29th. But but he's showing up at these tournaments and he he uh, he cashed. I think he made like two hundred thousand dollars on that uh, one drop event. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Bukowski is saying, and I have to assume he's right. He's the walking image library. He says some player came up to Brian to talk about it, and fucking Hastings walked away. So, um, FPS Russia asking Chad, how would he cash out? Does the original owner have to handle the cash outs? Yeah, of course he does. But if he has an agreement with a guy and the guy's really rich, he's not going to stiff him. So, no, it's amazing just reading about other uh, high limit pros that that are both American and overseas talking about how much. Stars accounts actually sell for. I saw figures as high as twenty five, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Wow! That uh, you, that that I mean that people sell stars accounts. And again, especially with that kind of money in those stakes, there's a tremendous amount of trust you got to have because what's to say you know you run it up to you know a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars in there and somebody just cuts you off and they cash it out. I mean it, it's a lot of trust. Well that's why this account is perfect is Noel Hayes because it was known as a fish and the guy is known to be yeah. rich so he's not going to stiff you for a hundred K. For him a hundred K is not exciting. Well I'll go on the record right now and uh I mean they I'd say just by reading the response of you know both uh poker players and you know just the little the rail, it's probably eighty twenty uh, against you know his his behavior, and uh, I'm I'm with the majority. I think it's there's there's no justification. Um, I mean it it's 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 cheating. I mean, in fact, in, in the thread I read, there was a gentleman. Uh, I think his name was Barry something. I you know I don't know the names anymore on stars, but and he played in that game a lot, and he actually posted two hands, and these are significant pots. These are. Thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar pots. It was, I think both of them were in, they were in PLO. That he claimed he would have played much differently if he knew that it was Hastings on the account. Oh yeah. And he actually even explained why. He gave his logic as to why he played the hand a certain way versus who he thought he was playing versus you know versus if it was Hastings. Yeah, no, that's it's really bad, and that's that's why when there's a huge difference in play style between the the two players, which there is with these two. Uh, that's when it gets to be the worst with the multi-accounting. When there was that multi-accounting scandal some years ago with that uh, Chung Ho guy playing uh, New House under Correctron's account, uh, I didn't think that was as big of a deal because Correctron was a winning player. Correctron was a winning commerce player, and, and so was New House. So it was two good limit players swapping accounts. I'm not saying that's right, but at least I was saying Chung Ho didn't believe he was playing a fish. But But here... And, and, and Corrextron and Newhouse don't have that different of a play style. But here it was a wide difference. So yeah, that that was pretty bad. And, and I hate looking at Hastings' arrogant attitude about this. He's he's not only not apologetic, he's confrontational to those who are accusing him. So that, that's what's bothering me the most here. I, I don't know if I agree so much about the bracelet bets. That uh, him saying that he only plays live versus you know him really playing online. It's not like Hastings was making them believe he was a fish or that he didn't know these games at all, and then really did. And you know he's still known as an excellent poker player. He's known as someone who could easily learn these games very quickly and get a lot better at them if he wanted to, knowing he has these bets. I I don't see how people could be betting against him 
just based upon him saying, oh, you know, I, I, I only play live, so you know, I'm probably not that good. Like I, I think that's kind of a flimsy thing for people to say, well, since he lied about that, we shouldn't pay him. But on the other hand, if he doesn't get paid, I won't feel the least bit sorry for him because of how he's handling the rest of this. With The, the multi-accounting was definitely very wrong. That was cheating. And, and the way he's so arrogant and nasty about it is even worse. Yeah. His reputation's done. But you know what? I've realized today in poker it doesn't even mean anything. No, it doesn't. Five, six, seven years ago. I mean, the guy, well, this is even amazing to me. The, the guy is back on social media now. The chopstick. Uh, who's Jedi? Oh, who Jedi, yeah. Uh, he's back on the social media. He's tweeting, and people are tweeting back at him. It's, I mean, you just stole a year ago. You yeah, know, yeah, I know. People are like, uh, oh, good. To, already? Yeah, oh, good. Oh, is, good. That, is that what we've really become? Yeah, I see that. I Society, see people going. Society, poker in general, you take a year hiatus, and all's forgotten for stealing? I, I see that. People are like, oh, who Jedi? Good to see you back, man. All right. Glad you're yeah, back here. It. It, it's, it's so, you know what? Yeah, it, I mean. In whatever sense of the word you want to make of it, yeah, his reputation is tarnished, ruined. But you know what? It doesn't mean shit anymore. I mean, he's got he's got the millions, you know. And and this time next year, you know, it won't even be talked about. It's just you know. And you know, it's funny if something else big came out. It's like every year, you know, every or every World Series. Remember, uh, it was like four or five World Series ago. It was a story about Brad Booth with, the, ironically enough, lock poker, buying lock poker chips. And, and not giving the guy the cash, you know, that's pretty funny. But remember that? That was a dominating story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote the letter, how he apologized, how he definitely rolled the guy. But, you know, ultimate bet, you know, led him to it because they took his money. And, you know, so every year there's something. And if that, you know, if there was a better story this year, then you know, that would have pushed this under the, you know, aside or under the rug or whatever you want to call it. But, you know what? It's gotten that bad in terms of what you can get away with. And like I said, who's Jedi's, you know, just, I mean, you know, look at Durr. There isn't all these – I mean, I never really kept up with it, but somebody was talking to me about it today, how that challenge he was in. I don't know the name of it. or I don't even know. Yeah, the Dirt Challenge. Gates? Was that the – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That he, he hasn't honored that. Yeah, he hasn't. You know, and it's because obviously – yeah, that he's broke. And, uh, you know, f- five years ago, that would have been the biggest story. That, you know, oh, you know, poker player goes back – you know, high-stakes poker player. Back. No one even talks about it. I mean, it's not, you know – so, you know what? It's been kind of a boring summer, you know, so this is what made news. And I'm not saying to take it away from it. It's awful what he did. It, it's, it's, it's bullshit, especially, you know, and then the fact that he, you know, was trying to send messages telling people who he was, you know, and he's using that as justification and trying to give people equity and telling people that them bringing it up is bad for poker. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, like, I mean, making this public is harming the game he loves so much. I love that line. Yeah, I, I I know. That pissed me off to read that. It was with him yeah. telling them that they're wrong to bring up his wrongdoing because it's going to harm poker. Not not his wrongdoing yeah. harms but poker. But is like, yeah. And, and uh, I, I also think, you know, from watching him play out there, you know, his girlfriend's watching him shoot hoops with Phil Hellmuth, which I know, I know you did too, by the way. But I think he's sitting here all arrogant like, fuck this. I you followed know, him hard. He was going to the hole. <laughs> he's got like six inches on me. So it's either I gotta follow him hard or he's gonna make it. Yeah, so so he's got more than six inches. I think I think he's right like six foot six or something. Uh, do I have to follow him going to the hole? I, th- I think seven so. Seven inches on me. I think so. I think so. Right. So so yeah. So Helm, like I think he's out there. People are talking to him. He's interacting with all the the known players. He's like, screw this. I don't care if David Baker and some of these punk kids don't like me. I I can still be out here. I can still interact with Helmuth and the rest of them. Fuck them. I don't care if some of these guys and the two plus two nerds don't like me. F them. I'm just going to be defiant. I'm just going to tell them and kiss my ass, and they're cowards. Screw them. 
I think I think that's his attitude. I think he gets empowered by the fact that he can just walk around and everyone treats him normally. So, yeah, it's it's too bad. I was I was hoping he'd be run out of poker, but looks like he's not. So I I don't know if he's going to be seen at the World Series next year. I know his reputation is taking a hit, but he he didn't already have a great reputation because he. Uh, you know, he already had the whole thing with uh, against Isildur, where they were pulling hands and, and playing together against him. So he was already known that as somewhat him. Uh, Brian Townsend, and you know, laugh out loud at him. Another one with with great ethics. And who was the third person again in that? Uh, I'm forgetting who that was. It wasn't yeah. Brian Rast, was it? No, I don't think it was Brian Rast. Let's see who was let's see the chat room. Was, chat room. Who was the third person? It was Townsend. It was the third one? Uh, by the way, who Jedi is blocking people? He oh, blocked. Was it Cole South. Was yeah, it might Cole have South, been. Maybe it might have been. J- Jay Stat saying that uh, who Jedi blocked him. It was Cole South. Uh, okay. Willie McFML verifying. So he said uh, who Jedi blocked him because he retweeted Matt Savage accusing him of being a thief. I I I'm blocked from who Jedi because of something similar that I was tweeting these stories out. It's you know, of course of course who Jedi has to block me because I'm tweeting stories out about him stealing which he actually did commit and yeah, was guilty of. It's not. His fault for stealing, using chopsticks, or stealing tips from dealers. Can't it's my make fault. This fucking shit up. If you made a movie, you can't make this shit up. Stealing from chopsticks. <laughs> I mean, did you ever, did you ever up. see the thing I made? Did you see the uh, the Star Wars thing I made? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you guys, let me see if you guys haven't seen it yet. Uh, I don't usually make these type of things either. I just got bored one night and made. It. I'm not usually good at these things, but. Uh, um, let's see. I think if you type in on YouTube. No, that's not it. Let's see. Where'd it go? I can't find it. Oh, here we go. If you um, type in Who Jedi is on YouTube, Who Jedi space episode space seven, just number seven or VII. Uh, I guess if you do Who Jedi uh, episode seven, you actually type the number seven for some reason. That comes up easier. Who Jedi episode, episode seven and scroll down a bit, you'll see a video by Poker Fraudler that's like the, the scrolling thing they do at Star Wars with the story. And you'll see it's it's like about a minute long where it tells the story of Who Jedi. Uh, okay, so let's see what else we have here. Anthony Zinno. Let's talk about him. So funny. I mean, he, he I, hasn't done I, anything I, wrong. He's, he's a, no scandal with him. Um, well, okay, I'll start out with this. Before you even talk about, you know, who, what he's done or, or anything, let me tell you my relationship or, with him. Okay. About uh, it was 2012, the beginning of 2012, so uh, three and a half years ago. Uh, he, you know, it's actually funny. I don't remember uh, if it was this show or Filthy Limper. I want to hope it would be this show, but I, I don't remember. But uh, one one of the two podcasts, he actually listened to every episode of. So, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it was this one. And he was a big fan of the show. And uh, because of that, you know, he heard me talking a lot about uh, the Heads Up Limit bot that used to be uh, both exploitable, you know, just by beating it on, a, on, on the face value, as well as the comps. And, you know, we've already talked about this no longer anywhere in the city um, is it beatable or even with a small loss, can you, you know, make up for it with comps? It's just, it's done. 
So, uh, I, you know, but we've talked about this a number of times, and he used to listen uh, to radio. And he knew my name, my last name, did not know who he was, and he added me on Facebook. He sent me, or I'm sorry, he sent me a message on Facebook. And for some reason, I don't know if it's still that way, I'm, I'm not... I'm not that big on Facebook. I, you know, I look on my phone sometimes. And I can't sleep at night, but I'm not on it a lot. But it went into like, I guess maybe it was my settings, or maybe it was the way Facebook was, where if if a friend of mine sent me a message, it would notify me. But if it was someone that wasn't a friend that sent a message, it kind of went into this. Other oh, oh the other boxes. I hate the other box. Yeah, it's it's yes. the way Facebook deals with spam, and they figure okay. if someone doesn't have a connection to you, like either a friend or a friend or a friend of a friend. That if it's just you're out of the blue, it's it that you don't have business communicating with that person. So it ends up in this other box that is even hard to see exists, or you and it doesn't notify you you've gotten a message. So you have to go searching for the other messages. And I've actually found like years old messages that way because I forget the other box exists. And I and sometimes they're messages that I, I wish I could have responded to. You know, like old classmates from many years ago who found me again, or things like that. That uh, by the time I answered them, they've gotten off Facebook. Yeah. So anyhow, it ended up in my other message box, and then I didn't see it for a couple months. And then, I, you know, I try to re- respond. Uh, you know, back in the day, not as much anymore. I used to get a lot of uh, messages from, from listeners on Facebook. Now, you know, I guess it's more on Twitter. Um, but I used to always try to respond to people, you know, because like I said, it's not like I'm a celebrity or I'm anybody. If someone really takes the time out of their day to tell me that, you know, they enjoy radio um, or if they have a question about Vegas, you know, I always try to, to make time to respond. And so, you know, he sent me a question about the, uh, the the bot. He had, you know, wanted to talk about it, some strategy. You know, he just started beginning playing it. And uh, finally, I saw it and I responded to him and we started, you know, talking back and forth on Facebook. Then, I don't know, maybe somewhere down the line, uh, maybe a month, two months later, uh, I'm at Caesars and I'm playing it one morning, like, I don't know, six, seven o'clock in the morning. And he comes over and he sits next to me. I have no idea who he is, you know, even though on Facebook, you know, we had communicated, but he knew who I was and we started a friendship and we started playing the bot together and, you know, got to know each other. And, uh, you know, he wasn't a limit holding player. In fact, it's pretty funny. Um, his main goal uh, at the time in terms of wanting to learn how to play it was he just wanted to get a diamond card <laughs> at Caesars. <laughs> So he could have some rooms when, when he'd come to Vegas and, you know, or other Caesars properties. And uh, so, you know, it, it was more that because he had heard me talk about it and he was smart enough to figure out that's how I was able to get seven star and he didn't even want that. So, you know, but he didn't want to lose a lot of money. So, you know, in the meantime, we played, you know, I don't know, maybe seven or eight different other times together and we text and he lived in New York. Every time he'd come to Vegas, he'd tell me he'd be in Vegas and, uh, you know, he at, at that point, he was just a small grinder. Um, you know, he played a couple World Series events, you know, a couple Venetian tournaments, nothing significant. You know, I think he had maybe ten, twenty thousand dollars in live caches. And, uh, you know, he was telling me that, you know, he hoped to one day, you know, play bigger buying tournaments and, you know, so on and so forth. And, you know, he was a very smart guy. Uh, he went to law school. Um, you know, and, and, and then, you know, just, that was really what we had in common, but, you know, we were friends and, uh, but after the bot got taken out of Caesars, you know, we kind of lost touch and, you know, people get busy life stuff. And then he just blew the fuck up ridiculously. Now guys, when I say somebody 
you know, is blowing up. I, I, I'm not a poker fan. You know, I don't, I don't care. You know, nothing impresses me. I mean, you know, talent does, but it's not like I, I am one of these guys that, you know, gets so excited or my, I drool like, you know, I've had, I don't know, this summer alone, I could rattle off 20, 30 big name TV pros and it doesn't even phase me. You know, it, I mean, I, it doesn't, I had Negrano at my table, you know, twice. I mean, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care like, either when it happens. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean anything to me. You know, I, in the beginning, and when I say in the beginning, 10, 12 years ago, yeah, I'd be honest, I'd get nervous. I'd think, oh, my God. Then I started to learn half these people are broke. I have more money than half these people do. <laughs> you know, it's just all like a facade. It's, you know, uh, so anyhow, uh, he just blew up. And I started reading about him. And, you know, again, I don't read too much about poker. I'll read our forum. And when it's the World Series, I'll browse the other site. And uh, that's really the only time of year I browse the other site. But even with that, I just couldn't help just running into whether it was Twitter, just the guy has been on fire. He ends up winning three WPT championships. Not that's to go along with other numerous final tables, three WPT championships in a short amount of time. He's actually uh, the WPT 2015 player of the year Um, makes numerous final tables this year. Finally, uh, three days ago in the 25K uh, PLO, uh, he wins his first bracelet. And when I say finally, he's only been playing the World Series for two years. But this guy just can't fucking miss now. He went from a guy that I became friends with that didn't have enough money you know, to, to fully travel and play poker and, and wanted a card to help out with the costs of, of getting rooms – so now he's playing every big tournament. He played the the one drop, the hundred eleven thousand dollars tournament. I mean, he he is just blowing up. Yeah, and and, and, and I played with him at the ten k limit. I played with him, and I, I got moved to his table. That was the second table I was at, and it was a table where I was up and down. I, I got moved there short, then I ran it up, then I lost some back, then I ran it up again. But the the point was, there was one guy at the table who was beating me every single time with a better hand. And that was Anthony Zeno. I was just every single time uh, he was hitting hands against me, and either we'd get to showdown or I'd fold, and then he'd turn it over, and he'd have it. Like he always had it against me. He always had it. And when I finally beat him in a small pot, like one of these things where he he called the flop, and then I bet the flop, and he folded. And I said, "Wow, I can't believe you. I think I was like zero for nine against you up till now." Like, and I wasn't kidding. Like he, I said, "You're the only one at this table I can't beat." And uh, uh, everybody else, I, I you know, even the ones I, I lost chips to, I was also beating them. Uh, he was the only one who just was every single time either. Uh, usually, you know, he'd outflop me, and and I had to fold, or he, you know, I had to call down and lose to him, or I'd hit something and, and he just snap fold. Like I think the time I bet and he folded, I had something big, like top two or something. So, uh, and I, I thought about this. I'm like, <laughs> when's this guy going to stop running good? And this was earlier in the series. This is kind of the middle of the series, and later in the series, uh, you know, then, then he does even better, wins the bracelet, makes more final tables. He's made four final tables this year, four, and won a bracelet and three WPTs out of nowhere. Yeah. I don't understand how – I mean, it's, it's strange to me. I mean, I know – there's so much luck involved, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm reading you know, some of his hands, and things are holding. When he has the ace king, he hits the ace. When he has the under pair versus the ace king, he fades that. But I mean, how do you? I mean, there's got to be. I, I I don't know. I, I guess what I'm saying is, how do you go from just 
you know, like a hundred, two hundred dollar tournament buy-in player to playing a hundred thousand dollar tournaments, the biggest buy-in tournaments in the world in 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 two years. I mean, it's just it's amazing. You know, I, I, I did he read a book? Did someone coach him? Did he learn on his own? I mean, I just you know what I mean. It just it's amazing, and you know, it kind of just reminds me. I you know I mean. And I've seen this before. I've seen these patterns, but gosh, I mean, I don't know if I've seen one like this. I mean, I remember there was that year where J.C. Tran was just on fire. I mean, he won a WPT, and then he final table another WPT, and then he won a World Series bracelet. I mean, just every turn he was deep. And then, you know, you look at it now, and, you know, he really hasn't done much. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know. Yeah, that one main event final table, but other than that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's kind of like the Tiger Woods syndrome. I mean, you get so you know you, you get so good at something, and you're on such a pedestal that people expect you to maintain an insane rate, you know, of of what you've done in the past, and it's just it's it's you know it, it's improbable for it to continue, um, you know, and and just like him, I mean, I'd bet somebody, you know, I'd bet you, I mean, uh, you know, a decent amount of money. He doesn't win a WPG championship next year. No one's ever done it. You know, he has a record. He's tied with Gus Hansen and Carlos Mortensen for three. No one's ever won more than three before. Um, you know, so I'd bet, I'd bet, even though he won three in, in 16 months or whatever, I'd bet anybody that he doesn't win one next year. Not because I don't, not because he's not talented enough or not because I don't want him to, but it's just the odds are just so astronomical. I mean, even though the WPT, the fields are a lot smaller than they, they were, you're, but you're still every week going up for the most part against three, four, five hundred of the best player, tournament players in the world. And besides that, you still need a lot to go right. Um, the, the, the term he won a bracelet and I followed it closely because I really was, was rooting him on and, uh, he played it great. I mean, it was Parliament Omaha, but, uh, he had the chip lead from about 18, 19 players on. And when I say the chip lead, he was double, triple what the next person below him had. And he just applied pressure the whole time. And of course, you know, he'd get lucky when he needed to, but, uh, I mean, he never, no one even got close to him when he got the heads up. He was like a four to one, five to one. You know, had a four to five to one chip, uh, you know, advantage over uh, the person that finished in second. I mean, and again, this is a twenty-five k PLO, so these supposedly should be the best PLO players in the world. Yeah, this is the first year. <clears throat> excuse me, this is the first year they've ever, they've ever had this tournament. Um, they've always had the smaller PLOs. That you know, this year they had a thousand dollar one, which which I'm going to talk about that in a second. They had a fifteen hundred dollar one, then they also had a ten k. Um, which is what they normally have every year, 10K PLO championship. This year they had a uh, 25K and actually did really good. It got almost 400 players, mm. you know, the majority of them actually being Russian. So I guess uh, Russians are, are, you know, just, I don't want to say taking over PLO, but I guess it's becoming a big part of uh, poker in, in the Soviet Union because there was a, a huge conglomerate of uh, Russians that played in this. But anyhow, uh, real fast, so just before I, I forget – very, very, very funny uh, situation with the 1K PLO. And again, this is the first time they've ever offered uh, any sort of poker tournament that wasn't a no-limit event for $1,000 or less, a bracelet event. And I don't know how this occurred, if it was a fail because of the structure or just just some sporadic event of, of knockouts, but the PLO event started at noon this year it's a thousand dollar buy-in and registration went to 8 40 at night it went to right after when dinner ended so dinner was like uh i don't know whatever you know, whatever time to 8 40 and that's when you could have registered and people started registering 
when they realized how many were left, okay, and how close they were to the money. <laughs> so anyhow, long story short, word kind of started spreading around in the Rio about this, and a number of people did it. In fact, someone I know from uh, from Barge, you're going to laugh, uh, you know, who it is, but Sabral, uh, Sable Cohen. Oh, really? <laughs> Sable Labram Cohen. Uh, she's actually a lawyer now and doesn't play poker, but she travels – to all these little barge conventions that I go to with Jeannie, uh, she doesn't even know how to play PLO. I mean, she knows her roles, but she said she'd played a one PLO term in her life. So anyhow, registers right before the dinner break. The numbers come out, and just as everyone suspected, just by doing the math, there it was a little less than 80 from the money. <laughs> <laughs> and the average staff... <laughs> Register. When can you ever say you registered for a WSOP event and you're 80 from the money. And I'm not talking about an event with only 100 people. Where, where literally 80-plus percent of the field is already gone, and you're still able That's to register. That's so sick. That's even worse than the extended play where people could register nine hours in. This is – I yeah. mean, this this is – the late so, registration, I've said it so many times. I, I know this one they probably didn't plan right. But in general, the late registration is so wrong at the World Series, they should not let people come in that late with a full stack or, or just come in at all that late. They shouldn't. I don't care how greedy they are and how many extra spots they want to sell. It's just not right. It 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 ruins the tournament. Yeah. So long story short, uh, I don't know. First orbit, she sits down. She has five thousand in chips, and uh, I don't know. She has some suited, you know, high suited connectors. She wrote. There's well, it's called a barge list, or an arge list, it's like a mailing list. It's kind of like forums, but it's all just through email. And uh, that's, you know, where all the members and, and, you know, there are actually a couple of big name pros that started out on this barge rec, uh, you know, gambling forum or it's, I'm sorry, recreation gambling uh, forum. Actually, you, it's not even a forum. What do you call it, Druff? It's a message, a message board uh, like 20 years ago. And that's how like, you know, barge at large, you know, all these little things started. And like Bill Chen is one of them. Uh, Andy Block is another one of them that, you know, just people know. Uh, Sable Cohen, who you know made notoriety for being the last woman, uh, I don't know how many years. It was a while ago, maybe ten years ago, in the main event. Um, you know, is also a member. So there's this private mailing list we have. And so anyhow, she wrote, you know, in her trip report, a you know a story about how this all happened. So anyhow, she ends up like I don't know, it's like you know, suited connectors, ten jack, queen king, something like that. She gets it in three ways against like you know aces, you know bare aces with nothing else and. I don't know, maybe, I don't know, some other lower-suited connecting hand. She ends up uh, beating the aces, which, you know, she's actually probably actually a favorite, right? considering the other hand, I think, had one of the aces and a blocker. So anyhow, tr- and then she triples up, you know, with the blinds yeah. and everything. She's got like 16, 17,000. She's above average. She played one hand. <laughs> People have been there since noon. And above average, and, and they're, 80, they're 80 from the money. Yeah, and she breezed into the money. Um, and then she, I think, got maybe, I, I know at least one, I can't remember if it was two, one pay scale jump, maybe two. And then, ironically enough, she busted with aces. But uh, to me, that's just, I mean, that is just insane. The, the World Series, I mean, they have all year to figure out these numbers. And, it just, I mean, and even if they don't, you know, adjust on the fly, you know. I mean, change things right away. Submit it to gaming. I didn't know, this is something I didn't even know, um, that when the World Series uh, is done with their structures and their tournaments. They actually have to submit it to gaming for approval, um, which is, to me, it's just 
I mean, it, it means nothing. You know, yeah, they're, they're not gonna, gaming's not going to look at it and ever say, well, you know, it should be an extra level here. It's just a formality. Well, ima- imagine if uh, Alan Kessler was working for gaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently that's what they have to do. And it's just like I said, a formality. So they have a copy of it so they know what's up. So when people were complaining early in the series how everyone was registering late and just, just doubling up, you know, or, you know, real fast. and Yeah, I watched it happen too. Yeah, that uh, – you know, they complained, well, you know, we can't do anything gaming, you know, has our structures, we can't change it. But then there was more pressure put on them. And then what did they do? They made new structures, sent it to gaming. And then the next day, gaming said, okay, you know, go ahead, you're fine. So, you know, they actually went ahead now. What they're doing is they're making it speedier. I mean, we said this. This is what I suggested the first week when we were on radio. They're making it speedier in the beginning, and then they're slowing it down. Yeah. And instead of having multiple, 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 multiple repeat levels on day one, level one and level two same blinds, level two, level th- or level three, four same blinds, four, et cetera, et cetera, they're doing this now on day two, which makes a lot more sense. Okay, you know when when people have gone farther and they're closer, the money give them more play. See if if skill can come through over luck, you know, and let people actually be able to play, you know, a few hands. You know, and, and if you take a bad beat or two bad beats, you know, a whole day's work is not ruined. And that's what they're doing now. And, you know, it, this started about, I think, 10 days ago. Um, so it's a little, you know, a little bit too late. And obviously next year they're going to learn from it, you know, and probably hopefully repeat it. Because I do like the extra levels in day two. Um, yeah, I hope. I, I think I think that's a good change. And, and hopefully I, I that's the only thing I don't blame them for this year, because what they did this year, they did in what they believed the players wanted and just didn't do it right. But nobody spoke up and said, oh, we don't like the structure. Nobody spoke up until they actually played it, and it didn't work out. So that kind of took everyone by surprise, and I don't blame them. But at most of the other stuff that happens, I do blame them. But I'm, I'm glad at least that they changed. The late registration, that has to stop, and there has not been very much public controversy about that, and I think there should be. I think the late registration is an embarrassment to the World Series, and it's, it's something that really uh, allows... I was saying this, in fact, I was having this discussion in the last tournament I played with people at the table, and they agreed with me. I said that one good thing about tournaments is that everybody who enters is on the same footing, or at least they're supposed to be. So it doesn't matter if you're uh, Phil Helmuth or Daniel Negrani, you're some huge name. When you enter a 1500 event, you start with the same... Uh, 7,500 chips as the recreational player does. You you have to start and work up from there, and if you don't, you're not going to win. And you have to grind through the early stages of the tournament when it, when it's not as meaningful. And and you know you, it, it's an endurance test somewhat. It's not just uh, um, you know coming on at the end and and using your deep pockets to give yourself an advantage. Well, it has become that because what people can do if they don't care about money is come in as late as possible, start with a full stack, try to double up. If they do, then great. Now they're around average and they can start playing from there and and their skill can take over. Or if they don't, okay, no big deal. They spent a few minutes and lost some money that doesn't matter to them. And that's a slap in the face to all the people whose money does matter to that do go and play the entire nine hours leading up to it to try to build it up. Because they don't want to have their whole tournament hinged upon coming here nine hours late and trying to double up because they uh, the money means something to them. They, they want to actually try to build it up 
Whereas the the people who have all the money to burn and just don't want to waste the time can show up super late and take a shot at it. And if they don't make it, the only thing they've wasted is fifteen hundred bucks, which if you have a lot of money doesn't matter to you. So I I think that really ruins the whole concept of tournaments. And I said the big problem is that when you can come in with a full stack after nine hours of play, then what you're basically doing is you're buying a spot into breaking even nine hours later. So that's not fair because everybody else didn't get the opportunity to break even for nine hours. A lot of people went out before that. You shouldn't be able to buy in at that point nine hours late as if you've been breaking even the entire time and save yourself nine hours plus the breaks. You should not be able to do that. There should be a reasonable res- late registration time that in the early, early levels when it doesn't matter much and when not much time has passed. So let, I say let people late register up to two hours and then after that start penalizing them substantially in chips for the blinds they would have missed if, if the stack was there blinding off and then after that close it. And that's it. And if you don't want to sit through the early stages, tough luck on you that no play. Then stick to cash. Well, you know, and even even if you I, – I'd probably say maybe not two hours just – to give people, you know, that are in other events that bust out uh, a little more equity. But, you know, I, I, I'd go as far as, you know, four hours. But what fair, about the full stacks, eight, though? I eight and a half hours, that's nuts. That's and I don't like the full stacks, though. I hate the full stacks because it's it's buying your way into breaking yeah, even up to what, that though, point. That's never going to change, though. I know it's not, but it's not fair. Because they want, and of course, I agree, but I'm saying from a business perspective, they want as many people, you know, playing more events and have the opportunity to play two events. And, you know, and, and, and for as much... As they're going to tell you, well, we listen to the people. That's why we submitted this to gaming and we changed the structures. No. What, what really was the bottom line is the fact that because the levels were so long and it was so hard to bust, you know, in these limit games, people were getting shut out of, you know, I mean, I think the uh, the 1500 Omaha tournament, um, it was event number two. 68% of the field made it to day two. That's unheard of. When you, I mean, when you play 10 full levels an hour long each in a day, that's absolutely unheard of before. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know who it was that wrote this blog about it, but it really truly used to be, you know, for, for people that didn't play 40, 50, 60 tournaments a year, you know, or a series, it used to be an accomplishment to make a day two. Like it meant something. Oh, he made a day two, you know, because it meant you're close to the money. You know, but when you make a day two, you know, where you can literally at, 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 at certain points not even play the last hour or two hours and, and cruise into a day two, and you're still, you know, 40%, 50% of the field away from hitting the money, it's ass backwards. But again, make no mistake about it, the reason why this was changed was because people weren't able to bust out. Yeah. Even if they had short stacks, and they, yet, hence, they couldn't register in later events. And, and it was costing the World Series Yeah, it was hitting, hitting the World was, Series right. in the pocketbook. Yeah, that's why they changed it. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, absolutely. People were saying that. Oh, you know, I'm going to min cash in this, and now I missed out on that. Or I got suckered into this. Worst case scenario, didn't cash, yet I missed this event that I wanted to play. So that that's why they did it. Yeah. I mean, it's not – listen, I don't care what anybody says, and I'm, um, I have no ulterior motives. Uh, you know, I, I don't – have no one's paying me, you know, I just give my thoughts and, uh, you know, I'm not bashing Caesars of the world series just to do so. But again, make no mistake about it. They've made it very clear. The thing that matters to them is many times they're going to write letters saying they listen to us and we're the most important things and they care. It's, it's the money. 
and they'll spin things as much as they're going to spin them. But, you know, they're, like I said earlier in this broadcast, there's so many little things that they can do that people like myself or Druff, just all intelligent people are going to say, wow, WSOP did this? Yeah, that's amazing. I can't believe they actually did, you know, did, did, you know, when I say this, I mean, whether it's lowering drinks or offering some other incentive or giving you, you know, better food comps. I mean, just things that may cost them a million dollars, you know, total over the whole series. But it's, it, but it's going to mean so much. I mean, it's, it's basically the publicity you're going to buy and the goodwill that you're going to buy with poker players for that million dollars or, or probably even less. It, it's, it's invaluable. It, it really is. Yet they don't do it. I, I just, again, I don't. I don't get it. I don't see why. I, yeah. I don't know how they can even look themselves in the eyes knowing for all the money, all the rake, all, everything, you, we're paying $15 for a hamburger in the in the poker kitchen. You know, I don't know how they allow it. I get it. It's good food. But I don't know how they allow uh, this All-American Dave to charge 25 bucks for a little piece of fish and rice. You know, maybe it's because his truck's out back the whole summer and they're charging him. Yeah, that's what it is. He, he's, he's, all, all American Dave is renting space. Well, of course he's renting so, space. So he can charge what he wants. Yeah, but I'm $25. But it's not a good deal. I don't, I don't ever order from him. I don't order from them for that reason. Yeah. They're too expensive. I mean, it's good food, you know, but, but still, even to go into the poker kitchen and get a burger and a Coke, it's 20 bucks. That's fucking insane. I mean, it, 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 it's nuts, you know? And then, well, you know what they're going to say? Well, you know what? How about this? You know... We can't lower the prices because if we did, then how would we know, you know, non-poker players would be coming in and eating? Then you know what? Everyone that buys into the event, they get a little pass, you know, or a little card or something with their name on it that shows that they're, they're playing poker or they bought in that day. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a bargain either. It can be something that they still make a little money, but they're not gouging you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I just don't get it. I mean, the amount of goodwill, like I said, that they would get from doing it, I'd notice it and I'd say, wow, they're really listening, you know, but – you know, it, it just, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, and you know, it's like, we're forced. Like when I'm staying there, you know, yeah, I walk to subway, but you know, I'm playing in events and I'm on break and I want a Coke, you know, I'm not carrying an ice cooler or an ice pack with me. You're there 10, 12, you know, I've been there 14 hours playing, you know, the day that we played the, uh, you know, draft King. Yeah. You still there? Brandon. Uh oh, I think we lost we lost Brandon and the whole radio. So, you guys, if you can still hear me on the radio, tell, tell me I'm still here. Tell, tell me I'm still here. Yeah, we lost Brandon. Question is, am I still broadcasting or is this off the air? It looks like we're still here. I hope so. You never know. You never know with the internet when you're doing an internet show. Let me try to put Brandon back on. <laughs> Someone in the chat room saying Brandon was talking too much. His phone couldn't take it anymore. It just dropped off. <laughs> yeah, we just lost Brandon. It's on his end. All right, well, I'm sure he'll be back. So I, I was going to do the mic on story, but I really want to talk about that with Brandon. So let me go to uh, the super high roller cash game at Aria with the two queens of clubs on the flop. This is really odd. Uh, we actually have a video of this. 
This happened at the Super High Roller Cash Game at the Aria, involving uh, Daniel Coleman and uh, Douglas Polk. Pulls around to Polk here. Looks like he's going to put in some action. Twenty-four hundred. This is the hit. The no straddle is the run. <laughs> it's very soft. How do I boost the volume on this? See if I could find this in a different place. I, I don't like when it's too soft. It bothers me. Let's fly in. Try to find a different place for this one. USA Today. Okay, Brandon, you're back? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I got an error message saying internet between the two callers. It was a problem. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So, this, is a, this is two queens of clubs on the flop. I'll show them what's left. Yeah, it's very soft. I don't know how you can... Hey, do me a favor. You talk for a minute. I need to go downstairs. I'm in my office. I need to get a uh, nice beverage real fast. So you need to get a nice beverage minutes. already. I'm going to go get that uh, $6 uh, iced tea <laughs> I have in the refrigerator. I'll be okay. right back. So uh, let me try to figure out how I can boost this volume here. I think I know how, one way I can do it. I didn't expect it to be this soft, but I want you guys to be able to hear it. So let's see here. Nah, it's just going to be soft. This is annoying. Well, whatever. Uh, you'll have to hear it soft. Whoever recorded this thing didn't uh, get it done very well. Here we go. I'll show him what's left, Doug. To win and save. Yeah. Pulls around to Polk here. Looks like he's going to put in some action. 2400. 2400. The Doug Polk makes a 2400. The no is the run. This is real money, by the way. This is not uh, tournament money. And Coleman makes the call. So Daniel Coleman calls. Going to the flop. $6,400 pot. Flop is ace and two clubs. Two queens of clubs. And they don't notice. And we see an ace, queen, queen, but I thought we saw two queen of clubs. And then Polk bets and Coleman folds. Coleman, uh, Polk takes it down there, but that was really interesting. I thought we saw two queen of clubs on the flop. So now Cole is saying that he, he, the hand should be backed out, which he's right about. Actually, it's the floor man saying this, not even... Uh, So, two queens of clubs on the flop at the Aria at this high-limit cash game. And, you know, televised and everything. So, or at least streamed. So, the hand was declared dead. People were wondering if maybe Polk saw this and bet it. And you could see his face. It looked kind of funny when, when he bet. It just kind of looked like he thought he was getting away with something. So, rather than saying, oh, wow, we got to kill the hand, he figures he might as well bet, see if he could take the hand, and then 
you know, if, if Coleman raises him or something, then he can always say, whoa, 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 look, two queens of clubs on the flop. We have to stop the hand. So it was a free roll. Betting on that and getting Coleman to fold is a free roll. And amazingly, Coleman folded and didn't notice. But how do you not notice that? That's two queens of clubs. What do you think he was seeing? I guess he thought he was seeing a queen of clubs and a queen of spades, and maybe he had some hand like 7-8 suited that totally missed it. But I have to think Polk probably noticed. The way he was betting, it just looked like he noticed. If you go, you can find the video on YouTube by typing in two queens of clubs. The commentator said it was, quote, interesting. I, I think it was more than interesting. I always wonder if I've been a victim of this ever, where there's been two of one card in the deck. It actually happened at the World Series main event where after I folded, someone claimed this is an all-spade board where I flopped. I think I had 8-9 of spades or 7-8 of spades, and I flopped an all-spade board. But by the end, the board paired, and someone bit into me huge who doesn't usually bluff, and I folded. And I was kind of irritated this happened. I thought I was going to make a lot of money on that hand, and instead I uh, lost money on that hand a good deal. But um, a guy said that he folded a something of spades, and I, whatever the something was, it was a hand that I had, a card I had in my hand. He said a seven of spades, and I had seven eight of spades, something like that. And at the time, I didn't say anything just because I didn't want to give away that I folded a flush. I didn't want to think, people thinking it was that easy to run me off hands, so I didn't say anything. But it bothered me so much that I, 20 minutes later, I said something, but by then, they'd already changed the deck. But I should have said something right when he said that, because if they had found two seven of spades in the deck, then I could have demanded that my chips get returned from that hand. So... Uh, T-Buck saying in the chat, it's the other seven players would have been out of line if they said something if they're not in the pot. No, that's not true. If, if, if the deck is bad, then the other seven players can say something. That's not out of line at all. Anyone who saw that should have said something. It's a good point, though. I wonder why nobody said anything. How could all everybody miss it? Weird. Okay, so let's see what else we have on the agenda. Let's talk about the... Uh, Downtown Vegas situation. I met a person from the forum. I am not going to say who it is because I'm not sure if they want their business out there. But I, I met a person from the forum who wanted to uh, go downtown. They hadn't been there before. They wanted to see it. I had nothing to do that night. And I agreed. So we went downtown in my car. And uh, I said, you know, something annoying about downtown is that they tra- they charge for parking, but technically you can get it for free because you can uh, – I mean, they technically charge, but you can really get it for free because you just park in the Binion's lot, which is a very big lot. And then you just walk into Binion's and there's a machine there that validates tickets for four hours. And we weren't going to be there for four hours or anything, so it was fine. We were just making a you know, quick jaunt downtown. So I parked in Binion's, went down there, could not find the machine that validates the tickets. I asked, where's the machine? They said, there's no machine. You get validated if you 
actively play or eat here. And they said that like, robotically, the person who said that to me. It's like, okay, so where do I get my ticket validated? You get your ticket validated if you actively play or eat here. It was like they'd said it so many times it was like robotic. And I'm like, uh-oh, I've never heard this one before. So I went into a restaurant. Hey, can you validate this? I'm sorry, I did not see you eating here. I cannot validate your ticket. I'm like, fuck, I, I had no idea. It's never been like this. They've always just snap validated your ticket when you ask them to or you find the machine yourself and do it. So I thought, okay, fine. I'll sit down and play. So I sat down. I wasn't really, quote, playing. I was sitting down. I put money in the machine. I didn't even play. I just, you know, let it sit there. Then I hit the call button, hoping someone would call, come over, say, hey, can you validate my ticket? And I'd leave. So I do that, and nobody comes. I sit there for I, probably 15 minutes, nobody comes. So I'm thinking at this point, this is, it's starting to not be worth my time. I mean, it's more than starting, it wasn't worth my time, and I, I was almost about to just give up and pay for parking. So, and it says nothing about this when you pull it into the lot. And it's been this way for years. So it's not even like I'm trying to pull a fast one on them. It's always been this way. And they've always accepted that a certain percentage of people are going to park there and uh, not really give them much business. But it was a way to get you in there. So they understood that. They understood some people would just walk in and walk back out. But others would go in and go, oh, look, blackjack. Oh, look, slot machines. Oh, look, this. And like, oh, look, I want to eat here. And like, so while it was worth it to them to get you to walk in to validate it. They weren't stupid. They knew it was like that. But they decided that they weren't going to have this anymore. And now you had to, quote, actively play, and that wasn't well-defined, or be eating there. So no one came over. So I hit the cash-out button on the machine, and I went over to the cashier, and I had a $100 cash-out for my $100 deposit. I didn't play anything. But I can't tell that. And I brought it to the cashier and said, can you validate my ticket? And she takes a look at it. Uh, 20 minutes ago. That's not a very long time. 20 minutes, I don't know, you've been here, you parked 20 minutes ago. That's not actively playing. Uh, she started giving me a hard time. I said, I don't know what actively playing is. I, I, I sat here, I played some, you know, give me, validate my ticket. Now, yeah, I was trying to pull a fast one on them, but they, this is something that, that they didn't warn me about when I pulled in. It didn't say we've changed our policy, you now need to play for an hour or, or eat a full meal at the restaurant or, to get parking. But note that before you pull in. If I saw that and pulled in anyway, that's one story. But th- it's been this way for years, that basically you can get validated for nothing over there. So finally she did it very reluctantly and gave me a look like, like I was a thief or something. So that was my first experience. So uh, the individual with me, as you guys know, I don't drink. But, but the guy with me there, he, he likes to drink. And uh, and he said, hey, you know, do you mind if, if we go to a bar or something? You're the one driving. And I'm like, oh, you know, okay, sure. So I said, you know what's actually a good idea? If you don't want to uh, pay for expensive drinks, why don't we just go sit at a bar and, uh, you know, you slow play video poker? And that, this has been a longstanding trick in Vegas, not just downtown but everywhere, that you sit at a bar, you play 25-cent video poker if it's at that bar, and you just play really, really, really slowly. Even if the odds on the machine aren't good, obviously if you you know play very slowly on the table or on the, on the machine, then uh, the amount of free drinks you'll get will much more than pay for itself. So it's known as slow-playing video poker at the bar. And this has gone on for decades. This is not a new trick. Everyone knows it. So at the Golden Nugget, which I, I showed this person. I said, look, they're all, not all sleazy downtown like Binion's. Let me show you the Golden Nugget. So we went in there. 
And we sat down at the bar. And um, remember, I don't drink. So I was not interested in the drink. So, you know, I, so first there's a sign on the machine that says, in order to get free drinks, you must be actively playing. There's that actively playing wording. And this is a different hotel. This is Golden Nugget. You must be playing at least $20. And uh, you have to be betting at least more than a dollar per hand. So at the very minimum, you have to be betting 25 cents five, you know, at five coins max. Or four coins, I guess, if you, this is the minimum. So I'm like, wow, those are pretty stringent requirements, but all right. So so I put a 20 in, and I was trying to slow play 25 cents uh, at five times each for $1.25. So I was meeting the requirements. I put 20 in. I was playing $1.25 per hand. I was playing kind of slow, but I, was, I wasn't just doing one. I was doing a few of them. You know, I was, I was playing. Other guy sitting next to me, he's not playing. I... Get the bartender, a woman there. I order a drink. She gives me the drink. Give her a tip. Hand the drink over to my friend. He drinks it. Keep playing again. I'm playing semi-actively. I'm not like rushing through the hands, but I'm not just playing one hand and sitting there for 10 minutes. And I'm playing the amount they want me to play. And by the way, when I when I asked her the first drink, she leans over the bartender to look at the machine really, really closely. It's like, uh, okay, okay, here's your drink. So then after my friend's done, I ask for a second drink. She looks again at the machine, bends over the machine, looks at it, uh, okay. But when I give you this drink, you cannot hand it to your friend over there. I said, what? She said, yes, you cannot hand this drink to your friend. He cannot drink it. You have to drink it. I said, why does this matter who drinks it? I'm not asking for an extra drink for him. The same drink once you give it to me. If I've qualified for it by these standards here, why can't I give it to my buddy if, if I don't want to drink it right now? It's the same drink. She says, look, I, I agree with you, but um, you know these aren't my rules. So I, I stopped her. I said, look, you know, I understand. I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm sorry if I come off that way. I know these are your rules, and I, and I fully understand you're doing what they tell you to do. I just, I, I just, I'm just shocked at this rule here. That if I do everything that's listed here, which is already pretty restrictive to me, uh, th- that if I earn a drink, that I can't even give it to my friend to drink instead of me. She says, I, I agree with you, but uh, they, to- they told us who. She says, you know, I- I'm not going to police this. Look, you just uh, just make sure your friend drinks it when I'm on the other side of the bar and can't see. So I'm like, all right. So I hand it to him, and he drinks that too. Well, after she was done with that, she came back over. And she started to vent to me because she knew I was not blaming her and she knew I was sympathetic. She started to vent to me. She says, you see these signs on there about needing to play $20 and needing to run a dollar through and actively play and all that? That was put on there just last week because of a union grievance. And I said, oh, really? She said, yeah. We hate this. We referring to the bartenders. We hate this. The Golden Nugget staff has told us that we are responsible to police this. So whereas our job has always been just to make drinks and be nice to the customers, now we have to police what they're doing on video poker, and we think that's ridiculous, and we don't want to do it. And the customers fight with us too, and we don't like that either. And it affects our tips, and it affects our work environment. And she said that one of the bartenders there who had been there for 15 years or more, forgot how many years, but a lot of years, got fired because – He didn't police the video poker slow playing well enough. 
<laughs> he, he let too many video pokers or slow players order drinks. Too many All for right. what they qualified for. I'm so, back. Sorry. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the, the crackdown downtown about the video poker slow play. Is this uh, the Golden Nugget thing? Yes, yes. Okay. And, Fill and, me in. I'm sorry. What 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 have I missed? Uh, ba- basically, if uh, when you come to the Golden Nugget, there's signs in the video poker machines that if you want free drinks, you have to have $20 in the machine. You have to be actively playing a dollar or more per hand. And there's a hidden rule that's not on the sign that – if you get a drink, you can't hand it over to somebody sitting with you to drink it. You have to drink it yourself. This is not a joke. And the bartenders are now required there to police all of this. And they're pissed because they have a union and this was never part of the employment agreement. So a guy got – a bartender there got fired. And I, knew, I, I, was, I, was, I was telling the audience, I, I ended up talking to one of the bartenders at, at the Golden Nuggets. And she told me that a guy who'd been there a very long time got fired for not policing the video poker machines at the bar closely enough before handing out free drinks. So he filed a grievance with the union, and it was determined that because they didn't have a sign on the machine about the requirements, that he could not be fired, even if he had been directed to do this. So the the firing was overturned, and the Golden Nugget immediately put these obnoxious signs on the video poker machines about the requirements, except the, except the fact that you, you can't hand a, a drink over to your friend who's sitting next to you or your girlfriend or your wife or whatever. So uh, – so, so anyway, she was going on how awful this is, how the this is not what the job is to bartend, is to police video poker and to watch how people are playing and to and to watch who's drinking the drink and that uh, it, it's everyone's miserable, everyone wants to quit, and uh, she can't believe they're doing this. Why are they being so cheap? Why does it matter? People are playing negative expectation machine anyway. Why don't they just you know? Why aren't they just happy with what they get? The drinks are so cheap. The drinks cost them so little money. I mean, she was bringing up good points. But she said the union is furious about this downtown, and I guess a lot of places are doing this there. You know what's strange, though? That started – That this actually made news almost a decade ago at the win. They were, they were the first place to implement that at their bars um, on the, in the entire property, and I assume now the Encore, that unless you're playing uh, max credit, which is which would be $1.25, there, there are quarter machines there – uh, you you can't get drinks. But what if you're actually, what if you're what if you're like slow playing like like playing one every twenty minutes? Um, I mean, I don't think that wasn't brought up when you know this was in the news. And again, this is about a decade ago. They were the first property to literally take a stand against this. Um, you know, it's actually funny you mention that because when I moved out here, I've never uh, I've, not, I've never been a heavy drinker. But when I moved out here and I was in the casino industry, when we get off work late at night, you know. Uh, you know, I worked majority of my well, I'd say not majority. I'd say half of my casino career back around 2000, 2001, 2002. I worked swing shift, and when you get off work at you know two, three in the morning, you know people didn't want to go home, and that's what the majority of people did. They would sit there and they they you know put a twenty in the machine and bet a quarter a spin or fifty cents a spin every couple minutes, and they drink for free. And you know you give the bartender two, three bucks every drink, and he's not going to say nothing. And a lot of people did this, you know, just it was a great way to get drunk or, you know, just yeah. have some drinks, you know, for very minimal cost. Then Wynn became the first place on the strip that instrument that uh, instrumented the five coin minimum to, to get a drink. Um, but I don't like I said, I don't recall reading about whether slow drinking, uh, you know, applied. Well, I mean, now, now, did, did it apply that if you gave the drink to your friend and said you drinking it yourself, there'd be a problem or you don't know about that? I thought that was the most ridiculous of all the rules. 
Uh, I, that wasn't a rule. I mean, it was it was just basically you have to. You, know, you used to be able to go to any bar, and in some places you still can, and you could put a twenty dollar bill in the machine. You could bet a quarter on blackjack. You know, and, and believe me, even though blackjack, you know, uh, is an awful game, you know, video video wise, because uh, you know you can't split aces. Uh, you, you don't know, get three two. You don't pays, get three. It pays one to one for the uh, yeah. Blackjack, blackjack yeah. pays even money, but still, uh, playing a quarter, you know, a spin, and you know, getting you know decent top shelf alcohol, it, it, you know, takes a long time still to even lose twenty bucks playing that game. Yeah. I mean, you know, at a quarter, and a lot of people did that. And even today on the strip, you can still go to lower end places and throw a twenty in a machine and sit there and put your card in, or you know, especially you know if you go where it's busy. The bartenders don't have time to be babysitters and wa- be watching what you're betting, you know, per spin. Um, but you know what? In regards to that, you know, I don't know. I've never heard. I mean, I, I don't know of such a thing in terms of switching out a drink. I mean, I'll go as far as to say even places like the Bellagio, where I've you know been to recently, if I'm playing, and, and this is how it's always been there, and I've never had any issue, if I'm playing something at the Bellagio, and I'm with a, a friend or a companion, and a cocktail waitress comes by. Ninety uh, percent of the time, she'll ask, "What would we like to drink?" Yes, yes. With the person sitting next to me that that, that may not be playing. Yeah. Uh, so and I, then, in the event that they don't ask, and I just say, "I want this," and she'll have that, they never give me an argument. Yes, they never say yeah. what playing. Yeah. I've never had that issue happen. I think it's um, crazy. I think it's absolutely nuts. That that's the worst part of it. I could not believe they had a rule that the same drink that they're willing to give you. That you can't give it to a person who's sitting with you. Who cares who drinks it? Why does that matter? So if you've earned the drink, if they want to set a requirement to how you earn the drink, I, I think it's kind of cheesy, but fine. But but to actually say who can then consume the drink is crazy. Uh, imagine if I if I bought a sandwich and you and I said, yeah, I'm actually not hungry. Brandon, would you like it? And someone slapped it out of my hand. Ah, 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 you can't give it to Brandon, but I, I paid for the sandwich. Nope, nope, nope. Only you can eat the sandwich. Brandon cannot eat it. Like, can you imagine? It's the same thing here. I, I can't give the drink to the guy sitting next to me. So I, I was so turned off by this. I, I, after having the very interesting discussion with the uh, the bartender, and she said that the, everyone's furious over there and the people who've been there for 20 years are, are wanting to quit. And that uh, Hey, I, I swear to you – I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, we'll get back to a second. I'm not making this up. Like, I'll send you the text. This is from a friend of mine that's playing the 777 right now. Just had Jack 10 of clubs on the button. I had 5,400 in chips. All folds to me. The blinds are 200, 400. I make it 1,200, okay, to go. The small blind folds. The big blind calls. Okay, my friend had 10 jack. Okay, the flop comes. 10 jack, 5. Okay, I bet he raises. I re-raise. He shows ace king. Turn, nothing. River queen. He makes Broadway. Okay, the guy that just busted me. I just found out he won the 25K PLO bracelet the other day. <laughs> Anthony Zeno does it again. He said, my friend, he's playing a $777 tournament after just winning $1.1 million. It must be for relaxation. That's unbelievable. That's, un- that's hilarious. He just shoves the ace-king over cards over on him. Yeah, just gets the straight. Why not? The queen came on the river. You know, you know what I don't understand here? How come when I, I put a few bad beats down on people in the 50-50 event, and I know a bad beat's going to come bite me in the ass afterwards, and it does. I know it's coming because I know I'm not that lucky to run like that well the whole way through. 
So, like, how come I know that's coming and it does? And it's not even like I play differently. Like, I play, you know, the exact same way I would have otherwise, and I got it in good. And then, you know, he hits the queen on the river. But, like, how come, like, when you or I do this, we know, like, the, the bad beats are going to come get us after a short time. But Anthony Zeno, it just doesn't happen. He just, he just runs through the whole year without getting bad beat. How does he do it? It's unbelievable. Okay. Uh, so. <laughs> What are the odds of that, too? The fact that it's my friend. Yeah. There's over 3,400 people in this city, and we're just talking about them. Fuck. Wow. It's rough. All right. Well, you know, we haven't talked about a big topic here because I've been waiting for you to, you know, you were here, and then you, the, you had the internet problems, and you had to go downstairs yeah. with the top shelf shrink. So, okay. Uh, Brian Mikon, back at the World Series, dodging jail time. Another unbelievable fucking thing that literally – He's been within five feet of me no less than four times. I haven't seen him once, strangely it's, enough. It, it's amazing. There's thousands. There's 10,000 people in that fucking place. How is he? He was uh, uh, – when I played the study yesterday, I'm in line. I'm with uh, uh, Matos from, from here and my friend uh, that I staked in the tournament in Genie. And I'm in the diamond, you know, seven-star, you know, whatever registration line. Who's right behind me? Who's who? Literally, is in the next spot queue to go to the window that I'm at. Brian Mycon, it's right behind me. And, you know, Jeannie's looking at me, and I'm looking at her. And Matos is Matos is laughing and giggling. I mean, he's right behind me in line. Wow! It's just like it's I, so weird. So for those of you that don't know, yeah. he he uh, he made a deal to come back to the U.S. and face the charges and appear in court over the. The single count, felony count of running an unlicensed gaming site, which was Seals with Clubs. Now, the really weird thing was, as he was coming to the U.S. to face the charges of running this site, which is now down, he is still running an almost identical site called SWC Poker. It did not come down. It's still running to this day. So he's coming to face charges for a crime that he's essentially still committing with a different site. And and for some reason, no one has a problem with that. So he, he comes in, goes to court, and uh, I think he showed up in a black suit or something. His attorney had already negotiated some kind of settlement that at the time we did not know. Well, what kind of stiff sentence did he get for this, for this plea bargain? Well, first of all, his felony got reduced to a gross misdemeanor. He got fined $25,000, which is a small fraction of what he made during the time he ran Seals with Clubs. We don't know exactly what he made, but it was far more than twenty-five k. He got probation, not any kind of jail time. And the formal sentencing and agreement for probation will take place on Monday, July 6th. And that's it. And then he left, changed out of his suit, and registered for the 1500 Dealer's Choice event at the World Series. Let's also also throw one more thing in there just just so we're reporting it factually. The judge still has to approve this deal. Now, in all likelihood, the judge will. But there, there is, within the realm of the law, the possibility of the judge saying, no, I don't accept this plea bargain. And then uh, the the Bitcoin minister then has the option to withdraw his guilty plea. Hmm. So, I mean, it's not set in stone, 
you know, 99, I'd say probably 99% that it's going to yeah. be the way that we've said. And then more, I'm sure it'll become public uh, what the terms of his probation are. If, you know, drug testing, uh, we know one of them is he can't leave the country uh, during the duration of uh, his probation. And, but again, there still is that chance that, you know, maybe this lady's been lobbied and her biggest uh, don't, you know, donor when she you know, won her judgeship last time was, uh, you know, CET properties. And she can say, no, I don't accept this. This is too easy, you know, too light of a plea deal. We need to come up with something better. I, I reject it. And they have to go back to the drawing board. Again, with a high-profile attorney like Chesnoff that, you know, probably has dinner and maybe even plays golf with the judge, you know, probably not going to happen. But just for accuracy, you know, points, the judge does have to. Report. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks thanks for adding that. Yeah, I didn't think about that. You're yeah. right. Uh, so, but but it's it's amazing to me. That and maybe this is going to be part of the formal probation deal, but I don't think so. From watching what they've been posting, I'll read it to you guys shortly. What they've been posting on uh, the bit, the Bitcoin Talk forum about seals with clubs or SWC. But I I would think that at the very minimum, if they're going to let him off with this slap on the wrist, they would say, okay, well, at the very least, we're not going to approve this plea deal unless you take down the new site that you admitted on a YouTube video you set up yourself as soon as you left the country. After we raided your apart your your house, so they raided his house. This is not speculation on my part or guesses on my part. He said it himself on a video. They raided his house. He took off immediately to Antigua. They took down seals with clubs, and he put up seals with club uh, SWC poker, which is pretty much the same site. And he put it up, and he was the sole owner, and he said that. I mean, he was he was open about it. He's open. Yeah, I'm I'm the one running this now. So he was running it. It's still running today. So he came back to face the charges for the first site while the second site's still running. And for whatever reason, I just don't understand. They don't have a problem with it. So what was accomplished here? Absolutely nothing. Because the same site essentially is running. It's got less traffic, but it's the same site. Nevada players can still play on there if they want. Anyone from Nevada can sign up with SWC Poker right now and play for real money Bitcoin. And... Everything's the same, and he's not going to jail, and he's paying a, a laughable fine compared to what he made there. Uh, it's it's amazing to me that this would have been the plea bargain, especially that his second site that he admitted he set up himself is sta- still able to run. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. How do I know that this is still Mike on site? Maybe he sold it. And if he sold it, well, then it's not his responsibility anymore. Uh, nor does he have control over a third party running it. Well, let me uh, read you something. First of all, on Bitcoin Talk, he posted once that he's, quote, stepping away from SWC Poker. He didn't say that he's selling it or leaving it. He's just stepping away. Stepping away doesn't mean leaving. It means uh, temporarily. That's what that Martha Stewart... Uh-oh, you're cutting off again. did when she was under indictment. She stepped away. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, you, you got better again. Yeah, it was, it was cutting out for whatever reason. Hello? Okay. Yeah, I was saying that's what that Martha uh, Stewart did when she was under indictment. She stepped away. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so let Better. me. Yeah, you're cut. Let me cut you. I'm going to call you right back. You're cutting out. There's problems on Brandon's end, I think. Let's see if we can reach him. In the meantime, I'm going to find this uh, this Bitcoin talk post. I can't reach him. For some reason, there's an issue with the connection to Brandon tonight, but I'm going to read this on here. 
This is posted today, earlier today, from an account called SWC underscore poker, which is the official account for SWC poker, the new seals. And it was posting posting on uh, bitcointalk.org. Uh, someone asked, can you comment on the rumor going around that SWC poker was maybe sold or the owner is another guy? Can you confirm 100% Micon was the only owner and is still the only o- owner of SWC poker? I think we deserve to know who can be trusted with our Bitcoin. So this is from SWC Poker in response to what I just read. As far as I can tell, this is like saying we need we need to know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. You know, he's the inventor of Bitcoin. Uh, no, we don't. We use Bitcoin even though there's a risk of Satoshi lowering the value by selling off all of his. The record of SWC is just as good as Satoshi's. Play is kept going. Withdrawals and deposits continue to be processed. You know why Satoshi is anonymous? Because if he wasn't, he'd end up just like the guy that started eGold. He'd be in prison or dead. SWC stands by its record of timely processing of payments and its ethical delivery of its product and service. We do not understand your insistence at painting a target on another guy's head and turning him into a martyr. Adelson's thugs already had a SWAT team point guns at a toddler. That's also, that's not true, by the way. But uh, How many replications of this scenario will you people need until you're satisfied? SWC is more secure without a face attached to it, not less so. Micon never had control over the deposits at old seals, not for one single second, and the same goes for the new seals. Now let's hold it right there. This is from the official SWC poker account. Micon never had control of the deposits at the old seals, and the same goes for the new seals. Okay, ignoring whether that's true or not, does this say he's not part of the new seals? Does it say Micon never had control of the old seals, and the new seals he's since left? He's not here anymore. Why wouldn't he say he's not here anymore? You don't have to identify the new person. You can just say Micon has left, but... We're not saying who the new owner is because we don't want him to get in trouble also. But this is specifically saying here, without saying it, that he's still there. Micon never had control over the deposits at the old seals, and the same goes for the new seals. Right. He didn't have control, but he's still there. Otherwise, if he wasn't there, they'd say it. There's no, there's no harm in saying he's not there anymore. There's only harm in saying who the owners are. That I can understand why they don't want to reveal them. So he writes, do you want the guy that holds the deposits to be publicly identifiable so the cops can point a gun at him and steal your money? Had it been that way at old seals, everyone would have been fucked. It wasn't. The deposits were held in a manner that no act of violence could have disrupted them, so the site was was able to wind down in an orderly fashion and deliver everyone's money to them. We're not changing a formula that works, and frankly, we aren't putting another good guy and his little girl at risk so that a bunch of thugs can have someone to point a gun at. We couldn't live with ourselves if we had to hear of yet another person screaming, please don't shoot my baby, to a bunch of violent criminals. You dig? I mean, this is so stupid. You, th- you think they really pointed a gun at toddler and he was thinking they're going to shoot his baby, please. Uh, the doors will stay open. Your deposits are safe. We stand by our record. We stand by our product. On our record, our word, our honor, your Bitcoin is safe with us. The main point to take away from all this is that they are saying he's still there. They are saying... He didn't control the deposits of the old seals. He's not controlling them here either, meaning he's still here just like he was there. So if he was gone, then great. Say he's gone. And in fact, that puts him in better shape legally. Say, yeah, Mike on – he got in trouble, so we're not going to say who the new owners are, but he sold SWC poker to us. We're not going to say who we are. We don't want to end up like him, but you can trust us. That's what they would say if he sold it. Instead, they're just saying – yeah, he didn't control the deposits before. He's not controlling them again. So don't worry. Even if he gets busted again, nothing will happen to the money. 
That's what they're saying. And that might be true, by the way. But uh, I, I find it amazing that he hasn't sold this. And, and this is stuff from the, the official SWC poker account, not just some idiot on a forum speculating. So it's amazing to me. It's amazing that he could continue running this. The only thing that would make a little bit of sense, but I doubt it's true, but maybe, is if they are giving him rope to hang himself. If they're letting him plea this out, if they're just not bringing up the SWC poker thing, and then as soon as he pleads out and the probation's official, then they make a case about SWC poker and bust him on that. And then he's officially violating his probation and they get him. Maybe that's the, the sinister plan here. Actually, not sinister, but maybe that's the plan. Other than that, I, I don't get it. it. I, I, I doubt, doubt it, too. It. I doubt it, too. And I don't get it. I don't get it. He's not even, he's not even putting up a sham sale. I, I figured he would at least say, all right, everybody, this is Brian Mikon. I have sold SWC Poker. It's gone. I'm not the owner anymore, anyone. So now you can trust the other owners, but I'm not part of it anymore. Good day, everyone. And then he's really owning it in the background. I, that is what I expected. But this if, is... If- if we have any attorneys that listen to this show, I'm really curious. And, and you know, if you're a member or not a member, you know, just you can PM me. You can tweet at me, you know, DM me, I'll add you. But I don't get for the life of me why this second site he brought up hasn't been brought up by anybody. Why even in the the press release from from the state attorney – wasn't stated that he's agreed to shut down. The, I mean, I, I, I don't. It's like it's been forgotten. Yeah, like it's like it doesn't exist. Talk about it. Yeah, I don't understand it. I don't understand it either. I don't. How can they just pretend this doesn't exist? The same site's running. Nevada players can still play there. It, it's basically the same thing. It's a site he said he started, and on these Bitcoin talk things from the official account running this site that he started. Uh, they're not saying he sold it. So someone even asked on there after this. They said. I appreciate your reply greatly. You managed to answer a lot of my questions, but left me with more. Based upon what you wrote, you're, you're saying Mikon's done, no longer owns it. Why, um, um, why paint a target on another guy's head and risk a new guy's family? Why didn't he just tell us all he was done? They didn't actually say up there that he was done, but you know that's still a good question. Why, why isn't he just coming out and saying, I'm done with it? So they wrote in response to the official SWC poker account, Maybe the icon will rise again one day. So they're even saying maybe he'll be promoting it again one day when it's safer. They're basically saying. But forget about that. There's no disincentive to say that he's gone. They should say he's gone if he's gone because it'll be safer for him. It'll be safer legally for him on probation if he's gone. So if he really sold it, then he should want everyone to know. He should shout from the mountaintops, hey, I sold it. I'm not part of this anymore. Don't blame me if they continue taking bets from Nevada. Go after whoever does it. Don't go after me. I'm not giving you any info who they are, but uh, don't go after me. It's not my problem anymore. That, that's what you would think he would say, but he's, he's not announcing he sold it. He's not even announcing like a sham sale. It's just going on like he's stepping away. It's, it's crazy. I don't know. How are they just ignoring that the other site exists? That a new site is the weirdest thing. I'm not saying this out of bitterness or out of hatred of Mikon. I just don't understand it. Can, can anyone explain to me? I mean, no, even if we were just a neutral party that was reporting on these facts, which I kind of 
you know, for the most part, we are. I mean, obviously, we're giving our personal opinion. I don't think either one of us is swayed in saying that we relish a lot of this because of, of you know our dealings and the way we were treated in the past. But again, just as somebody that was just reporting the news, it's still a question that I would still be asking. That doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody can come out. No matter how you feel about this, even if you feel Micon was wronged. You can't tell me this makes any sense that the government does this whole thing and then uh, uh, ignores the fact that a new site exists. <laughs> how how can they not care about the new site if they cared about the first site? I mean, the only thing I can think of, and I don't even think this is logically correct because case history has told us it isn't, is because you know before he was actually literally running it from Las Vegas and. And even though I guess the servers weren't, but, you know, this other site was set up while he was in another country, but it still was, I mean, you know, the point I'm making is the fact that it was still allowing U.S. residents uh, to sign uh, up. I, Brandon, we're having a hard time with you on Skype tonight. We have a trader ski here to replace you. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Trader ski's here. Hello. Hey, guys. I'll chime in. Wasn't, the, wasn't this case more that he was doing it out of Vegas? Well, yes, yes and no. Uh, it was it was the case – that was why he was accessible to bust. Uh, it, but the case was that he was allowing Nevada residents to play on there. He was serving it on the, – the, the, the difference is, though, if he wasn't in Nevada, it would be a lot harder to arrest him. If he was in a different state, it would be hard but not impossible. If he was in a different country, it would be nearly impossible. So th- this was like the low-hanging fruit for them. They, uh, they had the guy running a, an illegal site for Vegas residents, uh, doing work of it on it from Vegas, and being right there in Vegas to grab. So Right. I thought it was because he was running it out of Vegas was one of the main things, that maybe they're not involved with the cases that happened overseas, and maybe that's like the New York District Court that would take that on or something. But but it's still for the thing. It may be, but it's they're still doing it for. Uh, he's still in Vegas physically now again, and he's still running it. Um, it's still a site running uh, that allows Vegas residents to play. I, I believe it's any jurisdiction locally can pos- prosecute it. Just because the the federal government has been doing it, as opposed to the state government, doesn't mean the state governments can't. It, it, it's just so strange. I don't. I don't know what to say. I may, maybe it's what you're saying here. I don't know what to say. It's it's the weirdest thing. Right. And then, like, right when his probation kicks up, kick, I mean, I'm assuming he'll be on probation. Right? Yeah, he will be. So, I mean, I'm sure that says he can't run another online gambling site. And right. That might just click in the day he does the deal. They could be trying to do something. Maybe. You know? that's, what I, that's the only, on the phone? Yeah, that's that trader ski. Where do I know that name from? He's what's the up, one who fell, he, he falls asleep. Oh yeah, the, guy, the what's up, buddy? How you doing? He was the one that I'm chimed good, in show, and then he fell back asleep and yeah, chimed he, back in. Yeah, he falls uh, asleep. Right. I'm How walking the dogs. I won't be. I'm doing good. Good. Are you hearing me better now, Jeff? Yes, yes. Sure what the yeah, for some reason there's like a connection problem, but it, it seems okay right now. Huh. Okay. So, so, but yeah, I mean, he's bringing up Trader Ski is basically saying that uh, maybe they're treating this as if if he's not actually running it from Vegas, uh, that they just they think this is the federal government's thing to worry about. It just doesn't make sense. I don't. I think if I started a uh, a re- let's say I started a real money poker site from California to compete with the the Nevada sites. Let's even say I was. Let's say I claimed it was Nevada only. 
but I ran it from California. I don't think they'd let me get away with that. I don't think they'd just say, well, all right, uh, you know, as long as you're sitting in California, we're not going to bust you. Like, they're not going to say that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, no, I, just thought it, I just thought the original thing was more around that he was running it from Vegas. That's why the Vegas Gaming Commission was so interested in um, <clears throat> pulling the plug on it and doing everything. Our so. justice system is a joke. And I'm not saying this, you know, I'm being as partial as, as I can. If I was a judge and the defendant came with me with these charges, there's no doubt in my mind, the death sentence. And then, you know what? <laughs> Little, just hear me out, okay? Give him the death sentence, okay? And then have all the appeals and everything, you know, go real, real fast. So 18 months, you know, they what do they even do in Nevada? I think it's... Uh, I think it's a gas chamber, or no, maybe it's lethal injection. Okay, whatever it is, you lethal inject him, he gets a death sentence. Then you know what? How many legal gambling operators are going to be serving people in Nevada after that? <laughs> Just set, be honest. Yes, yeah, set an example. Yeah. Someone going to be there in both? They're going to, they're going to be in uh, Romania. Holy shit! They kill a man in Nevada for illegal online gambling. <laughs> I mean, you set a precedence. Precedence. Let's be honest, you. That's what I do. I mean, you give a tough enough penalty. No one's going to follow in his footsteps. I and mean, then, sure, fine, you're going to say it's Gargarian, it's a little overbearing, but you know what? I mean, this is a very dangerous man we're talking about. Um, so, I, I think I think judged. the next I think the next sentence after that should also be uh, they they should have sentences against uh, radio hosts who uh, pretend to be in the studio when they're really not and pretend to have a live show when it's really pre-recorded. I think that should also be a death sentence. Or you know what? The ultimate irony: you bring back stoning to death. <laughs> All right, have him stone. Have a stoner stone to death. <laughs> you know, I think Druff, that that's a pretty bad, awful way. If you had to either go out Druff by being tarred and feathered, or or being stoned to death, which one would you pick? I thought the tarred and feathered people weren't actually killed; they were just uh, humiliated, and, and then the tar is kind of hot. Well, but put enough tar, enough feathers on them, they can't breathe and they suffocate and die. Oh, they, I think they, I'd, ra- I'd rather have the stones then. <laughs> I'll take the stone. Trader, Trader Ruski, what do you think? Stone to death or uh, tarred and feathered? I, I think both are definitely appropriate. I would say stoning, <laughs> stoning to death, so that way I love the, this kid. the community can get more involved. Both are, <laughs> both are appropriate. Uh, we got to make this kid uh, uh, give him something. I mean, I'm a special guest star like Heather Locklear, <laughs> but maybe a featuring or also including something. The kid, the kid has potential here. I like him. <laughs> Uh, uh, he's he's actually given things to us, though. He he, he actually uh, uh, has been very generous with uh, Poker Fraud Alert in various ways. So uh, yeah. very nice. Anyway, uh, thank you, Traderski. Anything else you'd like to say here? No, you can stay on. Let the no, yeah, that's right. On. I guess you can stay no, if you want. No, it's up it's up to you. Yeah. You you can do whatever you want. Have him stay on. The, the... No, I'll stay on and listen. Okay, he'll stay on. You know you know what? I actually it would be a lot of effort, but I found a way. I think. That I could set up a poker fraud alert radio listener line that from any phone you can just call up a number while we're on and just listen without directly calling into the show. But it's a lot of work, and I ask people, "Do you want this?" And I, I got people saying, "No," but you know, could you broadcast on Periscope or Twitch? I'm like, oh, you know what? Just forget the whole thing. I'm not not going to do anything now. I'm not doing Periscope or Twitch. This is this no, is. Radio. I, I got to ask you. I, I I'm not. You know, when I was young. 
I always knew, like, the top of the line, like, you know, whatever the technology was, the best computer, the best phone. And now I, I, I you know, there's new things that come out. I don't even know what, I mean, I didn't get on Twitter until like two, three years after everyone else was. I wasn't on Facebook until, of all things, it was Nicole's Nice that told me about Facebook. Oh, really? On it. What is this Periscope? I'm not even going to lie and be like, oh, I, I know what it is. I keep seeing it, Periscoping now. I don't know what the Periscoping fuck is. Periscoping is basically, uh, it's it's like live Video broadcasting yourself as you walk around. So like uh, Ronnie Barda did it, for example, at, at a – I'm even surprised they allowed him to do it. Maybe they didn't know he did. He was doing this at the World Series when he was sitting down and playing the event. I, I don't know if he was broadcasting the play. He may have just been broadcasting like the, the table before it gets going. But uh, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much you're walking around and people can live your life with you. It's not like a, a stationary webcam. It's like an app on your phone. I guess you can do it with a webcam too, but uh, it's it's meant to basically walk around and broadcast yourself on video. Whereas uh, Twitch okay. is like a little different; it's more like having a a home show on your computer. And people are doing this now. They're they're yeah, yeah apparently and... apparently yeah. So why is it called is that Periscope? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not hip enough to know that. Now well, that's probably, illegal, though, right? Like can't, the, uh, I can't be periscoping while I'm at the uh, World Series contest, can I? I don't think so. Ronnie Barta did it. I don't know how far he did it into the event, but he was doing it. I was surprised, but he did it. What, what were you saying, Tradishki, about why they called it that? No, I was saying it's, it was like the uh, Seinfeld episode where Kramer had the periscope in the car to look over traffic. Traffic. That's funny. <laughs> You know, are you a big Trader Ruski? Are you a big uh, Seinfeld fan? Um, you know, I was back in the day, but catch an, it, 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 an episode occasionally. Have you seen? Uh, I mean, uh, syndication, whatnot. Have you think you've seen about every episode? I'm sure I have. Uh, what about uh, what about you, uh, Todd? Were you a Seinfeld fan or no? No, I was only a. a um, it was one of these things where I didn't seek it out, but if I saw it, I would watch it and I'd enjoy it. But it was, I, for some reason, I never got into it enough to like seek it out and make sure to watch it a whole lot or, or record it. It was just one of these things. Like I'd say, "Oh, Seinfeld's on," then I'd keep it on and watch it. So I ended up seeing a number of episodes that way, but I, I definitely haven't seen all of them or anywhere close to that. Hmm. Uh. Traderinsky, my favorite episode of Seinfeld is one that's t- entitled The Intern. Are you familiar with that episode? Refresh my memory. The Intern is, is the episode in which Kenny, or well, his name is Kenny, Kramer gets a kid that's going to NYU to, in, to intern for Kramerica, which basically. Oh, just, that's right. That's right. Yes. Do you remember that episode? Is where he has the Mur- is not where he has the Mur- Griffin set set up in his living. No, that's actually that's a different episode. When when uh, Merv Griffin uh, he has it's he finds it in the dumpster and then he has a, yeah, very good. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite shows. Uh, I I don't know. I, I got into it probably like in season two or three. I've seen every episode at least twenty or thirty times, and I'll challenge anybody. Anywhere, really? wow. anytime. That should be a Seinfeld. contest we have here. Yeah. Yeah. So what's okay, – okay, I'll give, I'm going to throw out a trivia question to you, uh, Trader Ruski. What's your vice, buddy? Do you like, uh, uh, the, the, I don't know, eating? 
Uh, cigars. I mean, what, 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 what? I'm going to give you a trivia question. I'll give you a chance to win a prize. But what is it? What's what's the vice? What do you like? Um, the vice is probably uh, food and alcohol. All right. Uh, this is what I'll do. Where do, where do you like to eat at? I mean, what's like a brand name place? If I want to get you a gift card or some shit. Oh, you don't have to do that. I, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> Brandon's in a generous you, mood here. Okay, no, but you don't even know if you're going to – what? Yeah, maybe you'll lose. You eat yeah. With this thing, tell me some place where I could go to the – the store and find a gift card. You know, like a, a what's a common place? Like out? Do you like the Outback? You ever go to the Outback? <laughs> yeah, the steaks and that blooming onion. No, I, I don't really go there. I go to uh, where do I go when I'm in Vegas? Well, Todd, where you and I had lunch one time at Spago. That's right, we did. Yeah, but they don't make no Spago gift card there. That's uh, true. <laughs> but how about uh, Amazon? How about that? Okay, perfect. You guys are you guys are going to lunch at Spago, Todd? Yeah, yeah. He paid for it too. I was uh, oh, he was a very generous guy. All right. All right, where, where are you right now, uh, Trader Risky? You outside or you're in the house? Oh, no, I'm outside. Okay, good. Because I want to make sure you don't have any internet access. Okay. I'm going to ask you a Seinfeld trivia question, and it's going to be good for a $20 Amazon, uh, what have you. Wow, if so I can't that's a- find one. I mean, I don't know if they if they make them if they don't make them in twenty dollars denominations or twenty five or whatever the fuck. I will uh, just send it to you on PayPal. Wow, this is okay? this is like uh, this is above our budget too. All right, go ahead. We don't even have to, we have a budget. Go ahead. All right, here we go. You have ten seconds. We have a clock drop. No, we'll just play the sound fed music. Go ahead. You're gonna have ten seconds. No internet. No cheating. No looking at the chat. You're outside with the dogs. Only comes up in one episode of Seinfeld. What is the birth name of Cosmo Kramer's mother who works as a bathroom attendant? Ten seconds. Oh, God. I remember the episode. I'll go with, uh, I don't remember, but I'll say Edna. It is incorrect. Does anyone, oh, there you go, the first person in the chat. Ball Hawk Net. Got it correct. It is Babs. Babs. Oh, Kramer. that's right. Okay. And you know what, uh, uh, Trader Ruski, next week I'll have another one. You come <laughs> on the show, we'll do this again. I, I love Seinfeld. But uh, good effort, yeah, but at least I know you're not a cheater. And, you know, it's really hard to do trivia on, on these uh, radio podcast shows these days because anyone – I know. I know it's hard. That's, that's why the last trivia contest they did was like Dan Druff trivia where people can't look this stuff up. Yeah. And by the way, user, uh, actually, I should almost say a friend, because I've known him for a while. Uh, he's drunk. He wants to come on radio. At, uh, his name is C. Manx on the site. It's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who he is, yeah. Yes, he says he's drunk. He's Skyping me. Uh, then he well, asks he me can call in if he wants. Okay. This is gay. Oh, and drop. I, I did win the last rough trivia, and I donated the, uh, the room nights to One Step. Did he use them? No, no, he ended up not using them. In fact, oh, wait, I, I forgot about that. that. I still have that right. certificate to give. This is a kid that donated rooms. Oh, what a nice guy! Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I actually still have them. One step couldn't use them, so I, I forgot that I still have that to give away. The the one I, I sent, Reno won the other one, and he has it, so that one has been sent. But the other one I still have. It's good till September thirtieth. What's, what's the call number? Uh, it's uh, a seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five or seven zero two four three zero eighteen zero eight is the Mount Charleston line. Okay, well, C Max. And ahead. I, 
And I'd say give that one to Reno if he uh, wants to stay four nights. Or if not, you know, maybe I, I don't know if he can, game. though. I don't know if that's allowed. They may not allow oh, yeah. that. <laughs> but, yeah, you're very generous, though. Yeah, I appreciate that. A friend or something. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, yeah, so Manx, call in if you want to speak to us here. We don't have much more to talk about. Uh, let's see what we got here. We got very little. So, Druff, you're playing on Monday, huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm playing on Monday. Okay. I'm thinking Tuesday, maybe Monday. I don't know. It would be kind of cool to play on the same day as you. Yeah. Yeah, then we could hang on the breaks, go out, uh, you know. We've never been at the uh, same tournament table ever. No, we haven't. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, Druff. If uh, we do make dinner break, which, I'm sure, you know, hopefully we, we, we should, uh, let's just take the fucking taxi for the comps, <laughs> please. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to tell that story. If you, we can just keep an inside joke if you want. But Jesus, that was that was the most stressful dinner break I've ever had. But you know what, though, think about this, though. When we got back, we both kicked ass right after the dinner break. And if you it didn't. hadn't gone that exact way, we wouldn't have done as well. Now I know my I, steak and your veal chop. Yeah. So, like, if we if it went smoothly, then we would have come back to different cards, and things could have been different. Now I know overall the event you were disappointed, but uh, uh, still, I was disappointed. I mean, it was a flip side to you. you. Came in and you were a little bit short, and you got extremely lucky. And then at the end, you got extremely unlucky. Yes. I was just extremely unlucky from the third hand in. Yeah. When my jacks, you know, short stack with with ace jack, boom, you know, ace on the flop. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry, straight. It was actually made a straight on the turn. Uh, I just, I had some chips. You know, I had 147. Oh yeah, you did. Uh, you know. I, I was number three in chips, and I didn't win a fucking pot. I lost every race. I lost with kings four times in the first two levels. And, of course, they're all in pre-flop. And, uh, in, you know, in that situation, that kind of tournament, I mean, would you – you ever folding kings? No. Especially when you have – no, you're not folding kings. And, then, and the sick thing is I lost all four times. Never once was it a bad beat that I ran to aces. It just – you know, it was either no. You got screwed uh, there, and then yeah. I, and you flopped top set against a flop flush. That's another awful one. And then you know, and I folded that hand. Yeah, I folded that hand because I just don't. I you know, uh, in the hand Druff's talking about. There's a huge pot where I had queens and and uh, got three bet, and there was uh, four people in the four people saw a flop, and the flop was uh, three clubs, the highest card being a queen, and uh, before the hand started. Um, the guy that ended up going going all in was for basically 75% of my stack. So I wouldn't have been knocked out, but I would have been very, very, very crippled. And I just, you know, it's not even the fact I never run well in those spots where I need to fill up. Um, I just didn't, you know, I had enough chips that I didn't want to gamble at that point. Yeah, you know, yeah I, I've had I that a lot of times gamble too. Knowing yeah. that that's, I knew that's what he had, you know, that's what he was representing. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to gamble. I mean, I didn't, I, you know, obviously I didn't have a, a club on my hand, obviously, and I just don't run well, you know, with, with with filling up in those spots. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've lost in tournaments to flop flushes to sets and, and just never improving. Um, so that was a really big lay down. Yeah. And then from there, it just, it, it was probably in terms of losing the worst two and a half, three levels of poker I've ever, ever experienced in my life. It literally was king-king versus ace-rag, boom, ace-flop. King-king versus ace-jack, boom, ace-flop. King-king versus, you know, jack-10, boom, straight. I mean, it just it just was disgusting. And uh, the only time I got in bad, ironically enough, was the final hand that I played. 
you know, my bust out hand and the button raised and I, I shoved with uh, ace 10 suited. And ironically enough, he woke up with Queens and, and on the button and I, I didn't improve. Yeah. And just like that, I, you know, I was out and very, I, you know, more so than the Paul horse. Has been forwarded to an automated voice. I was trying to call the Manx back, but he's not here. Okay. More so than the horse where I finished 40, 41st, uh, I was more disappointed in this because I, I had a lot of chips. Yeah, no, I, was, I, I felt bad for you watching what happened. If things just would have gone my way, and uh, that's why, you know, when I, I was talking to Druff about this, you know, on break, and then later on, you know, guys like Anthony Zeno that we were talking about, and, you know, Jason Mercy, and even Daniel Coleman, you know, these guys that continually are just winning these, these you know, no limit tournaments or, you know, finishing second, third and these stock fields, you need so many things to go right. And I mean, it doesn't matter who was at my table or, or I'm sorry. It doesn't matter who was playing my chips and sitting in my seat, whether it was some fish or, you know, it was, it was Anthony Zeno, JC Tran, Druff, uh, Vanessa Selps. I mean, they're going to be played <laughs> the same way. I mean, you know, it, it's just, they're not folding Kings, you know, and nothing that I did, they would have done differently. And it just literally top three in chips with, you know, 150 to go uh, or whatever it was to start today, 160, 170, 140, I don't know. And then to go out 100 first, I think it was, or whatever it was, it just, it's it's amazing. It just, you think, basically it was the exact opposite of everything that happened the day before. Yeah. You know, every hand that, you know, every big hand I had held the way it should, and, you know, I, I the races that, that were, I, actually, I wouldn't even say the races, but the hands where I was ahead, like, you know, the ace-king versus queen-jack versus, you know, king-queen, you know, they all held up. And then it just was back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Uh, well, you know, whatever. I don't care. I'm already over it. You know, it, I don't – it was over it the next day. But uh, so I was just saying it's just amazing a lot of these guys can continually go so far because you do need – no matter how good a player you are, no matter how good you are at accumulating chips – you know, you get to that point, especially if you have a lot of chips, where everyone just gets to that part of the tournament where they just start shoving. And then you get great hands. You get, you know, kings. You get ace-king. You get queens. You get jacks. You know, you're not folding. You know, you raise to four or 5,000, and someone shoves for 11,000 or 12,000. I mean, you're not, you know, you have a premium hand. It's not like you have a small pair or just some, you know, mid-range suited connector, and, and you can lay it down. And it just, you brick, you brick, you brick, you know, bad beat, bad beat, bad beat, and... That's why it's just impressive to me how some of these guys continually do it. Yeah, and I asked you about this, and you didn't have an answer. For no, I don't. I don't either. All right, let's uh, connect on <clears throat> Scott from the East Coast. He wants to say something that he's been waiting all show to say. So let's put him on. And then uh, we'll try to call Manx back after that. We, I tried to call him, but <clears throat> he tried to call me, and somehow it went to the voicemail. And then I tried to call him, and went to his voicemail. Uh, Scott from the East Coast. Hello. Hey, sorry, called me at a bad time. Actually, that's all I was trying to complain that you never called me. Oh, okay, um, okay. Sorry. When, I got a couple questions, though. When's the next show? The next show, uh, that's a good question. I don't even have an answer. It, hey, who it was, is this? This is Scott from the East Coast. Is that what he goes by, Scott from the East Coast? Uh, he also goes by S-Double. Brandon, that, we're supposed to meet in Vegas, man. What happened? I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm that, that's uh, S-Double. I don't know who you are. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, S-Double. You know yeah, who he is. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, supposed to meet in Vegas. I, when do we even talk about? I, I'm sorry, I don't remember. Uh, a little over a month ago, but look, I, I got a question for you from over from what you talked about uh, about a month ago. 
What happens in Vegas when you find money in a casino? Uh, I know you spoke about it. Can you remind me? Okay, well, it, it, okay. By state law, any money, and when I say money, I, I, I mean a casino, a slot ticket. I mean actual, you know, chips or actual currency, a legal tender. What do they call that? The, the fiat, Druff? The fiat, fiat currency, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> By state law, any any of those that you know, any of those three things I just mentioned, if you find a casino, it belong it is the property of the casino. Okay, now that's not to say if you find a quarter chip or you know a five dollar chip or find a slot machine with a couple bucks in it, and you cash it out, anything's going to happen to you. In all likelihood, nothing's going to happen to you. Okay, but when you get to the higher amounts, if you find a five hundred dollar chip on the floor and you try to cash it, if some, if you just walk it to a machine and you see eight hundred dollars and you cash it out, it is theft that you're committing. Um, you could be arrested for it. I've never heard of anyone arrested for stealing. You know, in, in that capacity where you just find something. I do know of people that have been eighty six from casinos many times. I mean, many different stories of people being eighty sixed for not turning in money or taking money out of a machine or people that used to make a living off of uh, slot grinding, you know, going to different machines and finding denominations that, you know, like 30 cents, 60 cents. Um, I talked about this once on a show. It's very, very common in Las Vegas now with these new, you know, they call them penny, penny slots, but they're not really penny slots. You can bet as high as $2, sometimes even $5 on what they call these penny slots, that the payout sometimes can fall below what the minimum bet is. So here's an example. There are a lot of machines where uh, they call them penny slots, but the minimum bet is $0.40 cents and the maximum bet is, is $2. And when you're playing it, uh, you're not going to get paid in, in increments of $0.40, cents, meaning you can get you could actually bet $0.40 cents and win $0.07 cents or win $0.17 because you're playing like 80 different lines, sometimes even 200 different lines, sometimes even more. So what happens sometimes is when people get down to their last spin, they'll win some money, but it's not enough to get another spin. And people, you know, I guess at this day and age are at the point where, you know, if it's 38 cents in a slot machine or, you know, say it's even a dollar slot machine and there's 89 cents and you know you can't literally gamble it anymore, like meaning you just you can hit the buttons, but you don't have enough to make a minimum bet. They leave it in the machine. And a lot of people walk around at casinos from casino to casino going through the strip and they collect these tickets, cash them out. And you can literally if you spend a couple hours doing this, you can grind 40, 50 bucks. You know, and on a good day, you could make, you know, several hundred, just depending on, you know, just what you find. But anyhow, uh, it is illegal. It's a, it is actually a, a law that the state passed many, many, many years ago that all property uh, belongs to the casino. Uh, and what they do and what the, the law says is if the casino finds it or if you turn it in, okay, they hold it for 30 days. And then if nobody claims it, then it becomes property of the casino. Meaning that if I lose a ticket for five hundred, you know, five hundred dollars, and uh, say I'm using my player's card, that's the easiest way to do it. And someone turns it in, they can trace it back to me and know that I put in the money. I was the one playing it, but they're not going to call me. They're not going to come search for me. You know, most player cards don't even ask for phone numbers, or if they do, people a lot of times don't give it. So after thirty days, if I don't 
go to lost and found, you know, or report it and see if they found it and they don't get it, it becomes property of the casino. Hmm. Specific enough? Okay. And what happens to the person that turns what happens with the person that turns it in? Nothing. Thank you, sir. <laughs> okay. I wish it was that easy. I'm just gonna put it out there. There is a scammer that wants the World Series cash game room. Or not a scammer, a thief. Wait, I'm sorry, say it again. There's he said there's a scammer that runs the World Series cash game a room. Thief. There's a thief that runs the World Series cash game room. So okay. what, hap- what happened? And Todd, I think you know the story. I'd, uh, I'd rather call him later in the week and give it. Let's just put it this way that I got written up at work because of it. Because yeah. I told the wrong person that he put in his pocket and he refused to call security and have security take the money. And I believe security should come and take that money. Or it should be put in it, – it should be shown where it's going or told where it's going and not just in the cash game room manager's pocket. Yeah, I remember that you told me this I were to put it in my pocket, it's like, it's like um, Brandon just said. You're absolutely right. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, living out here uh, as many years as I have, I, I can't even count the number on my hands of people that have been fired for doing that. Um, very, very shady. Uh, there's a lot of corrupt people that work in the casinos, and I mean I'm not saying it's it's because you know of of Vegas in general. It's just that the numbers are high enough, and there's so many. I mean you have to think even a casino like the Blasio. There's probably you know in all shifts four or five hundred you know casino supervisors uh, you know that are employed. You know probably about a thousand dealers. Um, people find a five hundred dollar chip on the floor, a thousand dollar chip. It's not very uncommon. You know, people drop chips just like they drop pennies and change and other things. And they pick it up and they put it in their pocket. And the camera catches them. I mean, you could Google it right now. You know, just anyone does a simple you know, search, casino personnel fired, uh, you know, stealing chips or found chips. You'll find tons of results. It happens out here all the time. Um, so, yeah, what you're telling me, you know, even though I don't know the circumstances, obviously, it doesn't surprise me in the least. You're probably right. You know, if you have any sort of proof, you know, or inclination, you're probably right. I mean, it does happen a lot because, you know, you have to think most casinos, like the Hard Rock, for instance, they only had three or four people working surveillance. And you have to consider you're counting restaurants, you're counting you know, all the slot machines, the pit games, and they can't be everywhere. So unless somebody is specifically watching a certain part of the casino, uh, I mean, the majority of, of – Times when I've worked in casinos and there's been any kind of discrepancy, whether it was on the player side or the dealer side, or uh, we need to call the eye in the sky surveillance, and then it usually takes about 20 minutes to get a response because what are they doing? They have to rewind it first. They have to find the camera that that you know the whatever the alleged event occurred, and then they have to rewind the tape. Okay, actually now it's digital, but they have to rewind it and find the spot and then watch it. So that's how they really catch people. If somebody tips somebody off, you know, or, or if they have some reason to be watching. But in all honesty, you know, like, okay, here's a perfect example. When the guy, uh, I don't know, then the, the guy that the Bellagio bandit that came in, you know, the judge's son that, that hit up the craps table and stole all the money and then started selling the cranberry chips on 2 plus 2 and then trying to launder them. Uh, at the Bellagio by playing blackjack on uh, it was like it was it was uh, New Year's Eve and and you know the following days after. And when I say launder chips, 
you can't cash in twenty five fifty thousand dollars or twenty five or five thousand dollar chips at the cage. They're going to ask you for your player's card. If you don't have a player's card, they're going to ask you for an ID. And if you refuse to give you information, then they're going to say, "Where are you playing? Where did you get this from?" And then say, "You say Baccarat." Then they're going to call the Baccarat pit. Um, it's not like how it used to be, where you could just walk up to the cage and cash in a chip, and no one's going to ask. That, that's questions. why I won't take the five thousand dollars chips at Bellagio. I sometimes will be playing I, there. Don't, don't, don't. Ask. And you know what? Let me tell you something else. This, there was, you know, this happened to Nolan Dalla about yes, it. Yes, and, at the and, MGM, and, and he got what? screwed. The thing is, and a lot of people do this, and I always advise people not to do this because if the casinos really want to be a dick about it, they have the law one hundred percent. Behind yep. them, and, and you're not going to win. Yes, and there's, I there are signs in every single casino, everyone in Las Vegas, in Reno, in Henderson, in Laughlin. And what do they say, Druff? What do these signs say? I'm not sure what you're referring to, actually. So you go they're ahead and tell the them. Cage. They're in front of a, the cage. Okay, it, it is a disclaimer with the actual statue. Stating how casino chips... Oh, yeah, they may not be used for, for any debt or anything like that. For debts, bartered, traded, meaning, yeah, if I pay off a, a debt... Say I owe Druff $5,000, and I'm like, okay, Druff, you know what? Here's a $5,000 MGM chip. Druff goes and he cashes it, and they ask him, where did you get this, sir? And Druff says, oh, uh, my friend gave it to me. He owed me some money. You know what they're going to say to you? Well, you know what? Your friend needs to come here. Okay, we will not cash this for you. Or they can just confiscate it. No, they, confis- they usually they confiscate it. It's even yeah. worse. <laughs> but and you know what? The thing is, 100%, you can sue them. You could you know, write a, the, 100 blogs. You're not going to win. You're yeah, you're not. Against the law. I'll tell you the incident I had there, uh, and this is why I stopped taking these $5,000 chips, even from um, you know trading them with other players. Like I, I've had it before. I'm playing like 100, 200 the Bellagio, and someone who's losing says uh, – um, hey, can you sell me 5K worth of chips and, uh, and I'll give you this flag, which is what they call the $5,000 chips. And I say, no, I don't want to take those. I'll take the thousands, not the 5,000. The thousands, they, ne- they ne- never give you a hard time. But this is what happened to me years ago at the Bellagio, but it's still like this to this day. I, uh, I had a $5,000 chip. I forgot how I got it, but I, I, I didn't get it from someone else. It was just like, I got it. I, I think I had a good session there and, uh, whatever it was, I had a, maybe when I cashed out, I got a 5K chip. Anyway, I came back the next day to the poker room where I had been playing, and I played like a really long session, like 20-hour session or something. But I came back the next day and tried to cash it out. They told me to wait. They brought out a supervisor who treated me like I was a criminal. said, where'd you get this? Where were you playing? And I said, well, I was playing 100-200 yesterday up there. I didn't see you. I said, I was up there for 20 hours. I didn't see you. I don't believe you were playing up there. I said... I was playing there for 20 hours. You ask any of the dealers who were on that shift, they'll remember me because I was playing there for so long. Ask any of the players up there. And he's like, I think I would have seen you if you were there 20 hours. I don't remember you. I, I think this this chip has not belonged to you. And he was trying to find a reason to confiscate the chip for me. And so I just held firm and said, I was absolutely playing there yesterday. Check the camera. I was there for 20 hours. I, I, I don't care what you say. I was there, and that's where I got this chip. So finally he, he backed down. And cash it out. I was like, wow, I'm never taking one of these again. Because the $1,000 chips, they never bother you about it at all. Hmm, yeah. Um, very interesting. And, and then even making things even more insane, I've been getting a ton of letters uh, from various local casinos asking for me to uh, write to my state representative. Uh, they're proposing, okay, the IRS is proposing to lower the reporting limit from twelve hundred dollars 
to $600 on slot machines and bingo and any form of non-table game gambling. That's insane. Now, if you literally hit a $1,000 royal, and there's actually a bill. It it hasn't been, I guess, voted on or however it's decided, but Station Casinos has been, funny enough of all people, spamming me, uh, Coast Boyd Casinos. So they want to change the law now um, to 600 bucks. So any any type of payout in which you hit for 600 or more, it's going to lock up the machine. You're going to have to either show ID if you're not in their system, and you're going to have you know tax forms. Um, you know, and that would really hurt what they're afraid of is video poker because the most common video poker that's played, um, you know, in bars and, and in grocery stores and taverns is you know quarter video poker. It's a dollar twenty-five a spin. Royals pay a thousand bucks. You don't have to pay taxes. You get the cash, and they even have a lot of progressive slot machines that are must hit by eleven hundred ninety-nine dollars. And the reason why they do that, or and progressives themselves that are eleven ninety-nine. Again, the reason why they do that is to ensure that you're not going to have to, you know, fill any forms, and it's a dollar below the threshold. And there are a lot of people, believe it or not that don't want jackpots uh, because of, of if, if you're in bankruptcy, if you're going to file for bankruptcy, all those things can hurt you. Um, you know, some people just want to stay under the radar. Some people have other tax issues. Well, yeah, it's not even just that. It's also if you play higher video poker than that, it starts to be that you hit four of a kind you're going to have to pay. Uh, it, it really causes a lot of headache. And even forget the legal side of it about it, you know, bankruptcies or whatever. Just you have to wait until they come there and give you a hand pay. You're expected to tip the person who's giving you the hand pay. Uh, you have to wait while they, you know, the machine gets held for five or ten minutes while they do this. It, it really is going to hurt video poker. And the, the ridiculous thing about this is that the $1,200 threshold has stood for a very long time while it inflation, yes, while exactly. inflation has been going up, and and twelve hundred is worth much less today, much much less than when the twelve hundred uh, threshold was set by several times. Uh, it's it's similar to I I feel they should have a five hundred dollar bill, and if you think that we shouldn't, well, do you think that a one hundred dollar bill shouldn't have existed in the early seventies? Because if you do, uh, if you don't, if you think a hundred dollar bill was fine in the early seventies. Uh, inflation has been about six times since, like, 1971. I mean, what are they, they, they – and you're right. That's and that's the most valid argument that, you know, you hear. If anything, it should be increased because the threshold has been 1,200 and because of inflation and, 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 you know, just the fact of what, you know, $1,200 means now versus what it meant, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So what do they think? People are going to start – Laundering money through a goldfish slot machine? I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. I know the government's completely paranoid now of tracking money, but I mean, what do you, what do you, you're going to you know, run, run thousands of dollars through a poodle slot machine? And they, I mean, you know what I mean? It just it, it makes no sense. They really want that kind of paperwork? I mean, everyone that hits for over 600, you know, one of the funniest things, uh, spectacles that, that I've witnessed. And believe it or not, this is at a local casino that ended up barring me. They had a video poker machine where you could literally bet $500 a spin. And there, there, there are ones out there that are actually higher than that. And every time this person got three of a kind, it was 1500 bucks and it would lock up the machine. Yeah. <laughs> and the Red Rock – oh, I already said the Red Rock. They didn't have the capacity like most places do nowadays – to just what's called keep somebody on a log. 
what a log means is uh, someone still has to stand next to you. And that's what they were doing here to reset the machine. Um, and I've seen this at Caesars where somebody's betting 1000 2000 a spin and then just eat, hitting a pair because you're getting your money back. It's a jackpot, and they have to sit there with a key, and they're literally sitting next to the patron, and they're just turning it every time, but they're not printing out the form. You know, what they do, and, in, 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 you know, MGM has this, Bellagio, Wynn, you know, all the high-end casinos is, you know, you're a big enough player, you're asked to be put on what's called a log. And then when your session is over, instead of filling out, you know, and stopping play for each W-2 you've had to sign, when sometimes you're not even winning any money, uh, you just get one long W-2 that has all your totals on it at the end of your session. And you just get basically, you know, a, a, a piece of paper that has the total amounts on it. You sign it. And then you have a copy, they have a copy, and then you take home for your record. Okay. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, in 2015, they can't do that. They can't set the machine in some way nope. to where it won't let you cash out until you have someone come over and, and – uh, You still have to have the machines keyed. I've watched this even in the Bellagio. Yeah, I know. It should. I know they don't, but they, it should be that yeah. way. It's, uh, there's no reason not to. Here, Brandon, tell me, tell me which slot machine this is. Hold on. What is That's this? Why. Uh, I, <laughs> do you know what that is? You know what? I don't play a lot of slots. I, I mean, I'll take a guess. Uh, Texas T. No. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't what do you think he's Alan Kessler? <laughs> no idea. Tabasco. Yep. Okay. I mean, I've seen it. I've heard of it. Never played it. That's funny. It's it's a slot machine based upon uh, Tabasco sauce. Weirdest theme. Yeah. They uh, hey, is Trey Dursky still awake? <laughs> I don't know. No, he fell asleep. He'll be back. No, I'm awake. Ah. <laughs> well, listen, Druff. I I mean, I'm fine. I, I uh, are we going on much longer? Or what? what are we uh, a little bit longer. Let, let's see what okay, we got. Okay, you guys talk for a minute. I'll let the three of you guys have a okay. conversation. I'll be right back. Okay, so Brandon's going to – yeah. Drop, you brought it up earlier about um, getting drinks when you play video poker. Yeah. When's the last time you've been to Atlantic City? Uh, I think 2012. Okay. Try to – next time you get out to the East Coast and get to Atlantic City, or if you have a listener that can get there, um, I'm sure there are plenty. Good season's. Try to get free drinks at Caesars when you play video poker. It's so messed up at Caesars. They will give you free alcohol, alcoholic drinks. They will not give you free soda if you tell me you have to, even if you tell me it will probably you can't drink. They charge you for soda when Weird. you play video poker. So, so they won't give you soda, but they will give you alcohol. That makes no sense. What, what if it's like alcohol yeah. with soda? What if you want a Jack and Coke? No, it's it's free for Jack and Coke. So, so you can, why can't you say I want a Jack and Coke but hold the Jack? They look at you and tell you you've got to take it in a plastic solo, clear solo cup, and you've got to pay something stupid like two eighty five for it. That's ridiculous. I, I had this problem the last time I tried to check in. I didn't want to drink before I was checking in. I was doing it as an employee, and I just didn't want to get to the desk and have the alcohol breath going at the hotel person. And I told him when I played play video poker, I said, I can't drink today. 
and they looked at me and said, we got to charge you 285 for every drink. Crazy. All right, so uh, here's They won't a... take your comp dollars for it. No, they won't take your comp dollars. Great. No, they will take Oh, they will. Dollars. Okay, well, okay. Uh, okay, well, here's the final topic for tonight. Um, we've talked about a lot on this show, the endless battle in California between the tribes and card rooms that are going to use the PokerStars software and obviously want PokerStars to be licensed in California, and the ones that are not going to use PokerStars software, most of which don't want to see PokerStars licensed because PokerStars has the best software and whoever has that is probably going to do the best. So there's been an endless battle in the California legislature regarding this, what they call the bad actor clause. The reason that is being cited to keep PokerStars out of the California market is the fact that they continued operating even after the UIGEA was passed and they were being called a bad actor for that reason. Well, it, it sometimes looks like there's some progress and that they're going to finally come to an agreement on this. Keep in mind, if this was not an issue, there would already be a law in the books for sure about legalizing California online poker and we'd either be playing it now in California or starting to play it next year. But this just cannot be solved, and I'm starting to wonder if it will ever get solved. Uh, this, this is uh, what's been happening here. Mike Gatto, who's a California State Assemblyman, has actually canceled an upcoming Internet poker hearing that was scheduled for July 8th. And the reason it was canceled is because uh, uh, basically... It looks like this is useless because they're not going to come to an agreement and they're never going to get a bill passed. Uh, basically, uh, Gatto released a statement on his webpage, and he said the failure of the state's possible future stakeholders to negotiate a middle ground leaves him with no choice but to abandon the whole bill. So that's probably going to be it for uh, 2015. Uh, this was really the last chance to get something passed, and uh, the gridlock is still there. And in 2015, we're not going to see any laws on the books legalizing online poker in the biggest state of the nation, which contains about one-ninth of the country's population. Uh, was specifically what Gatto wrote was, I'm canceling next week's hearing of Assembly Bill Number 9. I believe this is the right thing to do at this point because there's no consensus on the issue yet. This is referring to the PokerStars issue. My bill has an urgency clause, and thus it can be resuscitated at any time. So he's saying if 2016, whatever, they can try again, but probably be the same issues. Over the past three years, I have met with representatives from nearly every software provider, card room, gaming tribe, racetrack, and internet poker operator who has an opinion on the subject. I gave my word to both supporters and opponents of Assembly Bill 9 that the goal, my goal was consensus and that I would not move forward to anything that achieved less than that. I will continue working to craft legislation of which the interested parties can agree and which is good for the people and treasury of the state of California. So basically he's saying, uh, you guys can't agree. I give up. I'm giving up for now. I'm just I'm putting this aside. Maybe next year, you guys will compromise. Otherwise, f you. That's basically what he's saying. So, all about poker stars and uh, the tribes are being very hard lined with another. I, I I don't even know if this is ever, ever going to happen. It seems like this is going to be dragging on forever because I I don't ever see any real progress. And and I can understand both sides. I can understand both sides. The, the side that has poker stars and wants to use them, their, their argument is the other side is only anti-poker stars because they just they don't want to compete with better software. 
So they're they're making up phony concern about poker stars committing illegal acts prior to this for the reason they shouldn't be allowed in when in reality they're just making this as an excuse to keep the better software out of the market. I understand that, and that's probably true. But the opponents are saying, even if they're not directly saying it, why should those running the PokerStar software have the edge and use the best software that was developed with money that was illegal? PokerStars illegally ran for so many years, that's why they're the best, and we shouldn't have to compete with that. They shouldn't have had the edge in the market because they operated illegally while many other providers chose not to. So they're both right, actually. So this is a very hard one to decide, very hard one to negotiate, and the sad thing is there is no middle ground. I don't see what the middle ground will be because one side wants poker stars, one side doesn't, and there's no way you can have half poker stars. It's either there or it's not. So I don't know even I don't even know what a middle ground would be. So it's looking pretty bad right now for California legalization, and this could sink legalization in other states because California is the place that's most likely to work. And if it worked there, that could eventually lead to many other states legalizing it or even a federal bill that passes. Uh, Without California, without them being a positive example, it's going to make the whole process of legalization much, much slower. So if you want to play legalized online poker outside of the uh, existing fail rooms that run in New Jersey and Nevada and Delaware – don't hold your breath. It probably won't happen anytime soon. And in the States, it will happen. It'll probably be not very consequential anyway. Brandon, are you back? I am. Hello? Yes. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I have to say. That's it. All I, that's all I got here. I'm, uh, I'm out of topics. We, we got to decide, though, uh, when we're going to do the next show. Uh, for sure, I'm not playing on Tuesday no matter what happens, because uh, Monday is day 1B, Tuesday is day 1C. So if I bust out or make it through day 1, I'm not playing on Tuesday. So that was when the show was scheduled for, which is the day that the show is regularly on anyway. The problem is we're doing the show on Friday, and I don't know, should we do a show so soon? That's only four days from now. Less than four days now, because it's, uh, it's actually the 4th of July now. Oh, 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 this is important, to me at least. What happened 10 years ago today? 10 years ago today. It's important only to you? Well, I wouldn't think only, but most important to me. I mean, I mean, does it apply to, is it something that, I mean, is it something that happened in your life? Yes. Okay, so it's nothing that I, it would have to do with me or just general. It doesn't have to do with some, you, no. Like a world event. So no. 10 years ago today, what happened? Oh, I'm going to guess. You want a bracelet. You're correct. It was today, July 4th, 2005. I came into day two. There was only two days, two long days then. Uh, Ten years. Of uh, Day two of the 3K limit hold'em, seventh out of 25 left in chips, and finished number one. That was ten years ago today. Wow. And uh, That Anthony Zeno, he just he gets bracelets whenever No, I know. Anthony Zeno is not impressed by that, but... Uh, <laughs> But for me, it was, it was my one time of running well. I, I, I you know, I, I even thought coming into this, and this was only my second World Series event ever, and I even thought coming into the second day here where I was 7th out of 25, I thought, can I just run well the whole day for once? Can this just happen to me? Can this for once just let me run well the whole day? And, and it did. It had happened for me. I ran well the whole day and won. Uh, I, I I had a lot of discipline. I was uh, I played the big stack well. I didn't I didn't throw it away. I, I made a lot of decisions that that actually allowed me to get there. 
that I was proud of, but uh, but I also ran very well, obviously. So, ten years ago today, and wow, I, I'm not expecting was that to the win last it. event before uh, the what have you? No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't the last before the main. It was close, but it wasn't the last. But because it was so close to, because it was near the last. Uh, it stayed up on Card Player, which was a you know, big deal back then, on their website for much longer. My my face was up there, and that's actually a lot of people that year, because a lot of people were following poker in 2005 and went to the Card Player site. A lot of people got in contact with me uh, because they saw that up on Card Player because it stayed up for so long because there weren't that many events after this before the main. And uh, one of the people who actually got in contact with in contact with me after seeing that as someone who wasn't really associated with poker, but I guess just followed it. That was uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's older brother, Dan, who I hadn't spoken to in some years. And he contacted me and, uh, and he is, he is no longer alive. He died of a drug overdose, but uh, many people from my past got in contact with me after that. And I was up on card player for so well, long. Real fast, just to give an update about what I talked about earlier about uh, the numbers for this gimmicky 777 tournament are in. In total, 4,422 people played today. And some of these were rebuys, though, right? Uh, you can only rebuy once. once. It has yeah. to be on a, on a different flight. Yeah. So you basically would have to play A and then bust and play uh, B. If you bust in B, then you're done. You, you know, you can't rebuy back into B. So you had to play in the morning and then wait until 7, you know, or, or you know, later if you wanted to. But uh, anyhow, 4,422 people played today. The first flight, again, was at 10 a.m., and the last flight was at 7. I'm not sure how long they're playing until. Um, out of the 2,088 players that played this morning, 335 survived. Um, uh, yeah, so they're, they're estimating that 710 people will enter. Or 710 people will be playing tomorrow when they combine it. That's what they're estimating, but uh, anyhow, yeah. I mean, I guess you know that that's 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 pretty successful. I mean, you know, for a tournament day before the Fourth of July on a Friday, two flights, you know, one of them being early. I, I don't, I don't really like that ten a.m. Uh, you're never going to catch me playing a tournament. No, I hate the ten a.m. Yeah, but uh, I don't, what do you think? Four thousand four hundred twenty-two dollars. I mean, that's... Uh, people, you mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, 4400 Yeah, But still, it's a $777 event. I know it's the 4th of July weekend, but that's just... A, uh, people couldn't play World Series events for that cheap before. That's why Colossus got this massive response, because people were like, wow, I can play a bracelet event for 565 This isn't that far from here. That's well, why but I, they also promoted the hell out of that Colossus No, I know this is a lesser promoted event. But. When, when that came out, that, that's what everyone talked about. I had a guarantee. They hyped it. You know, it was the whole... You know, everyone now that, you know, from your home game to your recreational player can come out to Vegas and play in a WSOP bracelet event. I mean, it, you know, they promoted the fuck out no, of it. No, I know they did. But I think we're going to see more of these gimmicky uh, events, you know, in the future. There'll be a, another Colossus next year. No, I mean, for sure. That's coming back 100%. Oh, of course. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, it, it, it you know, uh, I don't know. You know what? Let's, let's, just, let's just think about this. What more can they do? I mean, in terms of gimmicky, you know, not... Well, I, I have, I, there's one that I've heard discussed that hasn't been done, but uh, it's been done elsewhere. But uh, I don't know if this would be logistically difficult, maybe, but an event where they they keep running, it's like an ongoing thing throughout the World Series where 
they run a day one, or they run it until 10% of the field is in. Then they're considered caching. Then they stop it and bag it up. Then they, uh, or, or they at least redraw. keep it, keep it uh, not even redraw, everyone, keep it, keep gets... a chip count, and then run another one the next week or a few days later, and people do it again. And eventually, you combine all the winners or all the people who went on into one big tournament, almost like like a bunch of day ones that are separated uh, um, by a long time, and then combine them all together by the end of the World Series. That's never going to happen. I'm and just I... trying to think, just you know, because if you would have asked me. Five years ago, even maybe three years ago, they'd have an event, the World Series, the bracelet event, where half the field gets paid. And, you know, I, I would have said, nah, not going to happen. So, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to think out loud with you if, if there's some other kind of gimmicky thing. Yeah, gimmicky, that, I, I don't know what it would be. I, I would love to see a, like a heads-up limit I mean, hold'em event, but it wouldn't sorry, exist. a heads-up limit hold'em? Yeah, but they're not going to do it. Never going to happen. Yeah. No. I, like to I was thinking limit. about more uh, like bigger satellites into the 10Ks. Like Who's this? <laughs> you know, you know. Hey, buddy. I know. It's a running gag, guys, obviously. Um, <laughs> you, you, what, Trader Ruski, you'd like to see what? Well, I'm just, I think, you know, they have all these mega satellites and stuff to get into the main event, which I'll bet a lot of people came and saw that 777 one and said, oh, I'll just play that, and if I can't, go deep. I can use that as my buy-in. But I think even for the 10Ks, I mean, they have, like, the one-table satellite, but maybe they would do something for the other 10Ks throughout the summer that where they have, like, these bigger field satellites, maybe. Yeah. Draw people into the 10Ks. It's an idea. Well, you know, I know a lot of the World Series thinking, uh, you know, with the 50-50, this is what, you know, people suggested it makes sense was a lot of the reason why they did that was they were hoping at least because so many people were going to cash and get close to their money back that they would use that money. And you, did you look on the schedule? What was right after the 50, 50 draft? Oh, it's a thousand dollar, right? Thousand dollar. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right <laughs> after. So that was a thinking that that money was going to go back into the WS. It was literally right after. I mean, the way they timed it, literally, it was the next day. So you could bust out that day, get 1000 get even 1500 and then uh, – am I right? Did, yeah, did yeah. The, that was yeah, true. Was I remember the, that, yeah. When we busted – or I mean when we busted, when we finished day one, were we guaranteed we were guaranteed yes. 1500 right? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought. So, yeah, and then the next day, hop into you know the $1,000. But uh, anyhow, the one tournament I'd like to see come back, and now that it's been two years, it's probably not – uh, I like the limit hold'em shootout not only because I've done well. I've, I've played it twice and uh, won my table, and I was. I mean, this is still probably my I guess greatest disappointment. I was heads up uh, in my second table to uh, you know advance to my first World Series of Poker final table. That was uh, three years ago. That was 2012. And uh, then the following year, the last year, you both, you and I were both the same. We were heads up in uh, our first final or the first table, and, and we both didn't advance. Yeah, and I, and I lost. I lost to the the black guy who was friends with Mike on. Yeah, who ended up finished? Didn't he win? Didn't he win it? No, he finished second. Oh, Darren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's cute. Uh, so anyway, I like to see that event because I, I do well in it, and it does attract a lot of people that don't know how to play limit hold'em. Um, or or ones who are who are bad at shorthanded, and once the table loses people, yeah. they're not good. Yeah, but uh, you know, 
out of all the different forms of poker, I mean, limit hold'em is is probably close. You know, if not the closest one to a dying you know form, then it's it's right up there. And now that you know they they've had two dealers' choices this year. Last year they had one, so you know games like Badesi, Badugi, uh, you know Badusi. You're going to see a lot more of those games, I think. Um, which I know you don't know those games. I mean, I know you know the rules, but you know when we talked about this before, uh, at, you know on radio. I think you know it's going to be hard, you know online, because um, really the only site now that has mixed games. Um, you know, in a mixed game format, sure mixed game format is Poker Stars that I know of. Uh, you know, even Bovada. I mean, although they have you know PLO, they have Omaha Eight or Better, Stud Eight or Better, but they're just all separately. Um, but I, I do think Druff, just for your poker future, if this is what you're going to continue to do, and uh, you know, at least tournament wise, you know, I'm not saying you know you can still make your bread and butter, uh, you know, playing Limit Hold'em, but uh, you know, it might suit you well to start learning some of these mixed games. So maybe you can take a shot at, you know, an Omaha eight or better tournament. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I'm planning to do is, is get better at those and then uh, be able to play some non holdem events at the world series. Yeah. Because I mean, you know, in terms of just getting a bracelet and, and having success, you know, that, I mean, that's what everyone's doing. You know, I mean, you're, they're expanding. I mean, there's very rarely there. It used to be a lot of players, that No Limit Hold'em was the only game they knew how to play. And there, there's still some, but a lot of, you know, the old school guys that we knew, you know, back in the day that were excellent No Limit Hold'em players, um, you know, all started branching out and learning these other games. And, and, you know, a lot of them, you know, have succeeded because, and look, let's face it. I mean, No Limit Hold'em is hard. You know, there's so many people that are good that, they, you know, you need to run so well. There's so much knowledge out there, you know, whether it's books, training videos. Um, I mean, you know, there's just there, 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 there are a lot of great players, and not so much, you know. I mean, and again, you know, it's just like everything else in poker, you got to run well. You know, if the cards don't cooperate, if you keep getting bad beat, you're not going to do well. But in you know, the events I've played in, I've always seen, you know, even in the stud event that I didn't do well in yesterday, there were there were people that just played horrendous. There are people that were just playing it like it was a one one sided game, like it was just stud high. When uh, we were playing the Dealer's Choice event, there are people that didn't even know out of the nineteen games, they didn't even know half the games. <laughs> they had to ask the rules, you know. I mean, which which yeah. Once you realize, I mean, that's a huge you know that watching that, you know, what I loved about that, that was almost like a game within a game, because once you kind of got a feel for your table, and we were playing. Uh, six-handed and once you got a feel for your table what everyone was comfortable with you literally could pick games that not only that that you considered yourself strong at but you can pick games that other people had no clue how to play or felt uncomfortable playing and you know what's funny out of out of the 19 games i noticed a lot of what was played was no limit deuce to seven that there would be one person at the table that played the game really well or is very aggressive in it and play that game and then just basically ran over the table. Um, you know, because that's a very, very rare form of poker. I mean, it, other than at the Aria where they play it, you know, sometimes in a, in a mixed game, but, you know, usually capped to some degree, 
um, or, you know, very, very high stakes, you know, with, with uh, Billy Baxter. I mean, you don't ever play that game. You don't ever see that game anywhere, anywhere. Um, no limit deuce to seven. Um, and that's probably, you know, Billy Baxter said this, and he's like the authority. I mean, every bracelet, I think he's won four bracelets. They've all been in some form or another. But uh, Billy Baxter has is, is said in numerous interviews, and I tend to agree that it's the most basic form of poker because there's so much bluffing involved and it has so much to do with reading your opponent and literally they always say well you know what the cards don't matter you know the the player does and literally in 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 that game more than any other i can think of that is really applicable because it's just it's it's just a pure game of bluffing and uh it it it, it's you know it's a hard game you know that's that's probably my weakest form of poker you know and i i mean i know how to play it but i'm just very very tight Uh, you know i i i you know, I, I am not really bluffing a lot. You know, if when I do, when I played it in the dealer's choice and what other event was there? Was there another event? Well, it wasn't in, was it in the 10 game. Well, anyhow, um, you know, I just play it very, very tight, uh, you know, cause I know how to play deuce to seven, triple draw limit, you know, very well. But, uh, but yeah, the point I'm making is in the dealer's choice, I noticed that, that people were just finding games that others were so weak at that they noticed or scared of, and they were, they were playing it to their advantage. So, it's funny. It's, it's actually what I did back when they used to have. And I'm sorry, this event's gone. The uh, the mixed uh, limit event, which was no half limit, half no limit. And the year I finished tenth, the, basically the way I I did it was I was fortunate enough to get at tables with mostly no limit players. And also in that event, I was fortunate that uh, most of the good limit players just didn't run well and they were gone. Either didn't run well, or maybe they didn't play the no limit well. Whatever they they, they didn't last long. So there were not many limit players left, and I could tell the table was so uncomfortable with the limit parts. And so I just ran – I just was super tight in the no-limit part. And uh, and then I was – during the limit part, just ran them all over. And, and they knew it, but they were afraid to try to challenge me because they were trying to be tight and afraid against me in the, in the limit part. And I even had people at the table telling me this. They're like – they saw I had my bracelet on. They're like, your bracelet's in limit, isn't it? And like yeah, I don't feel comfortable in the limit. They're actually openly telling me like that they're they don't feel comfortable against me in the limit part. So I just ran them over, and that's how I got all the way to tenth. In fact, uh, uh, I would have gotten further, but I took a bad beat uh, against the guy who ended up winning the bracelet. Uh, it wasn't even that great of a player. But uh, had I not taken a beat a bad beat against him, I would have had a lot of chips coming into the yeah. final ten. So and I, I don't know if uh, you touched on this. Well, you know, I was at the Rio. I was you know. I had internet problems, but you know, I, I can't understand enough how this awful coverage of the WSOP is hurting poker. People look at it, you know, all the gripes, and, and and some people are like, "Well, what's the difference?" But you know, it's it's very much understated how many people actually, uh, you know, even if you, even people that don't even play, you know, that that, that didn't even come here all summer whether it's because of friends or family, just because their interests love to sweat, you know, the action. Yeah, they do. Be on the site. And, I mean, my friend today that uh, went deep in the uh, stud term, he had friends all over his home state and other parts, you know, all over the Internet trying to find information and, and just refreshing it, and there was nothing. There was, you know, there was nothing. And, you know, not, not even him because he's not a well-known tournament player, but even the event itself, it got – 
you know, every hour they throw in a token hand or two, you know, and that's it. And, I mean, there's so many people that love just reading about it. And, you know, like, I, it just, I open this page right here. Uh, I mean, this is the first thing I read. I'm just checking out the uh, 777. And, you know, player A, and this is, I'm not saying their name, whatever. I'll say their names. Solchenberger turns, turns over 9-9. And Azule tables 7-7. Seven, seven. The board comes 6-jack-jack-9-10. One guy had nines, one guy had sevens. Board comes six, jack, jack, nine, ten. And Sloanberger wins with a set of nines. <laughs> Doesn't have a set of nines. There's so many of these hands that I can't even understand because they say he wins with this, but then by looking at the cards and the suits on her, he really should have a flush. I mean, it, it, well, there was the funniest, the funniest one in Limit Hold'em where they they mentioned that on, on a board of uh, of Jack, uh, it was a Jack Ten Queen XX with no flush possible. That on the river, when a guy got raised, he open folded Ace King. <laughs> so uh, Adam Schwartz of the Two Plus Two Poker Cast retweeted and said, "I'm pretty sure that this guy didn't open fold the nuts on the river." Yeah, I saw that. And again, can you get the laugh track ready for a second? Yes, yes, it's all ready. Yes. And then, you know what? You think it's bad reporting, but when the Ari reports, and the flop came, Ace of Hearts, Queen of Clubs, Queen of Clubs. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the topics we talked about while you were gone. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay. And the player bets and, and, and player B mucks. And I, I love how no one said anything. Of all the people at the table, Coleman, he to- not Coleman, uh, uh, it looks like... Uh, uh, Paul noticed it. He kind of had a weird look on his face yeah. when he bet. They said that there was some tell that he scratched his nose or did. did he had a weird look on his face too. Yeah. It, it didn't look natural. It looked like he was kind of like surprised, you know, but didn't want to say anything. They gotta be goddamn flat out embarrassed because you know MGM Mirage. That's the parent company of of the Aria as well as the Blagio. And actually, you know, you'd think after all these years, it would have changed it like. Uh, other properties have and made it like Bellagio Resorts because that is their marquee property. So isn't it kind of strange? The head of their company, though, isn't even really their marquee property. Yeah. It's MGM Mirage, yeah. which isn't, you know, and no, but you would just think it'd be Aria Resorts or Aria Bellagio. But anyhow, you have to know that they're relishing year after year in the fail. That That is, you know, the World Series of Poker in terms of. You know, the complaints and the mismanagement and like, issues such as the cards. And, you know, and they're getting people over there to play in their dailies. And, they're, you know, they have high roller tournaments. And, you know, right after the main event, they have, uh, I think it's the Bellagio Cup, you know, which is a 10K and, 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 you know, so on and so forth. And this year they've had two enormous fuck-ups. And not just fuck-ups that, you know, people like you and I that, you know, are in the poker world or in Las Vegas are going to laugh at, but... Things that have you know made nationwide, if not worldwide, news. Kid buys in for a hundred twenty-five dollar tournament, sits in a twenty-five, gets seated in a twenty-five thousand dollar tournament, proceeds to knock out three of the best no-limit tournament players in the world. They don't catch it for seven hours. <laughs> seven hours they don't catch it for. Okay, guys like second and chips. Then a month later. The biggest game going on in Vegas that we know about. Biggest game, biggest personalities. They have a whole marquee set up. It's on the, the, the what is it, the Twitch Druff? Is that what they call that? The Twitch 
Twitching? Yeah. Yeah. It's being twitched. They have marquees. They have a guy in the game that everything he wins or loses, he donates to charity. It's going to be a televised. Okay, what do they do? They have, and what's the one thing dealers are always instructed to do when they open up a yeah, deck? Yeah, check the deck. Exactly, before they wash it. And what happened? That's a huge embarrassment. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, it's enormous. And, you know, I just, what I don't get with these cards, it's happened at the Rio, at the World Series. What's going on with these card makers? Yeah, I don't get it either. What Why is this so common? With that? Why is this so common? Why does it keep happening? I mean, what's going on? I mean, it's not even that. Like, you would think it's, 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 I don't know, 100 years of making cards. They're making cards where you can tell if it's going to be a 9, 8, or 7. And people are edge sorting. They're making. <laughs> I mean, but I'm just being honest. You're like, I don't get it. I don't Except either. Someone tell me. I mean, we 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 send people to the moon. We have a fucking uh, a space fucking center up there. They can't make a deck of cards that you can't tell if it's a nine eight or seven or a deck of cards where there's fifty two different cards with fifty two different. I mean, here's I a, here's a question up up at the space station. Do you think that they have a perfect deck of cards? <laughs> I, just, I don't get it. Like I, I don't get it that it's taken them this long. They can't make a deck of cards that you can't cheat a bakra. There's something else I just read about uh, these guys were suing uh, uh, Foxwoods, and a judge. This was the other day. This was on Card Player News, and a judge threw out the lawsuit because it, it, it. And then it got appealed because it's this whole precedent that. People now are saying that Indian casinos, uh, and actually there's been a lot of negative press of people being advised, people that are in the gaming industry advising people to stay out of Indian casinos because if you have any issues, whether it's being mistreated, uh, cheated, accused of being cheated, that you really have, uh, in most cases, no recourse. Yeah, you don't. Because uh, now, and I just read this yesterday, so I'm somewhat educated on the matter. In some cases, okay, you do. Very few, but some, and the reason why is certain Indian casinos agreed when they got when they were allowed the, the casino by the state, the various states, to give up sovereignty in terms of legal issues in you know in connection to being granted a license. Okay, meaning that you know that they're giving up their own sovereignty. So if there is an issue, it, it can be you know taken care of on a state level, you know, in, in district court. Now, Foxwoods and, and most of the major ones, you know, they never agreed to that. So, you know, you're at Foxwoods and you're gambling and they say that you're a card counter or they say that you, 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 you know, won illegally in a game and they just confiscate your money that you won and the money that you brought with you. You can't do nothing. Well, what you could do is you can appeal it to their own little gaming commission to their own little court, their tri- tribunal, or tribunal, excuse me. Okay, but you can't fight it outside. So, anyhow, this is actually going to be a landmark case because uh, guys won, like, it was like $1.2 million in Baccarat. Foxwoods accused them of cheating, and this was in mini-Bac, and it's the same thing. Oh, I they think, is this the one with the same girl who worked with uh, Ivy? Yes. Yeah, but yeah, but they, yeah. but they got, it was thrown out of federal court. They were it, told. It just got, they, well, they just appealed it. Oh, the appeal. Okay. It. okay, I read it yesterday in card. Yeah, and uh, so anyhow, the point I'm making is, is a yeah, be careful, guys that are listening. To this I mean, if you have a regulated casino and this is you know nearby, uh, I would always say go there. 
because there's there's a state commission. You know, most likely, you know, you're not going to get cheated. You're not going to get screwed. If you're in an Indian casino wagering any significant amount of money, be careful because you just don't have any recourse legally. Um, you know. So anyhow, but getting back to what I'm saying, I, and we can close it with just rough. I just don't understand it. Again, you know, another case about this edge sorting. How do they make cards in this day and age where you can tell if it's a high card or low card? I, I mean, I, I just I don't get it. I, how hard is it? I don't either. You know, it's weird. It just yeah. It it it's makes no sense to me. So anyhow, that's all I got. Um, yeah, that's all I got too. Th- thank you, Trader Ski, for uh, being here. Uh, a sleeper awake. I don't care. Thank you for being here anyway. And uh, shout we... out to the what was the kid in Chicago? He's a South Side. East side, which person in Chicago? The, 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 the caller, you you shot the Chicago guy. Oh, you mean Scott from the East Coast? Oh, I thought he was in Chicago. No, 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 he's from uh, Baltimore area. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, um, one quick question before we sign off. Who's this? You guys, the <laughs> trade-offs get it. Fall asleep yet? Do you? Uh, so, do you? Since uh, MyCon was able to settle the case so cheaply, do you think he's going to refund the GoFundMe money? Oh, Absolutely. of course not. Of course not. What do you think? You know, you know, let me ask you, I'm glad you brought that up. Do you think, and again, try as best as possible to eliminate the emotional factor, you know, of, of somebody that, you know, wasn't a good friend, that was a former business partner, whatever. Do you think it's disrespectful, just in general, to beg for money and then show up in a matter of days to, to what I know he's played in? Six thousand dollars worth of tournament so far, at least. Uh, yeah. you think he, he should have done them. something like given people a piece of the tournament with the four grand or something. But that's a great point. It's like he has no money, he's asking, begging for money on the site, and now all of a sudden he settled it for. I mean, I was assuming he was thinking he was going to be into it for hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Well, the mate. Well, he well he was only asking for a hundred thousand, so apparently not. But he. Uh, he only got like 4000 but but the whole point is here that uh, – and I, I've said this is what's so ridiculous about the whole GoFundMe thing. If if he was protesting something, let's say he was protesting for animal rights, so he's not gaining anything out of it. And, and then he goes in some kind of protest that gets out of hand and he gets arrested and he gets charged. And he solicits anyone who cares about animal rights, please donate to my legal defense fund because that's what I was fighting for. And and uh, I wasn't personally gaining. I was doing this for the animals. Fine, because then then he's not he he's getting a legal defense funded by people who agreed with what he was doing that he was doing only for the cause. But this wasn't for any cause. He was running a for profit site that he did make a lot of money on, and he was knowingly breaking the law and in fact making all this money because it had such little competition because it was illegal. I mean, and then, and then he wants others to pay his legal bills. It's insane. It's, if you choose to do like, something illegal, you you and you make a lot of money from it, you can't expect others to support your legal defense. What, what brought this to uh, the forefront was literally three days after he started his GoFundMe account. Three days, he was spotted playing in a five hundred dollar buy-in in Stars, and it wasn't our site. Uh, There's another site that started a thread. They were very, very harsh, and they had the same feelings that we do, that how can you literally 72 hours ago say that your legal funds are going to be depleted by your rep- by the cost of representation, and I have no money, yet you're playing in a $500 uh, 
uh, which, you know, he busted. He, he was one of the first people to bust in the tournament. Uh, you know, and that's how it, it all started. And again, it just furthers my whole point that the whole thing was basically a farce. Well, yeah. And, that, and uh, what about this? He got 4,000, maybe even 3,000 if the first thousand was his on this GoFundMe. But let's pretend he got the whole 100,000. Let's say the community opened up their pocketbooks like he hoped they would. And he got 100K. Well, he was able to afford to enter these World Series events. Uh, and, and I didn't see him soliciting anyone to buy pieces of him either. He was able to buy $6,000 worth of World Series events, and, and I wonder if he'll play the main too, uh, even though he fell 96000 short of his goal on the GoFundMe and got fired, fined $25,000. So if he had gotten the whole 100000 I, I mean, if he can afford to still enter World Series events when he only got four of the 100000 he was asking for, obviously he didn't need the money like he was claiming. There's no way around that. Yeah, well, you had to take his into the attorney for at least 50. Yeah, at least 50 and maybe 100. But somehow he was able to pay for well, that. I, you know, I told you this before, just as a, as a you know frame of reference. Steve the Bodyguard, much lesser uh, crime. Uh, you know, And it was actually just stupidity. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't steal from anybody. And uh, it was a $50,000 re- retainer his parents had to send. Um, and he, as well as... Uh, Mycon, both of them had actually uh, Schoenfeld as the one that was a major person defending the case, meaning showing up to the hearings, talking to the judge, you know, and that's the same thing with Mycon. You know, Chesnoff, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's actually funny to think about. This case was actually not even big enough for Chesnoff. Uh, he handed it over to, you know, Schoenfeld to take care of. But again, cost him 50000 and, you know, I, I'm not going to get into details of, of, you know, what happened with See the Bodyguard. But, again, I'll just say it was a lot lesser, you know, than, than what this was and took a lot less work, uh, manpower, time in terms of negotiating with, with the DA and so on and so forth. So um, if I had to estimate it, yeah, I'd say minimum, minimum 50, but but I'd say more likely somewhere between 75 and 100,000. Um, that, that's the number I'd put it at. Um, yeah. And it's just insane to me that, that you can ask for this much money, get very little of it, and still be able to play these World Series events. Obviously, he didn't need it. There's no there's no way around it. There's no way around that. And and well, so so basically, I, I, I've been I've been steadfast in this all along. He has money. Yeah. He didn't want to use it because you know fill in the blank. He's cheap. You know he maybe he doesn't know if he's ever going to have any other income, so he wants to hoard it. You know he doesn't feel like he should use his own money. I mean, he's being dishonest. I mean, whatever, whatever you adjective you want to fill in, but that's that's what it is. I mean, he's not broke. Uh, yeah. He made a lot of money off uh, bitcoins. Um, you know, I wrote this in a prior post. He was in an article introduced as one of Bitcoin's first millionaires, Bitcoin millionaires, and this was before. I'm going to preface this again. This was before it spiked to that insane amount, and he never corrected it during the interview you know he mentioned how he's going to do things differently this time with his money you guys can google it and and find it you know find the article that he learned from the previous times where he had a little bit of money and this time was going to be different and again it went with everything that i said in terms of his lifestyle that he was still gambling but he wasn't shooting off you know to the means that he could have i mean he had enough money that if he wanted to play you know 300 600 mixed games if he wanted to you know be Betting more than twenty five, fifty dollars a hand at blackjack, which I've seen, he could. But uh, 
he was probably being influenced by his wife. You know, look, you have money. You know, you've made some mistakes before. We have the security now for our daughter, for ourselves, you know, to never have to work again. You know, don't fuck it up. You know, maybe even a don't fuck it up or I'll leave you, you know, threat, which would have definitely got his attention. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's awful. You know, I, I but I'm, you know, was I going to go on there and start a campaign and tell people that their money could go, you know, better to, you know, domestic violence, you know, group or, or you know, some other charity? No, but it, it's 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 pretty pathetic, Druff. It's pretty. No, yeah, it was. It was. You, you know, to ask for other people to fund your legal defense from for an illegal operation you had that uh, that made you a lot of money. And, and now you want the public to pay for it, and you're positioning yourself as someone who's either broke or was some kind of uh, freedom fighter for poker. When in reality, it was it was all about making money. You know, you 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 run an illegal business to make money. You make money. Well, then you you pay for your own legal defense when it ha- when you the hammer comes down for it. Yep. No, and you know, and when it happens, you know, you don't. I mean, the, the stuff he was writing and videos. You don't put stuff in writing nowadays. In my business, every text or email or anything I put in writing, I think several times. When he was the scene, you know, to talk about the police and, and uh, you know how the government's run. I mean, he is just a moron. Well, yeah, and, 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 and it's, it's, so that, that's why he needed the legal fund because of his stupidity. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I, I want to address something real fast. Uh, Granada Roger just made a comment in the chat, and other people have asked um this before of me and on the forums and his question uh, is drexel i still see mycon as four flushers because the mycons don't own a house yet um the best way to answer this and for people to understand is um it's the best way to explain this mycon made a determination a long time ago this is even when we were friends uh, to stay off the grid. Okay, when I say the grid, it means not to acquire on paper in his name any significant assets. And uh, you guys can do the math and figure out why that is. It's not really my place any, you know, to, to go in any further than that. But uh, the point I'm making is don't let the fact that he doesn't own houses, multiple houses, vacation homes expensive cars lead you to believe that he is suffering, that he's living in poverty. Um, He's staying off the grid. He made a decision not to acquire assets of value uh, for his own personal reasons, for reasons to protect him, uh, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, So please, again, trust me. I don't know, Druff, if you want to vouch or agree with what I'm saying, uh, you know, because you know certain things that I know too. But again, it, the point is, don't let the lack of assets make you think that this is a man living in poverty. That this is someone that doesn't have any money. That's that's not at all true. Yeah. Yeah, probably just, in his name is. Yeah. Yes. Too. Yeah. He knows what it is. Yeah. I mean, some people. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's just like saying in a hypothetical, you know, uh, instance. Would it be advisable? At this point, right now, or any time in the near future, for Eric Lindgren to start buying stocks and vacation homes and properties and cars and and you know opening up investment funds, of course not. You know why? I don't know. Let's say hypothetically the people he owes. Let's say hypothetically um, the IRS who he owes money to. Um, those are all reasons an individual like Eric Lindgren 
wouldn't want to open up or, or, or excuse me. So all the reasons why an individual like Eric Lingen wouldn't want to acquire any assets on paper that could be confiscated, sold, auctioned off because of the IRS. Uh, I don't know if those of you that came out besides the bankruptcy, the second bankruptcy recently filed. It also came uh, very, very surprised. Hey, Eric Lindgren didn't pay any taxes in any of those tournament wins, Truff, over the last seven, eight years. Are you shocked by this? <laughs> Are you shocked? Shocked. Really? He didn't pay his taxes. Okay, now, you know, and again, another common misconception people say, well, why isn't he going to jail? I read this a lot on that, the other site. Why isn't he going to jail? You don't go to jail. You're never going to go to jail for not paying taxes. You don't go to jail for not paying taxes. You can be poor your whole life. They'll confiscate every penny you ever make. They'll hassle you forever, but you're not going to go to jail for simply not paying your taxes. You may have nothing forever. Literally, you may just have a car and the clothes on your back and some cheap apartment, but you're never going to go to jail for not paying your taxes. What do you go to jail for, Druff? Uh, for, for filing false returns. Exactly. For evading taxes, for lying. So uh, a lot of people don't realize that. And it's really, really funny. I, even in, with as much knowledge that there is today and, and just talking to people that are so educated, I hear, I didn't file this, you know, or these jackpots or tournaments. I'm so afraid. I, I don't want to go to jail. You don't go to jail if you don't file your taxes. You cannot file your taxes for the last five years. You're not going to go to jail. You go to jail is when you don't re- when you falsely file your taxes. Say you, you know, for instance, like you, that error going on with uh, baseball players where they're making hundreds, if not millions of dollars at these autograph, uh, you know, sessions. And they never included that income. They file a return, a dishonest return. Okay. But they didn't include the million dollars. You know, this happened to Barry Bonds. This is what, out of all the bullshit that happened, you know, this is why Pete Rose went to jail. Do you guys remember? He went to jail for six months. People actually, it was actually prison. He was sentenced to prison. It was like a year, but he got out six months, went to a halfway house. Why? Because he filed a, f- a false tax return. So simply, you know, admitting or, or not filing a return, you know, or, or claiming your poker winnings or, you know, you're not going to go to jail for it. You know, and that's, again, a, you know, a big misconception. But if you lie to the government, if, you know, people that are that are involved in these schemes where they get hundreds of thousands of dollars back from the government when they when they should be getting nothing or they should be owing. Yeah, you're cheating. You're going to go to jail. So Lindgren's never going to go to jail. But it's interesting now. Uh, I mean, just. Try to put yourself in his mindset. And again, I'm not not sympathizing. I'm not even asking you, the listener, to sympathize with him. But just imagine waking up and knowing, you know, besides poker stars suing you now in in you know in court in Nevada, besides all the various people you owe money to that you have to take care of now, you got a multi-million dollar debt with the IRS. I mean, how how do you sleep at night? I mean, you know. The old adage is, you know, that, that, you know, everyone deserves a second chance and, you know, all these cliches that you work hard enough, you can get out. But, I mean, you can get out of debt. But somebody like that, I mean, he's never getting out of debt. In all likelihood, I mean, he's going to be like that the rest of his life. I mean, he's, I mean, you know what I mean? He's just the fact that, that the, the epitome of poker, the main event, which, you know, he's never gone that far in. The fact alone that he can win the main event this year, and, and and by golly, of course it would help it, you know. But when you take away the taxes that the IRS would take away, you know, from 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 it, the taxes he owes, the fact he's getting staked, 
I mean, it, it, it's going to leave a little bit of a mark, maybe even a big dent. But the main event, the biggest thing that you can do in poker, it's not going to clear them up. It's not going to, you know, at least someone like Newhouse that had debts, you know, and they were in the millions, you know, not like, like him, but million, two million, you know, a couple back-to-back, you know, you know, main event final tables and some run good and, and live poker and, you know, a, a Sunday million win. And, you know, kid's out of debt. He openly talked about this. He talked about this in our show. Um, you know, he ta- openly talked about this in other broadcasts. But someone like that, I mean, how do you wake up every day knowing that you're like in $10 million in debt and even the best bankruptcy lawyers can't get you out of it? I mean, how how, how can you rest? How do you not – how does it not consume you, Druff? Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> – it's very, very tough. I mean, to how do you live with that? And, and you know what else really surprised me? I didn't know about this until recently, but they had a second child. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know. I, I know Erica Lindgren. I, I've met her a couple of times just at, at parties and um, once had a meal with her at Joe Stone Crab with some other friends. And I don't, you know, I don't know her well enough to say if she was a gold digger. Uh, you know, and I'm not just going to go on appearances, you know, because I don't know her. She could be a, a great person and just kind of got mixed up. And now she has, you know, but it actually surprised me with all the debt and all the problems that they went ahead and had another kid. And I guess yeah. it shows that, uh, she very well is committed to him. You know, I know there are a lot of people saying, well, she's going to leave him now. He's broke and this and that and the other. But, you know, second kid recently. But uh, I don't know. It's a tough spot. I mean, I don't I don't uh, I don't have sympathy for him. You know, I, I do have sympathy for people that have gambling problems. I understand it. I've seen a lot of it. Uh, you know, when I first moved out here, it took me a while to get myself under control. And I, I really can uh, totally see how it can consume people. But the way he handled it with, uh, you know, Bob Vulgaris dating back to the fantasy football, the way he just lied to people, the way even, even you know, Mike Con, who, again, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak the truth of the way he treated Mike Con, just shoving him aside when Mike Con asked for money that wasn't even his. Mike Con only had like 10% of it. I don't remember the number. I think it was like forty or fifty thousand that uh, Mycon's fantasy football team was uh, was uh, owed. Mycon maybe even only had five percent, but you know he was the one that lived in Vegas and he was a collector. And you know this was all talked about again on radio uh, years ago. And Mycon asked him for the money, and he literally pushed him aside. Literally, like took his hand in his fist, wouldn't answer him, and just shoved him like a uh, like a eighty pound Jewish paperweight. The hook nose. I'm sorry, Jeff. Was that right? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. And, well, I'm sorry. But anyhow, so, yeah, so if someone like that, no, I'm not going to have any sympathy with, you know. Someone like Brad Booth, you know, maybe. He's redeemable. Maybe. Maybe. You know. I mean, they stole from him. It did fuck up his life. I don't know. But uh, anyhow, that's all I got. Sorry for the ranting. Uh, okay, let's let's start the uh, the end yeah. song here. And uh, so I, I even just. The one kid on still? Yeah, he's, he, I think he's still here. Yeah, no, he's here. No snoring yet. No snoring yet. Okay, so I, I don't know when the next one's going to be. I, I'm not sure if we're going to have it on Tuesday. Tuesday's too soon. Yeah, it's I too think, soon. I think Tuesday. You think it's Tuesday Tuesday? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. But I, Maybe I, like Wednesday or Thursday. I well, Wednesday I'm hoping I'll be in day two. Uh, and, and Thursday. Well, if, there's, if there's a break, why don't we look at the schedule? There usually in, in years past has been a day where everyone is just off. Where the Rio's dead. I think that would be Friday. Okay, well, if that's the case and that's when it is, then let's schedule it for that. Because then win, lose, or draw, no matter which day I plan, no matter which day you plan, no matter how – well, you already know what day you're playing. 
no matter how deep we run, at least we have a set schedule that you know we can count on and say, okay, guys, we'll be here next Friday. So whatever you, whoever look wants to look it up, whatever the day is, assuming it's been like it's been like this for five years now, it was a day where everyone is off. Well, here, I'll, look, I'll look this up right now. Let me, let me go take a look here before we finish the yeah. end music. Yeah. Uh, I got it in front of me too. Yeah, you know, uh, Trader uh, Rinsky, you need to come on. I like the third. <laughs> uh, you know, listen. A lot of people don't know. Do you remember when I first came on, Druff? I was like a Trader Rinsky. I don't get a word in. No, I'm serious. It was you and Mike Conley who dominated it, and then I'd get like a word. I was more the producer at first, and actually even a a voice on radio. Uh, I, I hate to tell you, Brandon. There's no day off this time. It's that. Uh, of course, they changed. Day, day three just is on Friday, and uh, day day two C is is Thursday, and day two A two B is uh, Wednesday. So the only the only day off is is Tuesday if I were to make it through. Well, you know what, you, you – I mean, listen, I, I, I'm back. As long as I'm going to get that special guest star feature like I've asked, I will be on radio. If I can't make it one week because I'm in the main event and you have a day off, then you know what, you can, you know, you can have – you got I, the kid wonder here. Uh, I have total faith in him. Okay. Have host a show with him, and I'll be back a week later. So you do what you think and is drop, best. Yeah. And drop, you could do it Thursday because you're going to be finished by day two by Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking Thursday. One of the first two days. Then if Brandon plays See? Sunday or Monday, then See? it's all good. Look at this kid. Yeah, okay. This guy's got to be the first uh, PFA intern. But Druff, <laughs> do you remember – when I was like a yeah. Trader yeah, I'd get like five words in, and you know I was in charge of guys. This is what they did to me. This is what Mike Hunt did. <laughs> I was in charge of producing the show. That's how I got my first non-paying. Like I'd literally spend a couple hours and I'd write down gigs. And yeah, I remember that. At uh, the point that the you know, most famous thing ever with TK the pimp, and then the massage parlor. That was all my doing. You know, that was me producing. And then as a producer, I, I was kind of called like the what was it the guy the horse face jackass from Howard Stern Gary uh, yeah, yeah Baba Booey yeah yeah Baba Booey and that's kind of who they you know my con said I was you know I get to talk every couple minutes you know on the hour and I produced a show and then I moved up and you know so on and so forth the rest is history but that's how I kind of view uh, Trader Ruski now. You know, it's okay for him to talk every every thirty minutes. It's okay for him to sleep if he wants. It's, it's yeah, not, right. it's not, it's not limit. Hold, it's not limit. Hold him at commerce or. Uh... I, I think we need to add him. I'd like to, and again, this is nothing to take away from Daredevil. I like Daredevil; it's great. But Daredevil is more of a Joan Rivers when uh, Johnny Carson was out. You know, like when everyone's out. You know, you can't make radio. I can't make radio. You know, or there's a fill-in, then we get the Daredevil. Uh, you know, speaking of which, I, I don't know why I thought of this, but do you remember the time? Like, I'm just, it just is a funny memory where you were out of town. I don't know where you were, but you were out on vacation. Mike Con was out of town and somehow because radio couldn't be done at that time. I, I, I don't know. Cause of server issues. I went to Mike Con's house to do radio with Neverwin, Julia, the porn star. Oh yes. Yes. Instead of Kings. And everyone there but me proceeded to get absolutely hammered, okay, hammered drunk while the radio went on. And I had the porn star, and and, and, and I remember Miss Mike, she was so pissed, you know. But I remember, and you know, it sucks that those shows are gone. They're gone, right? They, you can't find them anywhere? Uh, there might be a way to find them. I, I, think, I think there is, actually. I wish there was. And if you know, if you could, uh, even though, you know, 
animosity, just all the things that have gone on. It's some good radio, guys. And I could go through a lot of those shows and tell you, because there are a lot of people that just love listening to these shows. A lot of people that still even ask about old shows I've done. There's some good shit. You know, forget the fact that, that, you know, MyCon's not a part of this and we're not a part of you know what he does and we're not friends. You know, there is some good radio. And I don't think people should be kept from it. I mean, there's some funny shit that we did back then. Yeah, I think it's buried on the Donkdown server somewhere. Someone, see, I I once was. I can never find it. Someone once led me over to, like, the final show I did on there. And, uh, you know, like, we were talking about it. They're like, oh, they gave me the location. So I I think maybe we can sort of maybe figure this out. I don't know. T-Buck just wrote, Drexel's best guest appearance was when he came on radio and mumbled something to the mic and fell back asleep. <laughs> I remember that episode. I came on for about 30 seconds and said something in gibberish. And never, never yeah, did. yeah, yeah. You know what? I mean, so, so I guess uh, falling asleep on radio, it's not just a trader ski thing. It's you yes. too. Okay. Absolutely. All right. But, so, uh, so yeah, that's we'll see what we can find. But anyway, uh, yeah, Thursday, I guess, is the tentative date. It'll be Thursday... July 9th. Oh, hold on. If I'm still in, would I be playing that day? You'd, well, look, you'd be playing if you if you decide to play 1C, then yes. But otherwise, there's no day we can do it. Otherwise, there is no day. Sunday. If you play Sunday or Monday, you'll be able to. Yeah, but if you if you, if you play if you play Tuesday, then there's then there's we're totally shut out. There's no day we can do it. Well, let me ask: What's more important, radio <laughs> or playing the biggest? poker tournament in the world the you're right day that I you're right play. you're right if, if i make day three i think i'll just i'll just quit it in the middle and come to the show right like monday's gonna be the best day anyway okay, we gotta keep this kid around give him yeah a, give him something rough <laughs> what, <laughs> uh, hey, i gotta ask you trader ruski what did Druff have at spago i'm gonna go with some sort of veal or uh yeah i'm gonna go with some sort of uh veal do you remember it wasn't veal. I think it was the uh, definitely a steak. It was though. some type of beef. Yeah, it was like um, <laughs> yeah, it was like braised beef or something. And real fast, Druff and I had dinner uh, break, and I, you know, I had a comp, and we tweeted about this. We scarfed down like three hundred twenty dollars worth of food, <laughs> literally in about eight minutes. Yeah, we had a shellfish platter of lobster, Alaskan king crab, oysters, and shrimp. We didn't even have time. There was Alaskan king crab. That's like $39 a pound still sitting there. <laughs> yeah, we, we, should, we just we had to scarf it down. And, it was and sad. You know, we were deep in the tournament, and I was the, the next big blind. And uh, But, yeah, $310 meal. And uh, Literally, it took so long to get to the goddamn uh, – well, that's a different story with the car. So, uh, we had well, about no, but minutes. to get to Spago, you could go right through that back road. No, oh, yeah, I know. This is at uh, Fix. It's Bellagio. This is a different restaurant oh, there, Trader Ruski. Yeah. So, so yeah. Okay. So, okay. I'm going to fix I'm putting this back on. That's it. I'm not stopping the song again. So, yeah, uh, next week, Thursday, July 9th is the scheduled date. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it won't. I will let you guys know. Check the Twitter. Check the top of Poker Fraud Alert where it's in, like, light blue where it talks about the next radio. Of how many more? I've been on now seven shows in a row, maybe even eight, because we did three shows in ten days. How many shows more do I have to be on in a row until I get to Heather Locklear, uh, 
special permanent special guest star. Well, I can put. It just gets too long for the title where it won't fit for iTunes. Work, though, no, but it won't fit on iTunes. I can't make. I, okay, I can't change then iTunes. In the description, you can still put it in. No, I do. I'll put it in the description. It's fine. Okay, but I want the special guest star. Remember, okay. remember, we're negotiating. Yes, yes. I'll, I'll, I'll put you a special. Beef, it's I fine. A pound of, of Kobe beef every six months. Yeah, I know. I know. It's fine. I know. I, All I, I want is the, the Heather Locklear. She got it on Melrose. Okay, I'll, 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 Melrose. I'll give you the Heather. I'll give you the Heather Locklear treatment. Thank you, everybody. Uh, the, what was the other one with the palsy guy? Uh, Spin City. <laughs> yeah. She was special guest. Star okay, okay. Th- thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Archive or live, whatever it is. We're ending here at 2.18 in the morning. I'll be playing the main event on Monday. Brandon will be there, too, at some point. Follow Trader Risky on Twitter, at Trader Risky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Good night. Shalom. Shalom. Shalom.